question, they go after the venue. Clubhouse would probably be considered the venue. Right. I agree. The, yeah. And in the case, there was a couple of other interesting um, insights to share there. Now, if I were to export this and upload it to YouTube, then it's just like any other YouTube video where they have their Shazam-like thing that goes into play. What do they call that now? Um, content digital ID. Digital rights management. Digital rights it, management. In, yeah, but in, it, it is a digital rights management tool. Internally, they call it content ID, which is like their okay. version of Shazam, where they look for content that is copywritten and it's based on audio. Generally, it's assumed that they'll eventually be able to do video content recognition. Right. And but, I think I told you, because we, we, we did the story here, because I had tweeted to you a week or two weeks, whatever it was ago, that um, they went after the cable companies and Cox Communications had to pay, I think, close to a billion dollars or something in fines. Um, it was like a, a staggering amount of money. And they're going after charter communications now also. And and this is for because people are, you know, downloading stuff through their, you know, through the through the Internet, which, you know, I, I still personally don't really think the cable companies are liable here because it's not like how do you really keep track of that? And it's not really I mean, you know, it, it, they should go after the end users on that, but they're not They're going after the cable companies. Um, but there's so much stuff, Tyler, on Clubhouse that just stuns me. There are people, I, I, I haven't seen it here in a while. They used to have a room called Disney Lullabies, and they're playing Disney music. And the one thing I can tell you from you know being in that, around that business, I know where there's you're probably no company that, that <laughs> more aggressively enforces their stuff than Disney. Yeah. Okay? So to have, so have a room playing Disney music and not paying, you know? Yep. But they, they were they were doing it. And just the other night, there was somebody doing Whitney Houston music. So, you know, I, I think the challenge, though, is if you can't show that Clubhouse is even monetizing it, you know, it's hard. It to doesn't show. matter whether doesn't, they're monetizing I, I, it. Yeah, it doesn't. I, I understand. But you remember, these are just money grubbing entities. Like, so here's the example. Um, I put a low volume soundtrack on an NIH presentation that I did. Um I went to post it on YouTube just recently because, like, I'm, we're working on our media kit. As I'm uploading it, it says, you know, we've noticed an infringement. You yep. know, this this is the song you put on there. Um, click this button if you want to, you know, get a license. Like, this right. was just yesterday. Yep. <laughs> and And I click it, and it says, all right, well, you know, you can use this song, but we're going to take all of the revenue from Correct. this particular media. Um, so that's what I'm getting at, Ken, is like, you can't get blood from stone. Nobody knows this better than the money grubbing music industry. And so I understand that, you know, it's risky to broadcast this on Disney. And there is actually an infringement, but you can't get blood from stone. And right now, Clubhouse has probably got this, you know, yeah, they know Clubhouse has money, but they might have other interests in promoting Clubhouse before they go try to take money from stone so i'll shut up now but no you're, you're right and, and, what, and what the what the music um the holder will will initially do is a cease and desist letter they're not going to go go immediately into suing somebody right first the first in in line is a cease and desist letter and all you do is cease and desist you stop doing it 
Even with the cease and desist letters, though, on on music rights, it usually comes with a a request for some amount of money, not the full statutory. Do you you know these music companies once went after the Girl Scouts? The the, the Girl Scouts campfire song apparently is copyrighted, and they they went after the Girl Scouts. I mean, it's amazing what they'll go after. I mean, I can tell you all sorts of stories. So, yeah. And in Clubhouse, it's a difference between what they're looking for is, are you benefiting from the content in a way like a store does? Sometimes the music is background. It's 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 circumstantial. And that's true in videos, too, in YouTube videos, where you happen to be walking down a street in New York. And the whole point of your video is you're just capturing the feeling of what it's like to walk through Times Square. And there happens to be a car that drove by playing, you know, some Jay-Z song. That's circumstantial. That's, that's different. That's absolutely different. Yes. I, but I'm trying to explain the difference between circumstantial and and then you, you using it as uh, music in your restaurant, which is helping your business. That's keeping people in the store longer or what have you. And they try and make that decision like uh, both digitally and in in the real brick and mortar world context as well. And then Clubhouse is this weird gray area in between where you could have both. You could have somebody playing music kind of just very casually or what about when i do a little snippet like ground controlled major tom when somebody's not listening and it's like a two second thing or the x-files theme for three seconds or um versus what i do at the beginning where we use uh, miramasa's actual song as kind of like a theme song that's then i'm clearly infringing on his if, if he still owns the the digital streaming rights to his own songs which i doubt he does but um if there's a if my god you can see all the complications of this and why it's hard to innovate in music land when there's it's such a litigious environment well one of the reasons i brought this up tyler is because about two months ago uh did you see like uh, some police officers that were playing music while people were yes recording? precisely was, yeah. and then they tried to prevent them from uploading it to get in trouble yes. so that that's kind of why i was wondering how you know what is the legality of doing it? And you've pretty much answered that. So I, I just feel kind of curious. Yeah. Well, they intentionally picked a song that they know is going to be picked up by the YouTube uh, content ID system. And they're playing that song so that your video won't be able to be uploaded to YouTube or at a, at a minimum. Well, there could be, there could be different ones. Actually, some rights holders tell YouTube Hey YouTube, you can go ahead and let people upload my uh, upload videos that contain my content, but I get the monetization of that video. So any ad revenue that's made from that video goes to me, the rights holder of the music in that video. Other rights holders say, "No, I don't want my music uploaded onto your platform. If anyone tries to upload it, don't let them." And so I imagine those police are intentionally picking songs of artists or rights holders who don't let their videos, their content be uploaded into the YouTube platform. And so when somebody tries to upload uh, a video of a police arrest and the police is playing a song by an artist who doesn't let their music be uploaded to YouTube, hence your video cannot be uploaded to YouTube. Very, very interesting. So, anyone... hmm. Yes. Oh, uh, is anyone else pro-weakening copyright law? Because I was reading this really interesting analysis recently that a part of the industrialization of Germany happened due to weakened uh, copyright law. So they were able to pass down technical manuals and everything else. 
there was this thriving um, kind of sharing culture and trade in um, uh, in the late 19th century and early 20th century uh, Germany that helped uh, with their rapid industrialization. So maybe something like that is need needed again, like to just turn the dial back a little bit. I don't understand your point there. Oh, uh, I'm just talking about weakening copyright law. So well, historically, historically, Germany was responsible for a lot of copyright issues. Famously, the MP3 format was, I think, uh, made in Germany. So they're, 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 you know, revolutionizing things. It, it'll be interesting to see how the next generation of content changes. So maybe that's what uh, what you were getting at. That's interesting because um, the entertainment industry, and I say that as a whole, like video games, um, movies, TV shows, but like and music as well, they're all trying to like become this one big behemoth and share streaming rights with one another because um, the data is hard to like quantify in like a monetary value. So um, much like what Netflix is doing with video games and what Fortnite is doing with the music industry, it's like they're all trying to create this one understanding or like just behind the scenes mechanical understanding that one can share with another. And yeah, I don't know whether we're going to be able to see like movies and video games and all of these other things. But when we start talking about metaverse and stuff, then I feel like that gets more believable. So it's um, there's going to be a lot of more like creative ways people are coming together to make um, these I don't know what I don't know what you can call it, but streaming platforms, I guess, is what you can call it, like in the virtual world. Yeah, the metaverse. What happens in the metaverse version of a store when there's music playing? It's like it's getting easier. I mean, the, the what's happening is, and what's making this whole thing even far more complicated is, it's becoming quite common to take a piece of content and uh, mess with it, anyways, and and play with it yeah. as the basis for a new piece of content, which the content ID systems don't recognize. And so what, what happens then? I mean, it's a hybrid of a song, you know, you can so think that. Let's say it's a sampling. Okay. Which is a lot of like hip hop is used as sampling. Um, th that's now a clear cut legal thing. Cause it's been court cases. So even just to use a sample m music, yep. music is actually one of the, more narrow, like the, the toughest areas versus other types of content. So um, if you use a sampling of a, even like a snippet of somebody else's song and you create a new song, okay, um, you, you have to get permission to use that snippet, you know, from the original uh, creator, okay? Sometimes they'll just give it to you for free if it's, a, you know, if, 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 it's yeah. a, if it's, you know, but yet but you have to ask permission. If you don't, you're in a copyright violation. Yes. But isn't yeah, that I what the metaverse is going day? to be? I feel like the metaverse is going to be treated like a, a video game, right? So whoever creates the platform has more control over what is happening. So each one is trying to create their own like platform of where I can get the majority. So Netflix has a platform for a lot of streaming, so they get the majority of Spotify. They're using video now, so they will get the majority of like, well, he, visual he, rights. I, I wanted to. I, there, was, there was a lady that got interrupted. I want to make sure she jumps in, and then I have a, a point about Spotify. Go ahead. Who 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 was jumping oh, in? It, it was Alan Marie. 
Yeah, it was me. I because I was thinking and what Ken was saying. I mean, this is what isn't this what DJs do every day? I mean, I was at a charity event last weekend where, you know, Questlove was spinning, and it's all a, a mishmash of, you know, right. one song that you're familiar with into another yes. made into his like new vibe and new sound. Right. And I'm recording, by the way, on my uh, Ray Ban Stories glasses and yeah. sending it over to Facebook. And I'm just like, okay, well, maybe I'm not supposed to be uploading videos that have music content from my fancy new glasses <laughs> yeah that dj set scenario we read a headline about uh an interesting breakthrough legally on that issue in the past couple weeks where i believe it was apple music is now going to do to they bought shazam and they're now gonna be able to help rights owners monetize uh dj sets which normally put together any you know 20 different songs kind of overlapping with each other and if your music is included in the dj set then you get a part of the of the do rights uh from from the performance so it's that's kind of an interesting uh development and then you having to being there and putting it on facebook is kind of in that circumstantial example um but the here's the really interesting one spotify has their version of clubhouse called green room Spotify is intentionally, very proactively encouraging rooms about music streaming. And if you're doing room, matter of fact, if you go over to Green Room now, you'll notice that they're actively trying to promote the rooms that are doing music streaming. And that's really interesting because Spotify has all the legal rights to do that. <laughs> and Clubhouse does not. So what's going to happen there? It's a really interesting case where successful when they bought musically they had they bought all the rights to uh to, to license the music and that's yeah. why they were so spectacularly popular yeah it gets really uh, messy you know, it's successful okay. so um whew, let's do the headlines first shall we and before we do i know um todd had a hot one he wants to share i guess i'll wait for him to join us he's he's busy doing something but whenever todd gets here let me know because i know he's got one he wants to share but does anyone have a hot headline what we're going to do because this is saturday a special saturday edition where we as the hardcore news geeks get together and you know how we use twitter as kind of the basis for sharing headlines because we have a twitter account tnatw Every almost everybody on stage um, shares awesome headlines that they find at their leisure whenever they happen to be cruising around the interwebs. And they very cleverly can bring them to our attention by including our Twitter account as part of their retweet or tweet, which is TNATW. And then we've got this endless waterfall of these awesome headlines coming in. And then we cherry pick our favorite ones and discuss them. And we do that Monday to Friday. And inevitably... When Friday night rolls around, we've still got a whole lot more to get through. In this case, we've got about 23 hours of tweets to go through, and that will take us a few hours to get through them. Um, and that's what we do on Saturdays. And, but we, there are some big new head, headlines to go through, which we will go through. But before we go through the big popular headlines and then through all the tweets, kind of popcorn style, is there a, anyone have a hot big story of the week that they want to or or? Current, more current one they want to make sure we get into 
how、so、the two Canadians、oh. were released upon the release of the Huawei Meng. Oh, did that happen? Yeah, that's that. Oh yeah, the Chinese released two Canadians. Oh, oh.、Uh, more importantly, yeah, hang on. Hold on. You know what's funny about that? Does that not? Is that not evidence of the fact that they arrested those dudes as a pure retaliation act? Of course, it does. You shady fuckers! So China, so this is amazing. So at、uh, this is amazing. This is truly amazing. Oh my god! Do they not realize that makes them look guilty? Do they, they care? Tyler, they they care? You U.S. started the ball rolling, Tyler. Wait, 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 wait. Maybe that's the genius in that in this whole move. Maybe that's、no. the ge- maybe that's the genius of why we're letting her go is because we knew if we had let her go, they would let them go, and by letting them go, ha! You did do this as a retaliation. It's the, well, remember they executed、oh, a Canadian as well. So they so they executed the Canadian to up the ante, and they have two more. So they so they pushed the Canadians into the spot, right? So now wait a minute. Wait 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 wait. So obviously Canada, when their citizens got kind of、uh, life prison sentences or what execution sentences or whatever it was in China, no doubt. Canada reached out to the U.S. and was like, "Help! <laughs> like, what the WTF?、Uh, help us out here! Throw us a bone here!" And America was like, "Oh shit! What are we going to do?" So that obviously played a role in all of this. And, but well, made- one of the narr- one of the narratives, one of the narratives that's really fascinating is that this issue is viewed to be so subordinate to collaboration with China on climate change. That the issue was resolved as a method to get、uh, better collaboration on a much bigger issue. That's right. This is a side issue. This is a part of a deal. And Bloomberg this morning、um, has a, a story out uh, that um, basically it was clearing the decks,、um, as we said yesterday, between China and the U.S. And this is sort of. Part of a, the benefit of doing that is that that you get you do an exchange of hostages in a sense. And it says here,、uh, this is a very significant move and symbolizes a new beginning for China and the U.S.," said Henry Wang.、Um, I can't pronounce the next name.、Uh, president of founder of the his, Center wait, wait, for his, China and Globalization. His, I send you the link.、Uh, his, wait, wait. His name's Henry Wang, right?、Uh, Henry Wang. Okay, no, thank God. Yao. Yeah, I'm, Yao. Just, I'm just,、yeah. I'm just glad his name's not Harry. That, that would have been a little too much. <laughs> anyway, and so this took place. This took place after、uh, Biden and Xi Jinping had that conversation. So basically,、right. it was a.、Uh, okay, we're going no, no. to. We need to cooperate on climate change. We need to do.、Uh, Lower the temperature on the trade deals,、right. the trade bickering back and forth.、Uh, let's. That was almost. That was almost a precondition on the part of China、uh, to to release her, and then and then everything is is sort of smoothed over. But the two Canadians were arrested within hours of Canada. Making a decision about what they're going to do with Huawei's、uh, CFO Meng.
And as soon as it was like, okay, Canada's going to make a decision in the next 24 hours what they're going to do with the Huawei CFO, Meng, China arrests these two Canadians. And we're like, oh, what an interesting coincidence. What interesting timing. That doesn't look shady at all. I wonder if they're being arrested uh, as a quid, you know, as a, as the setup for a, you know, a, a tit for tat. And now that Meng's being released, now these two Canadians are being released. That makes it abundantly, perfectly clear that China was arresting people uh, un, unlegally. Or what? 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 Do, I Wait, mean, quid pro quo. Quid yes, pro quo. yes, but I mean, my, I, I understand this. Wasn't pro- there more than two? Wasn't there more than two? I mean, it was, maybe, but the the what was the the debate? They, they were they were supposedly spies, right? They, yeah, China accused them exactly. of being spies. So here's yes. the thing. So here's the thing, Tyler. Like from like was, wait, 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 wait. Uh, they were falsely arrested and falsely accused. Obviously, that's, they wouldn't just let spies go right now under that context. Yeah, well, that's what I was saying. Because, because for example, if we zoom out, right, Hillary's exchange server got replicated by China. Meaning, exchange server, like the exchange servers. One of the unique things about them is you can flip a switch. And it'll just make a copy of itself anywhere yeah, you want. And they wheels. flipped the switch on that, right? I didn't know they made those with wheels. That's yeah, awesome. This is the only one Sorry, someone's hot mic. That's um, John, yeah. So it's not a big deal. But, but, but like, what I'm getting at is when they found out who our spies were, they just killed 12 spies. There was, there was summarily executed them. There was no drama. So what I'm getting at is from the U.S.'s perspective, this is like, whoa, dude, they're actually being benevolent, you know? So, like, this is, you know, this is a publicly orchestrated thing. And so, yeah, like, we do. Sorry, they just kill spies. They don't, they don't but, play games. But now here's what's spies. interesting is Meng is being released uh, under the condition that she uh, uh, essentially accept guilt on some of the charges. So making our arrest of her or Canada's arrest of her and our insistence that Canada arrest her legitimate. She was legitimately arrested. She's that's part of the agreement of her a release back to China is she's agreeing that she's uh, guilty to some, you know, she's going to agree to plead guilty to some of the charges, meaning her arrest is legal. The arrest of the Chinese uh, of the Canadians in China are not. That's an incredibly huge difference in this whole drama. Is that so Tyler? Yes. Considering what China has been doing with tech and everything else, do they really care about what people think about whether it's an illegal arrest or do they really? They, care they better in, in in the well. No. What it does is is it, I believe in the in the human rights uh, uh, rule of law. Basically, China has just showed the world they do not follow rule of law. Uh, Tyler, can I come in on this? Yes. Um, I, so for Crisis Group, who I work with, one of the Canadians that they've just released in return uh, is Michael Kovrig. Uh, he works for Crisis Group right. as the North Asian uh, analyst, um, and he's been released uh, along with uh, Michael's SAP for yes. – uh, both were con- accused of you know espionage. Um, right. But I, I think that that shows good faith. I don't yeah. know how much that's going to – you know improve relations generally but i think it's quite an interesting sort of tit for tat kind of maneuver but i'll just go back to you yeah tyler i just want to say uh, what you said is actually quite spot on china in general doesn't do rule of law they do rule by law 
And in fact, they criticize Canada's system, saying it's very arbitrary, this arrest. Historically, there's no precedent. There, there's usually been fines in these kinds of violations. So they, their arguments were very much from the beginning, very transparent about, hey, you can just have your prime minister undo this and give us back our queen, and we'll give you back your two rooks. So I'm happy to hear that uh, nobody suffered too much, although Meng Wanzhou enjoyed three years in a mansion, whereas... The two Canadians, I expect their cells were smaller than a bathtub or something like that. Yeah, but it's so different. It than, I think it's I think I think it's dangerous to make that metaphorical comparison because what I just laid out for you was the Queen is acknowledging it was a legal capture of the Queen. She's agreeing that she was, you know, caught. She's agreeing to having broken U.S. sanctions in this thing with Iran and that she lied about it. So it's a legal move. The two rooks that they're giving back, were, those were not legal moves. They were not acquired legally, they, according to the rules of the game of chess. I agree. They don't play by the rules. This is my point. Is So you're, somebody is trying to make the point of, does China really care? Well, China might not care itself internally, but in the UN infrastructure, in the acknowledgement, you know, what it does is it tarnishes China's ability to claim that it is a reputable country. I think China cares about its public right. face to the world, though it, it obviously reacts. Precisely my point, but it, but in opinions. but in doing this move to people who analyze the scenario carefully, you realize uh, somebody should point it out. Like this is another example of China's not able to be trusted in the international community. I don't think China cares about too many things. Otherwise, you wouldn't have. They don't care care about all the, the bad publicity about the Uyghurs. They don't care about the bad publicity that they were negged on the deal on Hong Kong. You know, they don't care about that they're they're, they're capturing Filipino uh, fishing boats. What what is it that they care about? They well, just, they care they're... about their Belt and Road Initiative, which is a sort of, in their view, is like a goodwill effort to to up their uh, opinion by the rest of the world. So they well, care the, about their influence. There's a huge, the there's a huge global the campaign. That the countries that want that don't care about the reputation because they, they need the infrastructure, the capital more than the reputation. Some of, I mean, there, there's, there's, a, there's a bunch wavering. There's a bunch in the gray area on the edge. Should I go the, with the U.S. or the free world? Should I go with China? There's a, you know, there's a bunch but, of countries but, in that middle. Yeah, but those, but those countries will go with money. So uh, the issue is that this has a compounding cost for them because their biggest customer is the U.S. and the West, right? So even if they do the Belt and Road Initiative and they're carving out their little corner of the world, pissing off your biggest customers is usually not a good idea and it has already had a cost. Um, there, is, there is a shift of the supply chain away from China that's slowly but surely happening given how capricious they've become. The, I, I think China is most concerned right now about China. Uh, it's very, it's, it's pivoted, moving inward. It's got a lot of hot things on its plate that it has to deal with, such as the financial crisis. Um, and um, it, it's just, it, it needs to stabilize. This was very important for the Chinese to get this person back into China, they were going to do whatever was required in order to get to get her back. Maurice, that's that's a point exactly. And I guess we are maybe we are witnessing a change of the paradigm for China. 
what we call a doctrine in uh, the international law and um, exchange. Um, they behave so differently since a while, and it's part of it. Uh, but on the other hand, we have seen it by from Russia too, this tit for tat, and so it's a rather uh, usual thing. What I want to say is uh, that uh, maybe uh, they really analyze the situation I even uh, think about they might have AI involved in their decisions. I don't know. Of course, I don't know. Uh, uh, because so many things are changing. And so, um, for, for instance, um, uh, when, when they go to the UN, it's always about the Uyghurs and uh, uh, the, the human rights, of course. And so this is a usual thing on the one hand. And um, my headline for this, what's happening is whether it's about the digital, uh, the big tech or uh, other things happening, uh, which are, are surprising us, is um, they are too big to care. <laughs> That's my headline, too big to care, because they are now so big in, in the evolution stage on the whole planet, uh, they can be a bit more careless. That's my point. Thank you. Okay, uh, Carol, I, I should point something out, by the way. When this story was originally reported, when it first broke, okay, this is where I think you may have gotten your information. When it first broke, the story was that she was going to plead guilty and they were just going to let her go. Now CNN is reporting that it's a deferred prosecution agreement until late 2022, mm -hmm. at which point the charges could be dropped. So technically, she hasn't pled guilty to anything at this point. Ah, not yet. Well, no, I thought the, the agreement yeah. was she's agreeing no, she's to pled guilty. A plead guilt she's pled guilty. She's agreeing to uh, accept guilt in when it's when the charges are brought in the future it was kind of the weird. Well, no, Tyler, but do we have a do CNN we... saying that they may drop the charges in 2022. It's deferred process. You know, let me if I yeah. if I can chime in, uh, Ken. Yeah. Uh, um, actually, what Ken was saying is actually correct based on my reading. I read the deferred prosecution agreement. It's actually kind of unusual. I spoke yeah. with someone yesterday who was uh, defense defense uh, attorney. Uh, usually, the case is that the prosecution would request a admission to guilt pending prosecution in say about a year from the date right. of the agreement. But this particular one actually is uh, similar to what Ken was saying, that literally um, the, she's, got, she's getting off scot-free. In other words, uh, as long as she doesn't do anything bad in the next, I can't remember, uh, 12 months or something, um, and, and that's actually only with respect to the U.S. It's kind of interesting. It's a little nuance. If she doesn't violate any U.S. laws, she will be not. She will not need to admit to anything that's guilty. There's no plea, uh, plead, uh, pleading to the guilt at all. The the all, all charges against her will be dropped, and it's kind of interesting that if you look at the uh, press release uh, from the Justice Department, uh, it was made to feel, made to sound like oh she has admitted what? to doing these bad things, lying, well, that's, blah, this blah, is, blah blah blah. Yeah, apparently, well, it's, which yeah, may be true in the statements, but there's no okay. guilty plea whatsoever. Right here's the Wall Street Journal right now. Under the agreement entered in federal court in Brooklyn on Friday. Ms. Meng admitted remotely from Canada to wrongdoing in exchange for prosecutors deferring and later dropping wire and bank fraud charges. So that's, that's being yeah, said. Yeah, that's like. It says in past yes, tense, sorry, she no. admitted uh, wrongdoing, meaning it's already done. Yeah, actually, that's actually really interesting. That's a bit of a hand-waving. Again, that probably came from the press lease issued by the uh, uh, the uh, U.S. attorney, but actually, 
uh, if you read the actual agreement that she has signed by via her attorneys, there is no plea to guilty. There's no guilty plea whatsoever. In fact, the uh, the agreement itself said so. It just says in the she admitted to the fact there's a there's an attachment exhibit attached to the uh, prosecution. Agreement. I just checked. The you, you're actually she right. The, 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 there's there's plead pleads not guilty. Pleads not guilty. Huh? Exactly. So there. So the so-called she's admitted to these bad things. It was right. a statement of facts where she, yep. you know, supposedly there was a fact that's drafted by the government that says, oh, she lied about this bank thing. She lied about the board seat, blah, 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 blah. But that's just a statement of fact. So there's no guilty plea per se. However, if you notice that out of the 10 counts, um, I went through the, uh, the counts the, in the original third superseding indictment that the government filed. Uh, in the extradition uh, request, the, the the counts that were dropped were only relevant to her as a person. Count three, four, seven, or nine, or whatever I can't remember. But these are uh, the other ten counts with with respect to her employer. They were they're still there. So in other words, conceivably, the government in the future could pursue the employer using the statement of facts pointing out to this particular uh, deferred prosecution agreement, in theory, again. But the yeah. defense attorney usually would argue that, that may not be that easy because the person is not there. But the government could say, hey, you know, this person, man, she admitted all these facts. We're going to use this as uh, something to charge her employer for doing these all bad things. So that could be something that's kind of useful for the government in the future. But for herself, as a defense attorney, I think they should pat themselves on the back. As a person, as a personal matter, she's basically getting out for free. Okay, yeah, let me read the South China Morning Post version. It's that the headline in in China says no crime and no punishment as Meng admits wrongdoing without guilt. So that's the important distinction. Is Wrong, yeah. wrongdoing without guilt is a very concise term, right? Right. Well, the, and this is the point: is she admits wrongdoing. I'm not. I'm not. I have no concern with how if she'll be found guilty or not. What I'm saying is, is what was important is the acknowledgement that she did, that the her reason for arrest was legitimized by her admitting the wrongdoing. We're not we don't care if she ends up being found guilty or not. What we care about is we arrested you legally and you arrested Canadians illegally. So that it, it cannot because it's important in the unite when you attend the united nations and one one country and you're debating who's the believable party which country is actually built on morals and values and you know we can say yeah of course she was arrested and she admitted she was arrested the reasons for her arrest were legal she what she admitted to wrongdoing that's why we arrested her we and we arrested her eventually there would be a court case we're dropping the court case but she acknowledges that our reasons for arrest were legal based on her wrongdoing that she that she admitted to. And in the Canadian case, they're not going to be able to do that because they're letting they was they've now basically admitted to you doing political arrests of Canadian citizens. So just the, U, the, U, the UN did, did the Canadian did, did the Canadians admit to wrongdoing as a condition of their release? Not that I know of, but Tyler, in the United Nations, 
it's as political as the United States Congress or some other legislatures. I mean, you know, I mean, I don't think the U, the, the membership of the UN doesn't get swayed by these things. Everybody's in there for their own self-interest, you know. I mean, so everyone lines up with their allies. And, you know, this issue about who is right and who is wrong and who's moral and this thing almost that well, that stuff almost doesn't matter in the UN. How, I mean, I so Tyler, so Tyler, I came in late. I'm sorry. When you said that the Canadians were were, were arrested wrongfully or something, uh, I I missed that part. I wasn't in the room. What, what was what was referred? Well, this was, is the entire what, point. This is the whole point. Is the Canadians when Meng when Canada was deliberating on to whether or not to extradite Meng to the U.S. During that 24-hour uh, deliberation, China arrested two Canadians, which was a what an interesting coincidence, timing-wise. Uh, under what charge? What, what was Espionage. Okay. Yeah. Right. See, and now that she's been released, they've been released, which basically admits that they falsely arrested them. But so Russia's done this all the time. Nobody cares. So just a comment. See, that's 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 actually difficult, you know, from a legal perspective. Is that what was the basis to arrest the Canadians? And you said it's like a espionage. See, that makes it kind of tough to evaluate. In other words, for from for Maine, the charges were fraud. Like you you did something bad, you lied, blah 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 blah. But for espionage, what was the basis that the Chinese government could use to arrest those two individuals from Canada? Uh, if if they if they had been if they were arrested under some other Chinese law like you know stealing candies or violating traffic law then that would be one thing, but if they use this whole espionage then that's a completely different matter. In other words, my my point being, what could for example U.S. has done these similar things for their own citizens for violating certain laws and then the prosecutor would say oh whoops. We drop the charges. There's not enough sufficient evidence. Yeah, that we can tell. Oh, yeah, there was something bad. But the did the, the, the Chinese side actually offer evidence that these two people actually did something no. bad to uh, you know violate no. the, the and the time see, that the, would be that's the point is the timing see, that would be relevant. The timing of their arrest yeah. and timing of their release makes it abundantly clear that this was purely a setup for in retali a retaliatory false imprisonment. So Chinese my, law is vague. Um, characteristically vague. This type of negotiations always happens, right? If they really want to make it that way. So usually, even with North Korea, they they usually say, "Okay, do this. I will do this." Or you know, exchange of prisoners. Th and that's my point. Is now China's basically aligned themselves morally with North Korea. That's my point. <laughs> but that's not new news, Tyler. But they're the, they're it kind the of is. They're North Korea's biggest supporter. That's not that, new news. No, that, I didn't say that is. Everyone knows China's North Korea's, you know, sugar daddy. That's never. That's never going to change. The point is, they're now morally equivalent. You know, but countries do negotiations, right? Con so yeah, and countries don't want to negotiate with countries who are who might arrest their citizens under false pretenses. Well, is it false? Because there is some evidence to suggest that they were analysts, and if they're analysts and China has the most comprehensive surveillance apparatus of any country, then I suspect the kind of evidence that they have meets their threshold for, you know, going against the CCP or whatever it is that their threshold is for this case. Yeah, I mean, they were clearly used as pawns, you know, they were used as pawns in this 
this chess game, clearly. Yeah. Well, I say rooks. Don't call them pawns. They're at least rooks. Come on. No, I think that whatever uh, I think I was point, I kind of agree with that. Uh, but I would credit the one that I would criticize is in terms of legal procedure. I think uh, what China could have done uh, to legitimize this whole release was to do something like what's been happening with Maine in terms of you know this whole process of deferred prosecution agreement. Uh, there's you know the content agreement seems to make sense, even though it's a bit of unusual. It's more of a quote unquote leaning agreement. I think for the fact that again I didn't follow uh, the whole the news. If the release of the two Canadians were there was really no process, no judges issued or make an announcement or something something. Uh, then yeah, it's not quite uh, quite smooth in terms of legal process goes. But regarding the content, because it was you, the espionage was used. Then I think it's a lot easier for the prosecution to make up something like, "Hey, you're doing something bad. You're collecting data. Right. You've yes. made some bad statements. Blah blah blah." That's took a to photograph of the wrong building. That. That's all they need. You took a photograph of the exactly. wrong. Exactly. Yeah, like something you can't like that, really yeah. use our laws and compare it with theirs. Um, I remember when you know the whole Hong Kong thing as well. That we were talking about the laws, and they keep, purposely keep it very vague, right? It might not be as detailed that the requirements in order to say their espionage might be. The bar might be much lower than what it is here. And yeah, and that, sorry, and that's the difference. I would say, uh, technically speaking, between a communist country or, or one that has its origins in communism and one that is more democratic. One tries to rule, has the rule of law, where the laws are sufficiently explicit enough so as to be effective and just, not just so open-ended, so as to be used as an instrument themselves for governance. So that's what China calls rule by law. So it, it, from that kind of perspective, I think it's actually quite fair. Although in Canada, I was listening to the national radio here, CBC, uh, they were talking about how originally they were not expecting the Canadians to come back before Christmas because they thought, well, you know, the other Canadian hasn't even been prosecuted yet. So you'll first have to be prosecuted, found guilty, and then all this You're stuff. Right. And it turns out that none of that was necessary. So all of that was just a charade. Correct. And, uh, yeah. So that's it's a, so, they've, so they've, like, they've, way, they've you know, that's my I, point is they've exposed themselves as a kangaroo court country with the likes of North Korea, and that sets a precedent. Russia that, and Russia, you my you are a country of kangaroo the, courts. You cannot yeah, be trusted. Definitely in China, the optics in, are in the international sphere. You've now you're waving a big red flag that says we cannot be trusted. By the way, if you look at the news report, there were airplanes uh, picking up these people almost immediately. I didn't, did, I didn't do the calculation, but I read that the Canadians were actually arriving literally after, I think it was 1 o'clock in the afternoon in the Eastern uh, Standard Time when this whole uh, uh, news announced. But if you look at the Deferred Prosecution Agreement, it was September 22. So these things were already done. Basically, and right after the September 22, they were probably making arrangements for air flights. One for Maine, which is a, a you know charter flight, and the other one was actually for the Canadians. So they really, there were really a lot of there was probably a lot of backroom dealing. Perhaps it has something to do with Biden's call to Xi. Perhaps I have no idea, but certainly you know we we learned about these things yesterday. But probably it was done already. The exchanges, the the arrangement two two or three days ago. To Tyler's, to Tyler's point, um, the uh, permission to play kabuki theater uh, given by the U.S. to China 
is so transparent to the entire international community that it is indeed essentially a confession that it that it is kabuki theater that the, that's my point the charges thank you john Canadians were trumped up yeah and i and i i i honestly in in the grand scheme of political theater that's a small price to pay to get better collaboration on trade deals and climate change because the whole yes. world knows what really happened exactly yeah, yeah. it's just, this is a side deal and, and it, no in one terms of technology and and the economy the world economy and the stability uh, of the world that's what's important in this it was okay. very important for china to get the person back china's focusing on two things how do we stabilize and transition our economy it's going to be much more inward looking and how do we keep stability political stability within the country because a lot of bad things are going to start happening as all these chess moves within to pivot the country away from uh, the rest of the world and and do what they need to do in order to stabilize it. And, what it's and, and one more thing is it, it, when you think about it, the business person is saying, but wait, you're going to arrest the Canadians? And then, you know, who's going to want to come and do trade deals or come here? Uh, you know, that That's just going to blow up in our face. Uh, the people who are most concerned about the, uh, the the stability and the political and the rearrangement within China are saying, "Listen, we have to we have to do what we have to do at this point and get you know and put our our moves in place and whatever the world thinks, they're going to have to deal with it." Yeah, just to add to the point about inward looking, uh, you know that may not be sufficient even to the international community. Um, I read that the EU has made some complaints uh, to the Chinese government about, hey, you know, you, you, you please don't close your market. You need to let us in. You need to let European companies selling products in your country. You can't just, you know, develop your own economy. Um, see, that that may have something to do with the pressure, not just uh, for Canadians or the Canadian or U.S. government, but maybe the EU is saying, Look, you know, is it, is, this is not the time to completely close China off. We need to do trade. We need the market there. Uh, this is something there could be some sort of backroom communications between uh, U.S., Canada, and the EU, and it could cultivate it in you know, both countries, or so three countries, or even four uh, uh, countries, if you will, if you consider EU as a country, to decide, ben, look, let's get us over with and move ben, on. Ben, with may, I, may I just say something here for a second? What's your agenda here, man? I mean, it's not about the legality of, of, of the issue here. You have a con you have a situation where there's a, uh, there's a case which is clearly, clearly, clearly showing that there is guilt on one person's behalf because she's openly come out and admitted that the, the HSBC issue with Iran, she actually did that. And then you have another case where two innocent individuals are arrested for absolutely no reason. They had no due process in court. And they've been released literally within 24 hours of, of, of the other person having, um, uh, having been uh, released per se as well. And now we keep talking about legality, 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 yeah, where we spent 21, 21 minutes on this particular issue. I don't get where you're going with this, man. I don't get what the agenda here is. Let's oh, also point out that she okay. was, um, Faraz, she was, she was, they were released as soon as she was on the plane back to China. No, exactly my point, Jonathan. Right. So I don't, I don't, get, I don't get what this gentleman is trying to do here.
Tyler, I'll hand, I'll hand back to you, man. Okay. Well, here's my point is the Reuters just wrote the piece and the headline says China welcomes Huawei executive home, but silent on free Canadians. And it brings up two interesting points that the Chinese foreign minister uh, uh, said that the charges against Meng were fabricated in order to suppress the country's high-tech industries. But basically, they got her to agree that that's not true by acknowledging wrongdoing you know, of her arrest. So uh, what the foreign minister says is his charges that, that he's been having for a long time now while she's been arrested, that these were fabricated charges. Nope, turns out she agreed that she was rightfully arrested. So th these were not fabricated. And secondarily... China has previously denied engaging in hostage diplomacies, which when they said when they arrested these Canadians that they're not, this is not hostage diplomacy. And now they're basically admitting that it was hostage diplomacy. So that they're, they're China's point that uh, she was falsely arrested. No, that, that turned out to be false. China's claims that they don't apply hostage diplomacy. Also wrong again. China comes out two strikes wrong. The other, you know, West, uh, US, Canada comes out uh, th that's my point in this whole chess maneuvership of this is uh, what happened. And then the accusations of what happened also by, by the foreign ministers. It's just a, to me, a bunch of political points going at the end of the day. So we'll, we'll move on uh, to the top story of the very moment, which is far less interesting. Perhaps so Apple says it's working to oh. fix an issue. Uh, somebody groaning in the audience. Messy. <laughs> was me i was ungrounded <laughs> sorry <laughs> why are you groaning i uh, wasn't i was actually being uh, nice um uh, i was gonna have a, a a topic i don't know if you saw it when we are talking about china so china actually is also banning all crypto transactions oh uh, yeah last night yes okay we so could do, let me see that's actually later. That's actually the second biggest story in my list of top, you know, okay. stories. Okay. So let's the rule for the first one super fast, and then we'll get to that one, which is yours. So the first one is Apple says it's working to fix an issue that is preventing iPhone 13 Pro from running animations in third-party apps at 120 hertz and limiting them to 60 hertz. A big whoop! They'll fix that as a piece of software issue. Okay, so now to your story, Messi from CNBC. China's central bank says all cryptocurrency-related activities are prohibited, and overseas crypto exchanges providing services in China are illegal. Oh. And that new that news broke about 24 hours ago, ish. Yeah, and. Uh, they're, everybody's covering this, right? I've got Bloomberg, CNBC, Wall Street Journal, New York Times, BBC, Reuters, NBC, Bitcoin News, Sky News, Bloomberg, Financial Times, The Verge, BC Mag, CoinDesk, Coin, Telegraph, Tunch, Crunch, CNN, CNN. I mean, I, you can't name a publication that isn't covering this. And I bet you, if we read through all of these, not one will come up with the big why as to why are they doing this right now. And we have an inside source that we pinged here in Tech News Around the World. One of our friends who joins us very regularly from Beijing, I DM'd. At first, I tried to ping him in the room and he couldn't join us. So I DM'd him yesterday, 24 hours ago when we were in this room. And I said, hey, what, what's your take on this big announcement? China's central bank crackdown on all cryptocurrencies, even overseas cryptocurrency companies from doing any kind of business in China. Why is it now illegal for any cryptocurrency platform on the planet on planet earth 
to do any kind of business with China at all. Any zero. It's just, they're just utterly, utterly illegal. Basically, anything crypto is now like, you know, heroin or, you know, uh, having machine guns. It's just fully illegal in any kind of capacity, whether you're a Chinese company or not, doesn't matter what's going on here. And he gave us the answer. And his answer, as usual, makes a lot of sense. And I bet not one of these other articles comes up to the same conclusion that our friend uh, from Beijing came up with, who, by the way, happened to be riding uh, uh, the train from uh, the Eurostar from Paris to London with a bunch of Chinese bankers at the moment I asked him. So he seemed very confident in his answer. And his answer makes a, a ton of sense. But I'm, I'm curious, before I reveal what his answer was, because some of you were here yesterday, uh, any thoughts on, on this one? Tyler, would that yes. friend happen to be David? <laughs> yes, it is. Yeah, that's why I can't really answer either, because David and I talk too. So I just would keep myself quiet. But from my, was that a meow? That's my meow? cat. Trader Joe's got a oh cat. Oh my God, right. Trader Joe's. Trader Joe's a cat, Joe's a cat, cat guy. All right. You see, the cat knows, Tyler. The cat knows. Um, I would just say that aside, just from just my own rabbit hole research, this is a continuous thing that's been going on since 2014, and it's cyclical. So when I say it's cyclical, 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, and now 21, consistency, consistently around this time of year, there's been a, always been historically a tremendous amount of FUD out of China around this time of the year, fourth quarter. And I find it really fascinating because it's like clockwork. It comes in right around September. It makes the bear market heavily that people get scared and get like crazy about it. And it's in all the major new out news outlets, clearly, as you just stated. But at the end of the day, I'm kind of like, just look at the online, the on-chain data. You know, when I look at the on-chain data, it doesn't say that. It says the opposite. So I'm just looking at the on-chain data. And that's what I look at. I look at I don't look at it emotionally. I just look at the facts of how things are moving. And at the end of the day, there's still mining Bitcoin. It's still happening. So I personally, from experience of looking at the charts from an on-chain, I believe this is completely, in my opinion, it's fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and it's a trap. It's a trap to get the paper hands out and diamond hands and those institutions to start collecting more. Because that this is typically what's been happening across the past seven years. And if you want, go look at all the charts and lay them on top of each other. Like, what were those things we had in school, Tyler and Trader Joe's, Chris? What are, what are those things that you see? The transparency sheet. Yes. Yes. Thank you. You won a prize. The transparencies that they used to use. If you put all of the year's charts and you put them all on top of each other, they'll show very similar patterns. And the one consistency you'll see is the ebbs and flows in the peaks and valley. And you'll also notice that the one major tell point is that every year it's gotten incrementally higher in the marketplace. So overarching over the seven years, we've gone up. So if you're looking at Bitcoin as something that like for the short term or the paper hands, of course, it seems like it's going to end. But the reality is people that have been here from 14, 15, 16, 17, they're like, here we go again. Hold on to your seats. Put on your diamond hands and hold on tight because you need to stop reading all of this because that's what's making the the stuff get scared in people's heads, in my opinion. But then, of course, Tyler, you already spoke with David, so you kind of I'll leave it to you.
So I just read. Oh, hold on, Messi. Okay. So I just read the to myself silently while Ame was talking about. I read C and I mentioned everyone's covering this, and CNBC is America's biggest financial news network. So I just read their entire article, and I just read the New York Times article. CNBC doesn't even attempt to explain why China has cracked down uh, very strongly as it is now doing. And this is a new twist, which is it's illegal for any company on the planet to do any kind of crypto business with China at all. So that's fine. The question is why? Why, 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 why? CNBC does not even make an attempt to answer why. Uh, New York Times does. New York Times assumes the same thing we assumed before we spoke to David Chang, which is that it's the... Uh, related to the fact that they've got their own central bank digital currency coming out soon and they don't want competition. That's what we assumed. We also assumed it might have something to do with energy usage because there was another headline yesterday from China that China's uh, really rationing energy usage and they're cracking down on energy usage. And in, in that energy usage article, they specifically named going after illegal Bitcoin mining. So, we thought that maybe that's it too. Maybe they're just really want to crack down all the illegal mining because it takes up energy and they're rationing energy. And maybe that's part of it too. So we had two assumptions. And then, uh, as I said, New York Times here says, here's the, let, let, let me go in order. Here's CNBC. CNBC says China central bank says all cryptocurrency related activities are illegal, vows harsh crackdown. And it just goes on and on. And then they give a quote from China, which says overseas virtual currency exchanges that use the internet to offer services to uh, Chinese residents is also considered illegal financial activity, the central bank said. Uh, work, uh, the People's Bank of China said it was also improved its system to step up monitoring of crypto-related transactions and root out speculative investing. So to Amaze's point, they're watching the chain too, and they're going to be looking for anyone doing anything who they think is based in China, and they're going to crack down on them. Financial institutions and non-bank payment institutions cannot offer services to activities and operations related to virtual currencies, the central bank said. Okay, no no attempt to uh, explain why the, from CNBC. So shame on you, CNBC, for not even answering the interesting question, which is, why are they doing this? You didn't even try, CNBC. You didn't even try to answer the obvious question here. Why are they doing this? New York Times, to their credit, in their own headline says, China cracks down harder on cryptocurrency with new ban. The clampdown comes as China's central bank has been testing its own digital currency. There you go, New York Times. New York Times, you actually had uh, an interesting expo potential explanation as to why this is happening now. And you included it in your headline. Good on you, New York Times. Good on you. You're right. What an interesting coincidence. Help inform your audience and your readership as to why they might be doing this. And you included it in your headline. Nice. It turns out you're wrong. <laughs> turns out that's a good assumption. We assumed that too when we read the headline 24 hours ago. We thought, you know what? Hey, they're also coming out with their, crypt, their own central bank digital currency. I wonder if this big crackdown has something to do with the fact that the Olympics is coming in February. We already know. They've already said they're going to try and use the Olympics as a way to get everyone who's arriving internationally to uh, try out their new central bank digital currency. And so to do this, you know, you got a timeline that's only a few months away now, four or five months away. We got to stop all non-central bank digital currency activities from happening, get everyone focused on this. We thought it might be that. The other headline about energy usage and cracking down on illegal mining, maybe it's got something to do with they want to crack down on energy. So we reached out to our friend David Chang in Beijing.
who happened to have an incredible, impeccable track record of really knowing what's really going on. And let me give you one example where he used to join us every day and take news around the world. And then he's, he was not appearing as often. And he sent Cal and I, Cal is our traditional co-moderator here. He sent us some DMs of photographs of himself in Texas with a shit ton of crypto mining rigs. I mean, tens of thousands, a warehouse full of crypto miners. And saying, hey, sorry, I've been busy, guys. I'm actually, we're trying to move all of the crypto mining from China uh, up in near Inner Mongolia, which is where a lot of it happens, to Texas. And so I've been quite busy. Sorry, I won't be in the room a lot lately. And then two weeks later, we see a headline, China bans crypto mining. And then the day after that, we see crypto miners uh, now look to Texas. And me and Cal were like, holy shit. And I think Cheryl was in that DM thread as well with the photos of David with the mining in Texas. And we're like, holy shit. I mean, David had told us that he's the, a manager of crypto mining in China. And this certainly added an incredible amount of validity to that. And then and, and he also say he's working for the authorities. Right. I mean, he works. He's very highly connected at the very high levels. So then he's also been incredibly informative on these tech crackdowns and the education crackdown. And the, he really predicted the whole housing crackdown thing, this Evergrande thing that's going underway. And so we reached out to David 24 hours ago when the headlines broke that China's now cracking down harder on cryptocurrencies and making an illegal yada, yada, yada. And the New York Times. I, do, I read the whole article. They assume it has something to do with them releasing their cryptocurrency as we did. That's what we assume, too. It's a smart SNS. Yeah, those two things might go hand in hand. But boy, did he drop a bomb on us about the real reason they're cracking down right now. Do you want to know what it is? Because it's going to be interesting to see how long it takes for all the other world-renowned corporate journalism to figure out what we figured out by speaking to our friend who happens to be in this industry on the ground. It turns Can I out. take a guess? Yeah, go ahead. Can I take a guess? Take a guess. Um, and, and I proposed this a couple of months ago on the show that uh, China has ambitions to replace the dollar with the yuan as an international currency. And one pathway to doing that would be to have asymmetric exchange rates that would require that the yuan be the digital yuan be the preeminent currency within China as well as with all of its trading partners globally uh, to displace the dollar as the international standard currency. Yeah, there, you... um, go ahead. I, I thought it was also capital flight that a lot of the, as, as he cracks down people, a lot of people are shifting. This is it's yeah, capital flight is. Um where my money is, Tyler. I, I think what the Chinese government, the CCB, is gearing up to do is make domestic bondholders forever grand whole, but leave everybody else, international bondholders, um, holding the baby. Right. This is, this, is, this is China leading the brigade of the global decoupling of the dollar hegemon as the leading monetary and defense instrument of the world. You, you know, you have to zoom back. You have to zoom back to when we left the gold standard, right? Everyone on the planet was on a gold or some kind of silver reserve. And any large established country was working on actual asset-backed currencies. 
when we went into full-blown fractional reserve currency, fiat money, as we like to call it now, we had to find customers. And the only customer we had was China, who could buy our dollars by producing goods. Now, you have to understand that China only has one product they're focused on right now. That's the digital yuan. If, you, if, if they say, you can only trade with me in yuan, guess what? I got to take my dollars and convert them into yuan to do business with China. That's how you upset the dollar hegemon. However, they're poking the bear because there's a third rail called the decentralized movement. I'm not trying to dumb it down, but Bitcoin is their biggest competitor. And, 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 and we're not talking about the United States. The United States solves problems very easily. We start wars. People need to buy our weapons. It creates demand for our product, the U.S. dollar. China has to do it a different way. They have to grow into prosperity. They have to grow their dollar demand. And they go into emerging countries and they do what they do. And I'll shut up and, now, but that's how and, I see and, things. And the so, other three so explanations. Yeah, the so other I'm going to go with capital float. Sorry, Chris, I'm going to go with capital yeah, but, uh, Yes, every, everyone today is guessing the right answer, which David uh, filled in for us. It was that stimulus. Here's what he I said. Hey, David, what's your take on China crack, crypto crackdown news today? He responded two minutes later. Stimulus packages and bailouts to come related to Evergrande need to pull the need to plug all the holes before that comes or a great deal of it will get siphoned off. When it ends up in yeah, the but what's, what's the reason driving that? The reason is basically the domestic investors in China um, uh, have shown in the past week, you know, that, that they're happy to cause sort of social unrest. You know, th their economy is so exposed to property that if they don't make the domestic bondholders and investors whole, they have a social, they have a problem, you know, that they, they have a problem in their society. So they can't afford that to happen. But also they can't afford that the bailout immediately leaks its way, find its way through right. cryptocurrencies um, out of China. So they want that money to stay in Correct. China. You know, they're going to print that money Correct. like the U.S. and the European banks. They're going to create it out of nothing. They're going to make the domestic uh, investors whole. But they want that money to be spent in China. They want it to remain in China. Right. They can't, and it relates to their digital yuan because to, before really kicking off their digital yuan, they have to make sure the boat is watertight and that there is no way for leaking to happen. And I believe that's partly why Macau came into this to some extent. And I believe a lot of activities kind of all line up nicely around this. And David makes exactly this point about capital flight. And uh, interestingly, the New York Times, the BBC, the Wall Street Journal, Bloomberg, none of them get that. None of them. Uh, in fact, the quotes that they get from the quote unquote experts, which I like, which echo exactly what we were saying three weeks ago. One of their experts says this is really about establishing a state monopoly in payments. The most obvious implication is that the state will have more opportunities to monitor citizens' economic activity. Yeah, that's what we said three months ago when they were announcing the the digital yuan trials. Yeah, so I don't I don't know that you're an expert. Anybody, you know, we we <laughs> anybody in this room could have given you that. Given you came up with that many many months ago. Obviously, that's happening. But about this particular new um, 
hey, if, if, even if you're a crypto company from Estonia, you cannot do business with anybody from China, period, period, period. We will come after you. We are mo- we are looking for it. We are monitoring. We are using our resources to make sure they got to make sure. No, once they switch over to their digital currency, there's no leaks in the boat. Tyler. Yes, but it's but it's because of the Evergrande, um, uh, a lot of the bailouts that are coming, he says, basically. Yeah, and, and I don't know if you guys saw, I tweeted to you, Tyler, this is in a uh, in last 24 hours since this announcement was made, $400 million of cryptocurrency sold, uh, you know, offloaded in China. Tyler. Yeah, man. Yeah, I mean, this is a very uh, unique situation, right? Because what you're seeing right now is what my trader Joe Chris said, right? But the part of it that's going to be very interesting is is like there's a lot of organizations like Binance and stuff like that that are heavily connected to China in terms of how they have a lot of money. KuCoin, um, uh, HitBTC. I mean, there's a lot of these exchanges that are heavily Asia-based. So I think what this is going to do, and I think, Tyler, you're seeing a bit of my crazy rabbit hole research and this is why David's got mines in the United, mining in the United States, because he had mentioned that to me as well, because I was talking to him about it way before when it happened. It's going to be very interesting because I believe what's happening is, is all of the movement of the mining will go to the United States. But as it goes to the United States, I have a couple of questions about that. One is the sovereignty of the mines of those companies going to the U.S. belong to the United States. Or will it be belonging to the people that bring it over which are Chinese? That would be my first question. My second question would be all of these exchanges and all of these platforms, they have a lot of Asian money. As I think I didn't pronounce the name of the gentleman who just said that he's seen the 400, the money go off of the exchange, money go out of that, those exchanges or those Asian markets in the crypto space. I would be very curious to know how those exchanges will still manage if all that money goes off i think if they move it off into ledgers no one's going to know they have it so that's going to be very interesting because they would have to then request that information of their citizens because that's not going to be given away that easily and that's what on chain shows on chain shows when things get moved off over to Mm -hmm. a cold wallet and if they move to a cold wallet that's not connected to the internet you'll never know they have it and that's going to be very interesting because if they offload money and they offloaded the crypto, not admitting or denying or anything like that, just not nefarious things, but they can't offload it. And if they offload it, it'll be a cold storage. That will have to be something that they will have to tell someone they have it. Just saying. Okay, here we go. Next one up is from CNBC. It says production crew union says Apple claimed less than 20 million TV Plus subscribers in the U.S. and Canada as of July 1, allowing Apple to pay workers lower rates. A showbiz union representing behind-the-scenes workers uh, 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 says Apple claimed less than 20 million Apple TV subscriptions in the U.S. and Canada. And by claiming that, they pay lower rates. They're insinuating that they actually have more and they're claiming less so that they don't have to pay unions uh, in for producing their shows in Canada. Apple claimed its TV Plus service has less than 20 million subscribers in the U.S. and Canada as of July, allowing it to pay behind-the-scenes production crew lower rates than streamers with more subscriptions, according to International Alliance of Theatrical Stage Employees, a union that represents TV and movie workers who perform jobs like operating cameras and building sets. 
Apple has never revealed subscriber numbers for its Apple TV streaming service, which launched in the fall of 2019. Analysts are reluctant to offer estimates, but many say that its scale pales in comparison to services like Netflix, which claims 209 million subscribers, so 10x. As of Q2 and Disney Plus, which claims 116 million, the fact that Apple can pay a discounted rate despite being the most valuable publicly traded company in the world highlights some of the issues facing Hollywood workers as streaming supplants linear TV and movies and is and is rising ire among union members who are deciding whether to strike for better pay and working conditions under the current contract. Higher high budget productions intended for streaming Platforms can offer lower rates to workers if the streaming service has less than 20 million subscribers in the U.S. and Canada, which is determined on July 1 every year. Apple told the union that it had less than 20 million subscribers. As a union spokesperson said, the union is currently in negotiations with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers over a new contract. Apple is a member of the alliance, but the alliance negotiates for all its members and doesn't create carve-outs for specific companies, according to the spokesperson for the group. An Apple spokesperson declined to comment on subscriber numbers, but said the company pays rates in line with leading streaming services. Under the current contract, productions made for streaming services are governed under less strict labor terms than traditional TV shows or movies because streaming profitability is presently uncertain and productions needed greater flexibility according to a copy of the contract provided by CNBC or provided to or reviewed by. But union leaders argue that streaming is no longer a particularly new form of media and companies that bankroll streaming productions should pay rates closer to what traditional media uh, do. And it says workers on certain new media streaming projects get paid less, even on productions with budgets that rival or exceed those of traditional released blockbusters. An IATSE press release said this week, noting the negotiations had stalled. And so they're gearing up for a strike. IATSE is gearing up for a strike. Exposed, its spokesman said the ballots allowing the union's 150,000 members to authorize a strike will be sent out October 1st. While new media pay rates are one of the issues currently under the negotiation, the most pressing issue is working conditions on set, including long working hours, which have gotten worse during the COVID-19 pandemic. The union spokesperson said celebrities and actors have stated have started to post messages on social media supporting the union strike. And Apple's reportedly set up a $15 million per episode of shows like The Morning Show to try and bulk up its service with premium content. Apple also bundled free trials, blah, blah, blah. Uh, NBC Universal's Peacock and Viacom's Paramount Plus also have under 20 million subscribers, allowing them to ask for discounts on labor, the, the union spokesperson said. A Viacom spokesperson said the company doesn't break out Paramount Plus streaming numbers, NBC Universal didn't have a comment by publication time. Well, Tyler, Tyler make a, let me make a, a point on some of these subscriber numbers. And you have to be very careful when looking at them because each one of them reports differently. So, some of them, um, like NBC Peacock, I can tell you actually, when they want to make the number look richer, they'll tell you they have 40 million subscribers, but then they'll admit that only 10, 10, only 10 million of them actually pay. Right. Because there's a lot of people getting free Peacock service on one of them, you know, because they've been ro- rolling it out. So if you have a certain cable service, you get it for free. Uh, there's a lot of bundles going on with um, the cellular phone companies. So, you know, all these numbers are, you know, are, you know, you have to look at it, you know, in, in that regard. Apple Apple even gives a lot of um, 
you know, um, free trials and stuff. So I'm sure when they're negotiating with the union, it's only going to be the lowest number. It's going to be, you know, whatever is the actual paid subscription. Right. Because, you know, okay, so I just want to point that out. Yeah. Um, but yeah. You it's, very, that, it's a very uh, good point, Tyler, you, because, I mean, everybody gets a free subscription when they buy a new um, iPhone 12 or 13. Right. And what if it's a bundled thing with Apple Plus and if you get the news and disk space and all these other things, and it includes a free version of Apple TV Plus. So you're not a paid subscriber of Apple TV Plus, but you're still getting the content, but you're not a paid subscriber. And what the contract is about is paid subscribers of Apple TV Plus. Well, we don't have 20 million. We've only got 19.9 million. But it, strangely, everyone's buying our new you know, Apple One package, which happens to include a free member, an unpaid free membership to our Apple TV Plus. Very, it's a very clever way to, you know. Anyway, so the next one is a viral TikTok video from July caused many young women to use Prolific, which is a survey website for scientists, skewing the demographic data for thousands of studies. Thousands of scientific studies had to had to toss out weeks of data because a 56-second TikTok video by a teenager. The July 23rd video is a short and is short and simple. It opens with a recent Florida high school graduate and self-described teen author, Sarah Frank, sitting in her bedroom and smiling at the camera. Welcome to Side Hustles. I recommend trying part one, she says in the video, pointing users to the website prolific.co. Basically, it's a bunch of surveys for different amounts of money and different amounts of time. That video got 4.1 million views in the month after it was posted and sent tens of thousands of new users flooding to the prolific platform. Prolific, a tool for scientists conducting behavioral research, had no screening tools in place to make sure that it delivered representative population samples to each study. Suddenly, scientists used to getting a wide mix of subjects for their prolific studies saw their surveys flooded with responses from young women around Frank's age. For researchers who rely on representative samples of U.S. population, that demographic shift was a major problem with no obvious cause and no immediate clear way to fix. In the days and weeks after Frank's post her video, researchers scrambled to figure out what was happening to their studies. <laughs> a member of the Stanford Behavioral Laboratory posted on the prolific forum, we have noticed a huge leap in the number of participants on the platform in the U.S. pool from 40,000 to 80,000, which is great, however... Now, a lot of our studies have a gender skew where maybe 85% of the pop of the participants are women, plus the age has been averaging around 21. Wayne State psychologist uh, Hannah Schechter seems to have been the first person to crack the case. This may be far reached, she tweeted, linking to Frank's video, but given the timing, virality of the video, and the user's follower demographics, <laughs> she did, she, but she figured it out. She's like, maybe this video is the source of it, yeah. It's probably because there was females filling out the testicular cancer survey or something. Um, you know, it's like, hey, fill out the survey if you have testicular cancer. And it's like, oh, what's your what's your gender? Female. Uh, what's your age? 25. You know. Interesting. And they show an actual graph in this article that I'll tweet out for people to see. And you can see how the chart, it was basically 50 percent male, female through July and then all of a sudden boom in in early August it jumps up to you know overwhelmingly female 
uh, quite funny. So the next one, shall we, is uh, from Fortune that Jeremy Liu, Bijan Sabet, and Roger Ehrenberg stepping down from active roles at their at their re rep respective VC firms reflects a broader gen generational shift in the VC industry. Over the course of the past week, three venture capitalists have announced plans to step back from their investing roles at their respective firms. And um, uh, friends of mine who are v notable VCs were chatting about this and uh, one of them quipped, you know, it's, there, there's been some fantastic returns in, in recent uh, months and years. And they, these folks have more money than they could spend in the rest of their lifetime. So why not step down? There's a whole lot of profit, you know, taking money off the table. And yeah, uh, over the, it says Lightspeed's Jeremy Liu, known, for, known well for his early bet on Snapchat, made his news public last Friday. Uh, I'll, I'll let you figure out with the guy who invested in Snapchat why he might be stepping down as an investor. He has more money than his great-grandchildren will ever spend. So uh, six days later, Spark Capital co-founder and general partner Bajan Sabet announced he too was stepping back, as did IA Ventures' Roger Ehrenberg. Liu will continue to work with portfolio companies and with developing the next generation Sabet noted he would continue to be active in portfolio companies, blah, 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 blah. Their motivations for stepping back diverge, but there is a good reason to think this is not just a coincidence and that more exits from venture capital firms will come due to a whole lot, host of factors. For starters, there is a broader generational shift happening across the industry. Just look at the above three investors. Lou helped build Lightspeed's consumer invest, investing reputation after starting his career there 15 years ago. Spark began its formation 17 years ago, while IA Ventures launched some 12 years ago. All three of the investors are in their 50s and are, in a sense now, handing off the torch to the next generation, at least from the investing point of view. Notably, Benchmark, one of the biggest names in the VC space, has also been undergoing a generational shift. Bill Gurley, also in his 50s, effectively stepped back last year after famously writing a piece about the benefits of the youth in venture investing several years ago. As tech valuations balloon, the exits come pouring in seemingly for every fund. The net worth of investors behind the scenes is also growing dramatically, allowing them to move on to other passions. You figured it out. Well done, Fortune. But even as checks and wallets grow, so does the bone-deep exhaustion catalyzed by the surge in competition within venture capital for deals. That's true, too. The upshot is that as tech companies are battled are battling it out for talent and dealing with resignations, so too are firms in the investing side of the equation. It's also worth mentioning that the venture industry has not always done a good job with transitions historically. Uh, but yeah, they, let me see who wrote that. Lucidia Shen, well done. You figured it out. It's They're making too much money. And, uh, hey, Ty Tyler? Yes. Ben. Speaking of making much money, did you know that somebody cashed out uh, 1,300 Bitcoins uh, moments before the announcement came from the uh, Chinese authorities? Oh, interesting. 1,366 uh, Bitcoin was withdrawn, were withdrawn uh, moments, is a minute, or can't, I can't tell whether the seconds or, mo or minutes. Uh, and then prior, a day prior, the same person withdrew 952 Bitcoins. So I was wondering whether that person was the same person that moved the operation of mining to Texas. <laughs> you can probably hear the twilight music here. Yeah. Um, what is 13... 1300 or 13,000, did you say? 
1366 so it's probably 56 million dollars yeah and then plus 900 a day before so it just appears to be somebody might be in the know before mm -hmm. the actual announcement came about anyway okay. if you don't have the twilight music that's fine that's all right yeah it's not hardly twilight <laughs> it's, it's uh, not enough yeah. yeah um what a run by one of the kindest most so uh, mutual friend of my uh, own Malik, who I'm very uh, fond of, is congratulating his friend Bajan, who is a sweetheart, and says, What a run by one of the kindest, most generous, upstanding human beings. I have always learned from him about the art of importance of entrepreneurship. Yeah, uh, th they make a good point also that uh, it is getting much, much, much more competitive in investor land as everybody and their cousin's dog is becoming a tech investor. So it used to be. Uh, Tyler. So Tyler, yes. uh, on that note, what, uh, as you may have, you know, people are talking about this and I'm, I'm sorry, I haven't been here all week, but I was going to say that this week, one of the biggest things in VC world was that a bunch of different VCs were retiring out of nowhere. Right. We just, we just read that story. A lot of talk about this. Yeah. And so one of the things that, uh, was being mentioned is the why same to what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and I feel like a lot of people are conflating the why from like uh, the competition side, which is what I think you were just talking about. Mm -hmm. I want to make sure that people also realize that a lot of these VCs just made an insane amount of money with their 10 year funds and mm -hmm. to start, and they've raised two or three funds already. I don't know if you already mentioned that. I apologize. Mm -hmm. yep. Yeah. There's a bunch of things. It's just like everybody on the planet, like this whole COVID work from home thing, uh, value, readjustment of you know spending time you know blah 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 that's obviously playing a factor like it does for everybody they just happen to simultaneously be starting to rake in their um you know it to make money as a vc it takes uh yeah seven-ish years for a fund to run its life cycle and now there's uh you know now they've got the money is in the bank and post-covid and so it's a three, I would say three factors, the two I just mentioned and the fact that Tiger Globe, there's a new, well, there's a just a, an explosion, uh, an absolute explosion of people investing in tech now, big, big money people investing in tech. And fourthly, you have a new style of tech investing, like the, the Tiger Global kind of rapid uh, minimal due diligence approach where entrepreneurs know, you know, if they take a meeting with Tiger and Tiger likes it, pff, the money's in the bank, bada boom, bada bing. You don't need to go meet with nobody else no more, baby. <laughs> Get back to work. And it's, a it's a whole new world. <laughs> it's a whole new world. And the traditional VCs who like to take a more traditional approach, that honestly, I think, concerns them a little bit. That's going to be well, a little... they've lost their leverage. I mean, right. so, you know, when cash was the scarce resource. Correct. And, and now founders i can tell you that there are two things that are kind of an insanely scarce resource one is tech talent and the other are the founders that can recruit tech talent it's a really interesting world right now and you're right like you can have a conversation uh, and within two weeks not only have a term sheet but cash in the bank it's unheard of yeah and i think the the trade and then with all the respect in the world to bijan and jeremy and roger who are named in this article this new hyper, 
I don't know what the term's going to be. Someone's going to come up, coin a term for the, the new kind of format of Tiger Global, how they're getting in on all these deals. And um, that, you know, that's just a new pace. And they're, you know, the, the traditional VCs and all the new players that are investing. It's gotten a lot harder for the VCs It's a, in, in a way that they're not used to. And they might not be up for picking up the pace, uh, you know, as they get to the 24th mile of the marathon and that all that money's kind of weighing them down and that 20, you know, as they approach the finish line, I don't know that they want to go another lap around the pool, you know, with that, all those bags of money weighing on them with these new kids who are running, you know, able to outswim them. Maybe I'll just hand over the torch. You know, that's, that's what's going on. It's it's become much uh, more competitive in the VC space. And uh, yeah. To the benefit of entrepreneurs, by the way, that's why you're seeing all these fundraising announcements. Like we have, Jesus, Gorilla raised a billion yesterday. Holy cow! Holy smokies! So, uh, it, I mean, just for those who don't know, it's the we are living in the golden age of entrepreneurship right now. For if you're doing a Tyler, startup, because I'm raising funds, can you please give me the name of your cousin's dog? I need to get it on my list. <laughs> yeah, me too. Me too. I want that. Yep. Let's connect. Woof, woof. Yeah. Uh, the next story is a look at serialized story services like Amazon's Kindle Vela as combined IAP revenue, in-app purchase revenue of top seven services grew an estimated 50% year over year to $12 million per month in May and July. Amazon's Kindle Vela spotlights the growing market for episodic stories designed for mobile devices unfolding as larger narratives over time. Okay, that's interesting. The next one is that uh, Whole Foods, one of America's uh, supermarkets, which Amazon acquired a few years back, will now charge $9.95 grocery delivery fee across the U.S. beginning October 25th, rolling back one of Amazon Prime's perks. Uh, and Amazon Prime is a subscription in the U.S. where people pay to get free delivery, including Whole Foods. But now that they're kind of walking back the free Whole Foods delivery for Amazon Prime, that perk. So now it's going to be $10 per delivery. The next one from the LA Times, how TikTok's auto-generated tools helped popularize subtitles in app in the app as creators compete for an estimated 75% of users who leave their phones on mute. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, TikTok creator Alyssa McKay has perfected a persona people love to hate, a Regina George-esque rich girl whose bouncy raps are packed with in-jokes about Met Gala invites and counterfeit Dolce Gabbana purses, but despite their fun lyrics and high-production values, her sketches are far from guaranteed to hold the interest of her 8.7 million followers who may be scrolling their feeds with their phones on mute while at work or watching TV or whose English might not be fluent enough to keep up with her torrent of references. For her, the solution to many of these obstacles is the same, which is subtitles. Here's the quote. Our attention spans are so short now that I feel like closed captioning and putting the captions up on the screen is closed captioning isn't an option is so crucial, she says. It captions the attention. It captures the attention of people and they're all and they're able to actually process what's going on. 
a video app known primarily as a place to watch dances and lip syncs, lip, lip syncs set to popular songs. TikTok has emerged as an unlikely forum for text in the form of its increasing ubiquitous captions. Open the app and you'll see them everywhere. Overlaid atop memes embedded in the stand-up comedy clips flashing by in movie trailers, users can write their own in a number of eye-catching fonts and colors or as April uh, or as as of April let TikTok auto-generate them. The platform's closed captioning hashtag sits at more than 4 billion views. That might seem surprising after all subtitles are a notoriously big obstacle for American movie audiences who rate foreign language films the lowest of all film genres, and the Gen Zers who make up TikTok's main demographic grew up on an internet rich with video and audio where reading was strictly optional. Although there's a drift in digital technologies away from text and towards a more multimedial representation of reality, uh, TikTok subtitles complement rather than replace the app's core video elements. It's part of the general trend of more fully represented reality, Hilbert said, citing an academic framework. That's interesting. That, that one of the clever hacks put 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 the 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 text into the video, which they automate for you anyways. But yeah, seem, it seems seems to improve to your how, viewership on TikTok. It also points to how people use like TikTok and Instagram, which is they speak to their friends in group chats and like share videos and TikToks. And like you can do that on um, FaceTime, the new FaceTime, I believe now as well. So. Yeah, it's all made to like keep people streaming, so it also helps with all of that stuff. But I like the I like the idea that what percentage of TikTokers will use the app in silent mode, so to speak, at work or in other contexts? Probably a lot. Like if they knew they could listen, enjoy TikTok silently, that's there's probably millions of people a day that that adds to the potential market of viewers but you're only really going to reach them if you include your titles and that's kind of genius so if you're one of the few content creators who's doing the the text in the videos and it might be also eye-catchy and you might have a ton because tiktok is such an international app it probably opens it up to a lot of international people who uh don't can't understand the the spoken language fast enough but they can you know watch the text and get more contextual enjoyment out of it so it opens you up to a broader international audience if you have the text in there's interesting hacks for grow going you know gaining audience market share in in social media apps pretty clever so a company called stairwell which scans companies data to detect if they are currently compromised or were in the past raises 20 million from sequoia and excel and those are two of the biggest smartest investors on the planet so that might be an interesting space. And by the way, I've never said this before, but one of the big reasons we read out these fundraising announcements, they, they might not seem that interesting. In fact, they are, because these are the startups of tomorrow that are getting funded now that the investors are interested in now that are the trends that the really informed investors are throwing big bets on. So that's why I always read these fundraising announcements. This is a company that scans company data to detect if they're currently compromised or were in the past. That's cybersecurity. That's a huge space. This, The fact that Sequoia and Excel, two of the smartest investors on the planet, are investing in that tells you there's still tons of opportunity to innovate in that space. 
tons, 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 tons. It's almost guaranteed not to lose if you do a cybersecurity company. If you can acquire decent team members to build a cybersecurity solution, there's so much demand for cybersecurity and there's so much up. That's such an easy sell. The only difficult part is you're competing with other smart people. But my God, there's just an endless demand at the moment for uh, solving those very those very real pain points. You're solving real problems if you have a cybersecurity solution. People have real expensive problems with cybersecurity. And you come along and you can sell all day long into that. So that's that's going to continue for the foreseeable future. Micromobility scooters, that was big a couple of years ago. That market's kind of getting sewn up and consolidated as we speak. Now, buy now, pay later, pretty much getting to its ripe stage. And, uh, you know, there's, we're going to start to see consolidation in that space. The the 20 minute, you know, instant delivery in your neighborhood. My God, is that booming bigger than anything the internet has ever seen at the moment? Like a, a uh, dozen. Look, of, hmm? What about care now, pay later? Care now, pay later? Yeah, healthcare. As in oh, healthcare. healthcare. Now. Oh, I love that. Um, oh my God, I love that. I think Froz just. Been, I think you know. Fro- I think Froz just figured been, out his unicorn well, startup. No, no, it's been around for four years. <laughs> I mean, I th- I thought it was a unicorn startup, but Marcus and audience, who's a part of the group, he actually informed me about it, and I checked it out. It's actually been around for four years. Care now, pay later. Yeah. It's just the traditional U.S. model. You know, you you get treated now and you pay for the rest of your life. I'm just kidding. <laughs> get get sued later. Get... It's 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 exactly buy now, pay later, but for 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 healthcare with telemedicine. So, uh, uh, not exactly telemedicine, but it's it's basically so. For example, Klarna does care now, pay later. So Klarna is BNPL, but it's also CNPL. So Klarna will come in and pay your hospital bills for you in the same method that they'll pay for your consumer goods. I love it. I mean, I I mean, I found out this weekend. (laughs) I had no idea this space existed. You're going to see, by by the way, one of the hot trends right now is buy now, pay later for non-consumer stuff, like for businesses. Of all different types, because businesses need loans or whatever. It's like why not? Why not offer extend that to businesses? Is pretty clever. So, um, like you could, if you were an enter, if you were a app used by businesses, and which is known as enterprise or SaaS. Like I don't know what's a really popular one. Um, I guess Mailchimp or something. What's a what's a good one? And you know. You want to do it now, but you, you know, want to make sure you've got the customers before you start paying. And MailChimp says, oh, you know, you don't have to pay the $100 a month now. And we'll break that up. Although the problem is it doesn't work in SaaS too well because SaaS is already monthly payments. So you have to find one that's not based in, on a monthly payment format. But anywho, next one is which one? A soul based company called 3i, an immersive experience startup focusing on the metaverse tech ai and ar vr raises they, they, wow they're doing everything all at once um raises 24 million dollars 3i a seoul korea immersive experience company specializing in metaverse 
technology, AI, augmented and virtual reality. And then the next one is documents show a company. This is from Politico. And Politico is pretty freaking good. And Politico says documents show that Clearview AI, which we happen to talk about once in a while in this room, once at least once or twice. It's a facial recognition system. <clears throat> the America's kind of uh, version of uh, what is the one out of Hong Kong there, out of Shenzhen, the uh, um, clear, no, Clearview is the American one. Jesus, since time. And Russia has PEM eyes and there's other ones. Anyway, Clearview AI, documents show Clearview AI subpoenaed internal documents and correspondence from advocacy groups and civil society coalitions that first exposed its activity. And many of the folks in the room know that we, one of the contributors who join us daily here in tech news around the world is one of the co-founders of Clearview AI. And it says the controversial facial recognition company that scrapes public images from social media to aid law enforcement probes has subpoenaed internal documents from some of the groups that first exposed its activities. The firm served subpoenas in August to civil society coalition, the open government, its policy analyst, Freddie Martinez and the police accountability nonprofit that he'd previously founded Lucy Parsons labs and demanding any correspondence they'd had with journalists about Clearview and its leaders as well as information they'd uncovered about the company and its founders in public records requests over the last four years. The subpoenas, the subpoenas obtained by Politico could draw the groups into lengthy court battles and, they argue, dissuade others from taking on Clearview or other companies working on potentially problematic technologies. David Brody, counsel and senior fellow for privacy and technology at the not let's pick, has anyone pinged in Charles yet? Let's get his take on this. Uh, 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 yeah, ping. I'll do it now. Okay. So Charles, who joins us practically daily, uh, is a co-founder of this company, and it would be interesting to hear his take on this. It sounds like very clever uh, offensive slash defensive legal maneuvering. And there he is. Let's ping him. Okay. And actually, he always responds really fast to um, uh, uh, a different platform. So I'm going to ping him on the platform where he generally pings me first and get his comment on this. Can you join now? Boom. And he normally does pop in. So we'll wait for Charles to pop in. But while, he, while, he's, uh, while we wait for that, the article says, Authorities have been using Clearview software for several years to try and match images in government databases and surveillance footage with billions of personal photos posted to the internet. Privacy, human rights, Clearview's attorney, Andrew Lichtman, said in a statement that Clearview AI is vigorously defending itself against claims in multi-district litigation and therefore has served subpoenas to appropriate parties related to its defense. That litigation is a privacy case in Illinois district court that does not appear to involve open the government uh, or the others that were subpoenaed. Clearview did not respond to a question on how the communications with journalists were relevant to the Illinois case. Well, it might not be. You're kind of making an assumption there. 
here's a quote. They presumably have massive amounts of resources at their disposal. We do not, Rosenberg said in the interview, adding that nonprofits could potentially be bullied by Clearview. Charles on stage. Okay. Mr. Charles, welcome back, Hello. sir. Hello. Hey, hey, so we're... We're just discovered the Politico article, which happens to be about article number 15 in my top list of daily stories. I wonder, first, have you seen it? Uh, I have. Yes. I read it. Okay. Yep. And it says uh, Clearview's um, subpoenaed some folks who previously had been uh, trying to, I guess, take down Clearview. Yeah, it goes into, um, I think Freddie, Freddie Martinez is the main, uh, guy who was, uh, subpoenaed and, um, look, I mean, you know, there's, there's a, a mugshot of Freddie Martinez being arrested, uh, at a protest after he beat a woman with, I think he hit her with like a pipe or something. So he is part of this sort of like, uh, anarchist bent in American politics that doesn't like facial recognition because it likes taking to the streets and because he, like, because he likes hitting old ladies with pipes. Yeah, because I mean, he I mean, I, I don't know if it was a pipe, so I want to be careful there because I don't want to. But but he did <laughs> right. assault somebody and he was arrested for it. And and in fact, when we when we ran him through Clearview because he was part of this anti-police, you know, uh, operation. Uh, when we ran him through Clearview, we actually found, like, lo and behold, like, his mugshot. So, you know, I, I think that's, first and foremost, like, that's a tremendous conflict of interest, right? Like, obviously, the, the criminal elements in our in our population are going to be against facial recognition, right? One would expect that they would be, right? And right. G- given that a lot of crime increasingly is organized crime, and given that a lot of organized crime has foreign intelligence connections often— you know, one could look at, uh, you know, how, how riots are being instigated by, on like, say, the January 6th matter, where, you know, people like like a Charles Bossman, uh, B-A-U-S-M-A-N, you know, was an actual Russian spy, like, in the crowd uh, on January 6th, actually in the Capitol, no less. So this idea that, like, we're going to just, like, be like, oh, well, you know, my, my privacy, we don't need to know who's, you know, at these places in nationally, you know, important events that's just going away. Like, like we are going to be talking about how the Chinese use crowdfunding, you know, how the Russians use, uh, you know, causing riots at Charlottesville uh, or January 6th or how the Israelis try to like install Trump as their forever dictator. Um, like we're, we're going to be talking about that. Like, so that, that's just like going to happen. So then what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about all of these so-called activist, activist groups, dark money groups and the like, uh, which is kind of a peculiarly American thing. And, and it sort of dates from Citizens United, right? This uh, Supreme Court case uh, a while back, which essentially argued that, you you know, that we have that foreigners and others can basically spend unlimited amounts of money in politics without it being disclosed, which brings me to uh, the Lucy Parsons lab. Um, you know, there is an indication that that lab and that sort of anti-police group, which is subpoenaing police officers and subpoenaing itself, it's, it's sort of harassing law enforcement. Um, there is an indication that it has weird connections to foundations, which themselves had weird, weird connections to foreign outfits. So obviously the purpose of a lawsuit is, you know, discovery is a, is a, is a key part of a lawsuit. 
And so obviously we're going to be engaging in that kind of thing. And then one final thing, um, you know, uh, Freddie Martinez does have connections with a lot of anarchist movements in Chicago, which have also caused all these all these riots and shutdowns and protests and so forth in the Chicago area. And so. Um, so, yeah. So. So, uh, you know, I'm not involved with the day to day operations of Clearview. That may well change in the not too distant future. Um, hint, hint. Um, but. Um, but I would just say in general, um, you know, uh, certainly the direction Clearview is going in right now and will certainly go in more in the future is actually taking the fight to these groups. Um, and I should say, too, as on a final thing, um, you know, there's the book, The Contrarian, that just came out about Peter Thiel. Um, you know, I mentioned, I think, 40 or 50 times in that book. Um, I don't want to bore people with it because um, uh, there's a lot of like very subtle things going on in that book. Um, but one of the things that gets very right is that Clearview itself is an attack on Facebook, which I and other people who are sort of intelligence community adjacent regard as a cancer on major society, that it's polarizing people, it's leading to violence, you know, it's, it's, it's being used to facilitate human trafficking, uh, the mistreatment of women. I mean, really, really sick shit. I mean, if, you know, if I can be technical about it. And so, um, and so basically Clearview is basically stripping or nationalizing, as it were, all of the photos on social media in the hopes that the state might use them for good. Um, so that, that's sort of a larger, that's sort of a larger frame here. And why does that matter for the context of this article? Well, um, Facebook is obviously engaged in a proxy war, as is Google, with Clearview by funding some of these outfits as well. Um, and they're not happy about being scraped, even though they themselves scraped all these websites to build them, build their own ad engine, uh, you know, which masquerades as a search engine or social network. So anyway, that that's the sort of like that's like the more detail than you wanted. But there you have it. I'm not happy to <laughs> uh, can, I, can I respond here quickly? Go ahead. OK, a few things first. Um, you first, if whatever this person did, I don't know. But he first said he hit someone with a pipe. Then you walk back and say, oh, no, he, maybe he didn't. I don't want to do that. That kind of that's, that's no, no, he did. He did assault somebody. I, I can't remember okay. if it was a pipe or not. But yes, yes he did assault but, somebody. But, and but, he did. And he did plead to it. Yes. Yes. No, no, no. I mean, my but, recollection of this now, it's been a few years since I've read it. So forgive yes, me. So, but um, but he did assault somebody and there is a mugshot of him. And if you if you want, I'm you can actually sure. go to Google and Google it for yourself. Um, I'm sure, but what I'm trying to say is that unless you're sure, don't say it. <laughs> but that being said, um, first, facial recognition is not accurate. At best, what does he moral get no, for? No, that's not true. Sorry. Uh, um, time out. Time out. Time out. Wrong. No, 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 no. no, no, no. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Charles, let, let her, let her self-incriminate. Go ahead, Rose. Wrong. It's actually wrong. Are you, are, are you telling me that your models are 100% accurate? No model, as far as I know and I've been around the block a while, um, is 100% accurate. So given inconsistent lighting, photos in crowds, people wearing different things, um, there are, have already been criminal cases where innocent people were picked up using facial recognition and convicted of crimes that they did not do. That, that, has, that has led. There have already been two cases and this NASA's expands, it will expand as well. Even if your system is 99.99% accurate, uh, if you feed it a thousand, a uh, hundred thousand, a million, 10 million, 
how many false uh, positives do you start getting? I have an answer. Ten thousand false positives. I mean, I mean, so, so, so one. Hey, Charles, let, I'll, let me let me take a stab at this. Wait, 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 wait. Let me continue, please. Second, you're telling me you're building a surveillance state by uh, you're helping the U.S. build a surveillance state by <laughs> scraping everyone's photos that they posted for themselves and their friends and family on social media, and using that to generate a massive database without consent. Consent of every single person in the U.S., whether they like it or not. No, in the world, and, and in the world, so in, in the world, not the U.S., but yes, go on. Cases. Yes, in the world. Yeah, in the world, not the so, U.S., uh, yes, go on. Cases. This, this, happened, this has happened multiple times across history, where such databases are often used for great evil and great ill. And it is not an if, it is not, it's, it's a when. This happened with the Dutch, the Dutch census. Um, this has happened... This is happening right now in places like India. It's happening in places like China. And we were, we know, we were this close um, in the US in the last election from losing democracy. And an actual general had to step in and say that this guy has lost his mind. Would you want to give that power to those people? To whoever holds that, whoever holds that key 40 years from now? 50 years from now, uh, 10 years from now, you know, you it is fundamentally responsible to do what you're doing. And I oppose it to such a degree that I'm actually raising money to fight people like you. And Good. Well, well, well you will lose. And I, I intend I intend to defeat you on behalf of all the women and children and uh, on behalf of the victims Look, of a, all the I'm spies. A, I'm a sexual assault survivor. survivor so first, okay, and, and then you should know. First. Then you should no, know. Listen, listen, listen. First, uh, I actually wrote a fairly long treatise about this. First, um, because of how inaccurate this is, the people, uh, the first, the people who most often abuse um, the others, uh, more, so more than 70% are intimate uh, people that the person already knows. So when childhood sexual abuse or trauma survivors or anything else happens. It happens in the family. It happens behind the doors. It's usually someone that child, the person, the woman trusts. Second, what you're doing is actually giving the abusers the tools that they need to hunt them down. Because the reason why my photo is not on social media is because my abusers are rich and powerful and they're able to afford services like yours to hunt people like me down. So you're well, doing if you're, that. If, in, if you're in the European Union, your your system, your photo's already in our database. Charles, so but let, yeah. let her finish. In a totally no, I mean, complete, I mean, she's, repeatedly, Charles, she's Char repeatedly libeled me, so I don't think I have to appreciate that. So no, no Char Charles, like, there has to be good. There has to be good faith in this discussion, or it, the discussion won't be able to be be had. So if we want to address factual matters, we can address those first, no, and I then mean, we can go actually, to more emotional ones. But yes, like, but no. no, I mean, to be compared I, I, to to be compared to Hitler which no, is I'm, essentially what I, she was I arguing earlier, actually, or to be compared to sexual abusers, or to be accused of making a bad product. No, like, I'm sorry, no, 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 no. I, I, stand, I stand my ground here and I, I go no further. So if we want to have a conversation, we want to have a conversation. No, 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 I let you libel me. You can go ahead, you can go ahead and you know, do it in a second, but no. Like, we are actually gonna have a conversation in the society about these things. So as to the point about facial recognition accuracies or inaccuracies, uh, the cases you're referring to are, are, are products built by a rival, uh, a company uh, by the name of N, uh, NEC, which is a Japanese.
Corporation, which I've actually worked very hard to ban from the United States because their training models, you know, were actually built for Japanese people rather than for a representative sample of the American population. Um, now, as to the question about the accuracy of facial recognition, you know, we make decisions, uh, clearly, by the way, is the best. And, and that's simply just because we've collected the most data. Um, you know, the more data you do, the more you can do to training and so forth. But we make decisions all the time that are not 99% accuracy. And facial recognition is not, you know, used to convict anyone that has not happened in the United States. There have been several cases where people have been picked up, but, uh, and then ultimately released, which is, of course, terrible. And of course, they're suing over that. And rightly so. And I and others have actually argued that they should sue over that and have actually defended those people publicly and privately, to, sometimes to great expense on that on that matter, because I agree that that foreign facial recognition products have no place in the United States, which is why I and others have worked to ban them. Um, in the case of um, now, you mentioned the other thing uh, about you know Freddie Martinez on the assault thing. He was uh, you know he was picked up on an assault charge. He did beat somebody. Uh, whether it was with a pipe or not, I don't recall. Uh, I was up all night actually working to make this. Uh, facial recognition system and others more accurate and more so that we have le fewer false positives. So I'm a bit tired, if you don't mind me, me saying so. And then you point to the question of other countries building this. Uh, precisely the point. I mean, Russia and China and Israel and other serious nations are building their own facial recognition databases. And the idea that the United States, uh, which has all sorts of commitments that all kinds of people in this chat who are not necessarily American rely on those commitments being met, um, you know, rely on those things. Of course, we need to have the best technology. Like that's sort of a non-starter. And then as to the thing about, you know, being a tool for rapists and for whatever, I mean, there are all kinds of controls on, on this, this type of technology. It's auditable. There's a record of it. Um, the, 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 those things are independently monitored in the case of Clearview. Um, and so, yes, no, I, I, I don't, um, I don't, uh, uh, you know, I don't think that the sort of like silly civil libertarian arguments that have been proffered here are serious or credible. And what's more, I and others who build these technologies have actually worked to make these technologies safer for women and for children and for sexual assault victims and so forth. And I, I should say, you know, that, you know, I myself was as a child was was, uh, you know, was molested by by someone. And so I, I take it very personally when you try to speak for all victims of sexual abuse or of um, these sorts of things. Now, I don't lead with that because I think these technologies should be universal for all people, that we should have these debates you know, fairly and, pub and publicly, uh, which is why I do things like come on Clubhouse um, and, and, and engage in these arguments publicly and privately, and why I talk to journalists like the New York Times, like the Washington Post and the Wall Street Journal and the Guardian and other publications that are credible and serious in this stuff. So no, like if we're going to have these conversations, we're going to have them from a from a place of knowledge, uh, a place of like real understanding of the, how the technology works. We're not going to go and fall for these kind of like silly arguments that that are not serious. Um, partly why we do the tech news around the around the room, uh, you know, like part of the reason I participate in it is so that we can be better informed, so we can make better decisions. And so uh, you know, we have to have it from a place of good faith. Uh, we can't have it from a place of you know, you're a Nazi, you're this, you're that. And, and, and so, no, it's, it's not appropriate. So, um, but, but I, I just um, have, I, I don't have, I don't have strong views about these things, as you can tell. First, I, I, I did not accuse you of being a Nazi. 
um, just to be No, clear. you did. You made the argument. No, I, you made, I, you, I, I you made an argument about collecting data. No, no, no. Let's, no, be, let's I, be honest the, about the it. You, you made an no, argument about collecting people, data the, and you compared it people, to the worst the, abuses in history, which the, I would say includes the Nazis. It wasn't actually started by the Nazis. It was started in the 1850s by the, by the Dutch. It was used later on, almost a century later, by the Nazis. That's the point. You right now, firing off the shot, don't know where it will hit. That is the point here. It's, it's not you who will do it. Um, second, not even the best facial recognition system on this planet, which is which are human beings, are 100% accurate. Even okay, can I, can, I, can I ask a question? Isn't the nature of these kind of automated technologies such that it reduces overhead for uh, police institutions and other things? Like I know famously DARPA, that's not the point way. eric 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 th- oh, respectfully on, no but that 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 that's that that's that's okay charles you, what you bring to this room is so valuable it's um it's it's what it's part of what makes this magical right uh, all i have to say is is just simply we have to figure it out these kinds of conversations are important but at the same time, we need to let people finish their points. And uh, if if you feel offended, that that that's no. That's, they have to be the, the points have to be made from a position. No, that, that Charles, Charles, Charles. The, the points, the no, points. That, they need to be respectful. Can I yes, see, see so, Charles? So Charles, you Charles let me. Start. Charles, let me finish. No, okay. No, no, no. Uh, like it has to be done from a point of respect. I did not disrespect you, bro. I'm just trying to finish my point. I simply want to say. I agree. They always need to be respectful. They need to be respectful. I agree. She specifically didn't say Nazi. And also, just we got to let each other finish our points. So the communication does break down when we interrupt each other. But your the value you bring to the room for this discussion. This is a really important conversation. Okay. David, uh, we, we get your point, David. I'm gonna I'm gonna take firm moderation rules into effect here, so we can move on to other things. So, uh, I'll make a quick point. I'll then let each person make a final point. The 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 quick point I would make, having thought about facial rec for a minute, and and to summarize, what's her? Where did she go? Is her name Rose? Where where was it? Yeah, Rose. That you know, in the wrong hands, uh, this could be very bad. And China does have, I mentioned since time, which China does have, and China's trying to get you know uh, other countries. Uh, you know, Myanmar right now. If Myanmar might be the most interesting example where they're trying to crack down on who's fighting back against the, the military that took over. And to, you know, uh, if the Burma junta, you know, who did the coup, if they use China's facial recognition system of since time against the, the the citizens who are trying to fight back to get a dem- democratic government, you know, that's a pretty bad scenario. Um, however, it, within the U.S. context, and I guess she was implying that if Trump took over, he would use facial rec in a very bad way, like in the Myanmar example. The, the context of police stations, which are generally maybe the most common use case in the U.S. and of having a tool to use to identify people in video footage from gas stations or anywhere this is kind of uh, the best the, the biggest cost saving tool that the police have probably ever had i i, I would <laughs> and uh, in, with regard to its accuracy if it's 99.9% accuracy that might be an, inc- an incredibly positive from the perspective that 
The alternative that we've been using is human identification and witness lineups, which if those were 99.9% accurate, I think that would be a tremendous, uh, I, I would wager heavily that they're not as accurate as facial recognition systems. So the facial recognition systems might actually be a, a very benefit, even if they're not 100% accurate. So it's, I don't know that that argument works to your to the to the advantage or to the strength that you think it does, but um, quick closing point from uh, either either just Charles or Rose. I don't think anybody had a other sure. strong point. I'll let Rose sure. you go uh, first. So one of the most eloquent um, wholesome, like one of the most eloquent thoughts and topic was face recognition will work well enough to be dangerous and prone enough to be dangerous as well. Uh, the reason for that is quite simple. Even if it's 99.99% accurate, because again, your use case here is you're searching from within a database and you're pulling stuff out. Yes, uh, you're searching from X hours of footage and pulling stuff out. So if you have even a 99.99% accuracy, which as far as I know, not even the best benchmark systems have achieved, um, you and that means you have a 0.001% uh, error rate, right? So that means in a, you know, out of 10 million scans, you'll get a thousand false positives. And those thousand false positives then need to be uh, screened by people. So Bushnir made this really eloquent point that what this means is that you're not training people that most of the stuff that this facial recognition system spits out um, is likely to be a false positive. And that actually reduces their uh, their own ability to uh, do the detective work, to do the work and identify people and so on. The other point is, a lot of the people who actually do commit uh, bad things um, are not are often not in databases identified or being labeled as such. And third is that these databases aren't pristine. The only word we have that they're pristine is the word of the police and a few other people. And, and no, we can't look at it. No, we can't touch it. For example, um, there's a CSAM data, data, database that no one else can inspect. Um, we had, just have to take the word that this is 100% accurate and that no human corruption has ever, ever you know, touched it. And just like, you know, at the NSA, the, we had to take their word that they, they are, there will never be a case where the NSA itself or someone working in the NSA would compromise national security like someone like Snowden ended up doing. The point is, this clear view isn't going to be just used by one person. It's going to be used across the nation, then across the world, by lots of different people with lots of different uh, agendas. The, for example, in the police case, um, a shocking number of domestic abusers and child abusers are police. Are the police. It's almost as if there's a correlation between psychopathy and um, laws, uh, jobs like law enforcement. And do you really believe? Even with the auditing, um, that given that they protect themselves and some of them have been caught on camera killing people and getting off of, off on it, that they won't use your tool to hunt down someone who, is, uh, who runs from them, to go through video feeds, to hunt down their uh, battered spouse or child or whoever? Of course they will. And you said that there has never been a case where people have been um, convicted. Yes, there have. There have already been three cases like this. The New York Times published a piece that I've put on my, uh, I, I've actually put on my um, uh, Twitter that you can click on my Twitter and go and see. Um, uh, Arre arrested is not convicted, just for the record, and that's the Japanese technology I was talking about. Yes, I'm sure your technology is magically better because of fairy dust, but 
I'm still saying. Uh, no, it's actually better because of standards that we use in the United States. Uh, it's the NIST standards. But go on. But, but, but isn't there, can I just interject here? Aren't we conflating two issues here? We're talking about technology, but then we're also talking about bad actors. I mean, if people are going to be bad, they're going to be bad. I mean, it's not actually the technology that's at fault here. It's probably, you know, the regulation and the auditing, as Charles has talked about, around the use of that technology. So as long as there's an audit trail and you can track back. So uh, it's, it's both. Then, then, then basically you can make the technology safe to use. So it, it's difficult because I, I sort of appreciate where you're coming from, but you're conflating two arguments here together, which you can never really you know, reconcile. Bad people will be bad and they will use technology to continue and to, you know, to be bad and to evade capture. Good people will be good and they will use technology to find these bad people. So uh, it, is, it is a skill at which you allow them to be bad. If, um, so for example, in assault rifle, which is actually a very valid tool and is used in valid ways, um, if, and at the, in the hands of one half psychopath uh, who wants to do a mass killing is way more deadlier than if they had access to a rifle or a handgun or even a knife, right? The amount of damage that they can do is on this sliding scale that is max, that is multiplied by the tools that they're using. And again, the point is face recognition will work well enough to be dangerous and at, as well as this time, at the same time, poorly enough to be dangerous as well. That's, that's the entire point here. It is, it is, uh, it's, it's, it is, um, how should I put it? We, we, we've always tried to solve social problems with technology. We keep hoping that somehow this time it will be different, that this time it will be better or something. I used to make robots. I used to make, um, I've done visual slime. Uh, and nothing we make, uh, it, it's, it's always an approximation. We keep improving and so on, but nothing we make can fundamentally fix these problems and in in the entire like in, in your in your opening arguments you mentioned uh you started mentioning russia the chinese actors and this and that the right to protest is a fundamentally american right the fact that you're telling me that you want to scan every single person in a protest and identify who they are um well that's fundamentally un-american <laughs> rose and, can i can i ask you a clarifying question just a clarifying question Sure. Yeah. So I think fundamentally the difference between what you're saying and what Charles is saying has to do with an assumption, not an inference. And the assumption is that there is no stopping the advances of facial recognition globally. That's Charles' position. You're making the assumption that we could stop its use. So if you, for the moment, subscribe to the assumption that it's unstoppable. And, and if we can all agree that they're bad actors who are gonna apply it terribly, whether it's ch uh, sexual abusing law enforcement people or other nation states, if you assume that it's going to be advanced no matter what, wouldn't you rather stack the deck with someone like Charles who has a clear uh, uh, ethical framework and integrity as being at the helm so that he can call out the abuses from the standpoint of uh, knowing what abuses look like, having experienced one himself as he described in his childhood, and, and not represent another social media-like play that 
deliberately incentivizes conflict at scale? Wouldn't you rather have someone like Charles at the helm of the producer of this technology rather than uh, foreign nation states who have bad intent and who do not uh, uh, support any sort of, of uh, social protest? Um, so it's about the, isn't it just about the assumption about whether it's going to advance one way or another? And if it does advance, wouldn't you rather have Charles at the helm of the, of the producer rather than Putin? A few things. Um, this kind of assumes by default, um, the Stuart, Stuart, Stuart Russell has been arguing for some time now against what he calls slaughterbox, um, right? Uh, putting AI in the kill chain. And it's it's the same as cluster munitions, it's the same as chemical weapons, it's the same as nuclear weapons. Just the fact that they exist doesn't matter doesn't mean that we should use them. It's as it's not that complicated, right? And the advance of technology, it can, it is sure, perhaps, yes, maybe. But that doesn't mean that we should use them and we should in open the door and invite it and create a system where um where someone who is a private entity uh, who we do not know, like, I, I mean, I'm sure Charles is a wonderful person, we do not know, has a, essentially a dossier on every American citizen and every person in the world without the consent based upon social media, stuff that they posted for their families. That's not a world I want to live in. And it is, it is I believe, it is the duty of every single individual to ensure the liberty of everyone else because liberty is a soul's right to breathe. And when strictures like this are created, they, um, the soul cannot draw a breath. People cannot express themselves. People, ca people are unable to be themselves. People are unable to f uh, flee from whatever is harming them, right? And I, I think what, what this is, is extremely harmful. And I, I do believe in Peter and uh, the desire to uh, stop what uh, Charles is doing because it is evil. So now just to finish a comment that I tried to make earlier, I think the, the fact that we have limited resources and the fact that we're trying to fight things like human trafficking, abuses, terrorism, any advantage that we can get on that forefront is welcome. And of course, every technology is, um, you know, has good and bad components of it. So in this particular case, I think all of the things that Rose has brought up are quite valid. In fact, we should be concerned about those things, but I don't think that should take away from the opportunity cost of the technology. And the statement that I was making earlier was in reference to DARPA's Memex program, which was a search engine, a two-dimensional search engine. Uh, for some of you who are curious what that means, it means that uh, instead of having you know 20 pages of the same cat, we have one cat image and then the 20 websites that link to it. So it's a really good search engine for the dark web. And in that way, they use this engine to help fight or combat human trafficking on the web. And that reduced the cost for, from a few thousand dollars per woman to about $90 per woman. So we're talking about dollars per saving life. And if we can reduce that, I think that's a good thing. So at least from an economic perspective, I welcome the technology. So that, that's my statement. Thank you. And I'm just going to make one point because I know Rose and I know Charles. I, I know both of you very well. You're both very good intentioned, well intentioned humans. 
the question I posit to you, Rose, you know, because you're very optimistic about space. What if these same propositions were able to be brought up about space? I know these are not ethical or moral things about space, but let's say bad actor. What if we said, let's eliminate all rocketry because they can be the vector ICBMs? Would that be worth it to you? So the way we controlled ICBMs is through multiple treaties as well as putting spy satellites over each other so that we can watch and do launch detection as it happens. Um, as far as the cost goes, the facial recognition is a unique technology in the sense that um, other than these punitive ways like, oh, we will catch people, we'll find people, we'll do this, we'll do that. Um, I don't see the net good in them, if, if, if that makes sense. Um, I'm, it, it is an enabler, for sure, but I don't see an inherent positive net good in it. Whereas in space, we have, we can predict hurricanes, prevent saving lives our way, we predict crops, we, <laughs> we help um, people survive, we give GPS, we, um, we invent new technologies, etc. So there are some technologies that I feel are vampiric. They are, um, they are a net negative when the ledger is added up. And I don't believe ah. it should feature. So if I understand you correctly, you're in favor of satellite uh, systems for monitoring how for potential bad actors like North Korea working on uh, things like that? Yes, because of fundamental restrictions in physics, etc., we can't exactly scan everyone's faces from space. Yeah, I mean, we it, can. Yeah, uh, we can like um, get extremely high resolution pictures of uh, a launch pad and so on. So, isn't it? Aren't yeah. these somewhat analogous technologies, like saving people time of no. trying to figure out what's going on? Uh, no. Um, so one is this. One is that if you have a human human agent, as well as people going through the image and using it for intelligence and collating it. The other is that you're giving the power to anyone, literally quite literally anyone, to uh, search through uh, millions of images to find someone that they want, where they are, what they're doing, and so on. I, I don't believe that everyone should have that right. And I, I don't believe that should be done at the project scale. It's that simple. Okay, so let's do a poll. As Cheryl came up with a great suggestion, flash your mics if you think um, uh, facial recognition, sh should we say America or not, Cheryl? Or is this globally or just Every, generally? Yeah, globally, globally. Just generally, wherever you happen gotcha. to live or whatnot, would you be in favor of facial recognition being used by your, uh, should exist uh, wherever you happen to be? Let's keep it as broad and as general as I got. So, so do a hand clap if you, uh, if, if you were... Uh, leader of a country, let's say, or, or what? I, if you think facial recognition is a, a a net positive, let's put it that way. Okay, one, two, three. Would, yes, with with a caveat, which is it, it depends, local, state, federal, right? And so there should be protections put in place. Okay, and uh, on the reciprocal, if you think facial recognition is a net negative, looks like. Looks like the positives have it this time. Okay, so we'll go on to the next article. The next one Thank up. Thank you.
Yes. Is you want to you want to do the audience also by rent, uh, hand raising? Hand raised? No, I think it'll be an extension of this stage okay. generally. Okay. Uh, Twitter is seeking feedback from two potential new features, one called filter and another called limit, both of which will hide offensive and harmful replies. And we can do a poll on this. Twitter's looking for, and by the way, in part, we happen to know that Twitter understands it has a real problem around moderation and it's and this is a, a, an empathetic problem <laughs> based on the system as they've architected it you have 200 ish million users and maybe just a few hundred moderators because the only moderators are actually people kind of uh you know on twitter's side and there aren't uh users aren't really moderating other i maybe they can flag posts but still, that just alerts and assists the human moderators that are on their side, of which there's just a few hundred uh, fighting 200 million. So it's not not a not a workable system. So by allowing people to control the types of content that they see in these new features and filters, help them reduce the you know the burden on their moderators essentially so it says twitter's looking for input on two new potential features that could give users more control over the tone and quality of replies to their tweets filter and limit and which would intelligently hide offensive or harmful replies or prevent repeat offenders from applying at all based on the concept images shared twitter would detect whether or not you've received harmful replies and then prompt you to turn on filter or limit if you have filter on potentially harmful replies to your tweet wouldn't be shown to you or anyone else with limit enabled accounts with a history of offensive or repetitive uninvited tweets would be prevented from replying at all i wonder if you can do both simultaneously yes you can you can have both uh twitter's concept is fairly upfront about whether or not you have a filter or limit enabled in the case of the filtered tweets they still appear for the person replying ah that's clever so they think they're replying, but they're not. With added text that says, this reply is only visible to you. Ah, so they know that they're speaking into a, a, a vacuum. For accounts with limit enabled, Twitter would show a warning explaining that rep reply limit is on with a link to learn more. And now since this entirely hypothetical process is automated, it's bound to not be accurate all, all the time. And they note that Twitter is also considering letting users review the tweets that get caught in either features net in case the user disagrees with Twitter's automated decision. So this is algorithmic uh, uh, automated uh, moderation. In terms of the features Twitter has experimented with as of late, filter and limit definitely sound more useful than, say, their fleets and whatever. Okay, so any thoughts on Twitter trying to deal with its moderation issues? My only thoughts are, are we going to get the uh, Dickypedia plug-in in there or what? <laughs> the, the dick pic filter. That would be more useful for Instagram, I think. I thought uh, Jack Dorsey wanted to go towards de decentralization of Twitter. Yes, that's five years from now, so they have plenty of things to work on in the meantime. Plenty of problems, plenty of fish to fry today. <laughs> As the, the next one from the New York Times, as the pandemic and chip shortage delay uh, e 
equipment upgrades. Some worry emergency alert systems may stop working if AT&T phases out 3G in February 22, uh, 2022 as planned. Oh, that's interesting. So some major mobile, major mobile phone carriers are going to phase out 3G. And there are some uh, interesting uh, emergency alert services that still run on 3G which will stop working. That's a, obviously they got to upgrade that stuff. Uh, the information says they have sources that online course provider Udemy uh, is preparing to file for an IPO as soon as October. Congrats to Goggin. Way to go, buddy. Holy shit. Targeting valuation at 6 billion to 8 billion. And uh, kudos to Goggin and the, and the team at Udemy. Wow. Uh, the e-learning thing has just boomed as a result of COVID. Uh, Roblox introduces music listening parties, going back to our the very start of today's program, which started with the whole conversation about precisely this. Uh, music listening parties in Roblox, starting with a new album from Poppy, the project of multimedia artist Mariah Pereira. And that's going to get really, really interesting, listening parties in the metaverse like that in Roblox. The next one is from the Wall Street Journal, how Ro Facebook is using its metaverse push to rehabilitate its reputation with policymakers and reposition itself to shape regulation of future technologies. So that's a long post that you can read on your own. The US they are so fucked. They are so fucked. <laughs> I mean, if, that's, if that's what they've got going for them, they are fucked. That's yeah. a technical term, by the way. Yes. So, uh, yeah, we... It, Indeed, uh, there's already politicians saying they shouldn't release Instagram for kids, given the what's come to light with the uh, the, the leaked insider info coming from inside of Facebook. If somebody is an informant now to the uh, Washington Post, no, Wall Street Journal, rather. Wall Street Journal. Yeah, I talked to Jeff Horowitz last night. Uh, he's, you know, he's I know him and Kichagi at the Journal about these Facebook stories. And he was like, look, we got like a few insiders there. And then we got like 50 more insiders after we started publishing our stories. <laughs> Can so, you pretty please get him up here one of these days? I'll, I'll ask please? him. I'm not sure that he's very, he's very, very, um, he doesn't, he likes to be like, um, not the bleeding edge on technology or on things. So like, he's the type of person that will like fact check his own you know, self when he reports what he had for breakfast, you know, he's like very, very cautious. And so the idea of speaking extemporaneously in a place like this, I think might terrify. Got it. Mm -hmm. Got it. But, but I will say this, like, I mean, I know, I know people who are working on going after Facebook at a federal level. Uh, obviously, you know, there's a lot of pressure now on, on Peter Thiel and on others uh, around Facebook. And I know that, you know, the, the British government has something in store for Facebook so it's just kind of like we're in a very like it's a bad time to be at you know involved with Facebook, um, and I think it's going to get even worse as we get into the uh, French and German elections, um, you know, because obviously there's going to be efforts to that to is, screw around with those elections. It's, uh, it's already the, the, the Germans have, the Germans have already said that the Russians are using Facebook to meddle in their elections. Yeah, I think I think basically the fundamental issue. Uh, and this comes out in the Ugly Truth book, but, you know, the New York Times worst fundamental issue is linking identity and sort of communication with advertising. I think that that's really where it goes. It all goes wrong, because essentially 
you know, attend the attention economy is like really bad for people in all kinds of ways. It leads to radicalization. I mean, it's, and I, I didn't start out as a critic of this. Like I was actually kind of dismissive of a lot of these radicalization claims, but there clearly are people that have a genetic predisposition to hypnosis, uh, to all those kind of things. And, you know, if you watch that documentary on QAnon, like the storm or whatever on HBO, and you watch like the social dilemma, like these companies are really dangerous. And I think we, you know, in Uganda last year, a friend of mine was advising them during their elections and their attitude was like, look, we can't possibly monitor all this. Like we're Uganda, like we have all kinds of problems. We need to just ban social media ahead of our elections. And I do wonder if like, that's where we're gonna ultimately end up, you know, those of us in the more sort of advanced countries. Um, because like, it is kind of crazy, just the, the extent to which like, I mean, the Hunter Biden laptop stuff, it wasn't Russia. It was it was the Israelis, from what we can tell. And the thing that's crazy about that is like they were trying to target a presidential candidate's son to take his drug use and other issues and just sort of splay it out for all to see on the Internet. Like, what horrifying thing is that? Like, you, you know, your dad runs for president and that's how we do you. I mean, my God. Um which is not to say that Hunter Biden is like the Pope or anything, or I guess, you know, Mother Teresa, but like, oh my goodness, it's, and the notion that like, you know, we're all using technology, we're all basically informing on ourselves with our little Jeffrey Epstein's in our pockets. I mean, the notion that that is like going to be weaponized against us, that's very terrifying. Um, and so, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what, to, I don't know what to, to think about that in the larger context, um, but it's something that, that we should all kind of guard against. And then the fact that it could be displayed and then, put ads next to it on Reddit or Twitter or Facebook. It's very dangerous. So the next article from Bloomberg, the U.S. Commerce Secretary says U.S. is considering using Cold War era national security law to force semiconductor companies to provide information on inventory and sales, which might mean sales to uh, countries that, that they don't want them to sell to. That could be very good luck with that. <laughs> most most of the manufacturing capacity is in uh, Far East Asia, so I think they'll uh, they'll struggle there. Yeah, the next one. Yeah, look at, if you look at Huawei over time, right? Like Huawei's been suffering a lot. There's all kinds of ways that you can mess with the suppliers of you know the rival countries. Um, I've actually I started out being very critical of like the use of CFIUS and the use of some of these kind of old line technology, you know, tools the government has, but they're very much getting beefed up under the Biden administration. So I think we should take a wait and see approach before we kind of kind of judge its efficacy. Okay, so the next one is kind of as you were preempt kind of uh, intuiting, EU formally accuses Russian government and its state hackers uh, of a hack and leak operation active in some EU states since 2017. And they mention even the more recent examples of the uh, German election. And then the last one is researchers disclose, this is wild. <laughs> A security researcher discloses three previously unknown iOS, iPhone zero day exploits, uh, says they were reported, this, uh, and the security researcher writes on their own blog that they reported them to Apple uh, before May 4th. And Apple did nothing about them, essentially. And so he's making good on his warning to Apple that if you 
don't fix these and then I'm going to make a big public announcement about that. And so now he has, and he's made a blog post and he links to his GitHub account with these zero day exploits, making them a very public, huge deal uh, that Apple will now have to address. Because you've basically uh, just given uh, every bad actor the ability to exploit uh, iPhones. So uh, we look forward to those uh, vulnerability, those updates coming soon, I guess. And that's why I have a burner phone for Clubhouse, everybody. Okay, so now we get to get in. Let me do a refresh on my list here to see if there was any updates. No, not really. Just a quick note on what Chris said, though. Super actually important. I, I didn't realize how insecure actually using your personal phone for this platform was. So it's a, it's a good tip to actually have a burner six, phone for this. Six, digit, six digits protect your phone, bros. <laughs> how Facebook is using Metaverse Facebook history of comparing. Oh, so there is a new one. There's one new article out of the top 10, which is now number eight, Washington Post. How Facebook is using, oh no, also Washington Post. Uh, Facebook's history of comparing itself to older, more widely accepted tools like chairs and cars shows how its leaders deploy analogies to downplay criticism. And they're obviously talking about the the guy from Instagram who compared Instagram to cars and how generally they're net positive, even though some people become roadkill, uh, defending his company from charges that it harms users, mental health, the head of Facebook's owned Instagram last week, raised eyebrows by comparing social media to cars. Okay. And then this tech writer for Walsh, the Washington post, uh, War will Oremus has a, an issue about that. And he just goes on a long rant essentially with this big article. Okay, so that's the top boring articles that people are talking about now, but we have this very bright group of people who join us every day who are looking on the on the on the lookout for awesome articles that they're sharing and that's that's what we're really all about. And so I've got my goodness, and hundreds of tweets to go through and I'm cherry picking out all the best ones, kind of like this one, which I believe JR just sent in about Apple's secret weapon. AR glass will be on the market in 2022. JT. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I sent that article over to you via DM. Um, So supposedly this is a report based on the supply chain. Um, they predict that by the end of 2022, the Apple AR glasses, which is not a consumer one, it's mostly an industrial one at a price of $2,000, um, will be uh, launched. And yeah, that's all I have for now. But there's supposed to be a consumer AR version as well uh, for 2023 at a much lower price. Let's hope so. The next one's from Maurice on stage. You sent in this one about leaked documents reveal Amazon's plans to bring Alexa home security system to add, uh, to the vehicles, adding vehicle security features to Alexa highlights Amazon's ambitions to make the voice assistant ubiquitous, including in the home and on the go. And as usual, I'm retweeting all of the tweets that people are sending in. So I just retweeted Maurice's tweet to our Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. Thank you for that one, Maurice. Somebody, probably Vinay, sends in this one about an Indian billionaire is on trial for human trafficking. 
and his son is also suspected of tax evasion and forgery. Was this, is Vinay still with us? He is. Vinay, are you there? Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. It wasn't me. It wasn't you. I didn't send that to Oh. It was not me. Who sent this one? Influential Swiss publication has broken the news of a scandal concerning Pra Prakash Hinduja, one of the four brothers leading the Hinduja group empire. Uh, they report that he is fighting a legal battle with the Geneva tax authorities regarding his substantial back taxes, the case being triggered by information gathered in another criminal investigation against the billionaire and his son for usury and human trafficking. According to the Swiss outlet, the litigation originated from a successful raid of his home in Switzerland by the Geneva public prosecutor's office made on the grounds of violations of the law of foreigners, usury and human trafficking uh, since 1997, at least, but most likely much earlier in order to maintain this property and provide for the care and needs of its occupants. The defendant had set up a system of recruiting foreign domestic employees. According to the Swiss media, the, in, the Indian moguls employees were paid between 140 and 520 Swiss francs per month. <laughs> well, that'll give it away, you cheap bastard. You're a billionaire. What the fuck are you doing? Doing? Come on. Uh, that's just <laughs> really lazy way to get caught. The, bad opsec. Just bad opsec. Just come on, buddy. The Swiss are uh, are not stupid. Yeah, they're like the most educated people on the planet. Like you can't be doing stupid nonsense like that in in Switzerland. Um, they'll catch that stuff. They they actually. Despite what you know, you might have heard uh, the Swiss actually dot the I's and cross the T's, and they kind of have a reputation for kind of meticulous following of things to the letter. Uh, they make watches, right? So uh, that they are not people to to fuck around with when it comes to you know playing games like that. And the idea that your private banking is safe in Switzerland is a relic of another time, a, a little antiquated concept, yeah. So. The, they reported that one employee had not left the house for 10 years. <laughs> yeah, that's not going to... Swiss have this thing called common sense that uh, doesn't... They have this kind of ability to sniff out bullshit. So, yeah, in, a, in response to an inquiry, the Geneva Public Prosecutor's Office confirmed that the case against the mogul was still underway. The scandal recently intensified when two Swiss media outlets revealed that not only had the mogul been criminally mistreating his staff but the billionaire had also falsely claimed by to had falsely claimed to be officially domiciled in monaco thus evading large amounts of tax evidence from his employees proved that he was indeed primarily based in geneva what are you doing you're a fucking billionaire no and and you know that family family they've constantly been in trouble they got caught in the panama papers their uh tax evasion in cayman they've just been uh Constantly, so, and that's so, so they're yeah. mobsters, Vinay, or what's the deal? Like, no, it's uh, just champagne problems. What's the deal? Are they just <laughs> no, corrupt, or like, what's the deal? Um, yeah, they're just corrupt, corrupt. They're not mobsters, they're more corrupt, shady deals, um, uh, uh extended debt, third party, you know, uh, buying out companies through other places. There's been just controversy after controversy for like a decade plus with these guys. That would never happen with super rich Indians. I don't know what you're talking about, Vinay. I can't yeah, believe that's it. my point exactly. It's, you know, it's like they're so rich that they're doing all. You know, there's like a rich person playbook 
like billionaire playbook. They're just kind of following the steps. It's it's the true champagne problems. Oh, they were in the Panama Papers, like every other rich Indian billionaire, but right? Like get, uh, the difference is they keep constantly getting caught, so they suck at even this. They need a better lobbying firm. Okay, Johan is Johan on stage from Sweden? Of course. Yes, sir. <laughs> of course, I mean. I see you. You have a hot one here. I, I, <laughs> this is really tech news around the world material. Our friends at Google are finally releasing a, an hardware vault for your nudes, your nude pictures to store them on your phone. Uh, they finally have come to the conclusion that you need to have an encrypted folder on your phone for all your no nudes. Okay. I know that it's some kind of, of, of uh, courtesy to the moderators of the channel to send them, but do we really need to have an old folder for them? Well, according... it also seems like a great, a great way to compromise yourself. Just, hey, put it in this really safe place where you have all of your nudes. It's a trap. It's a trap, yeah. But uh, I'm retweeting Google's own tweet about this new feature that they call locked folders. And with it says in their tweet that I just twatted on Twitter at TNATW with locked folder. And there's a video. You can see how it works. With locked folder, uh, you can add photos to a passcode protected space and they won't show up as you scroll through your photos or other apps on your phone. Locked folder is launching first on Google Pixel and more Android devices throughout the year. And what's interesting is in the video that they show, they actually sh unlock they show how you unlock it with a with your thumb and it opens the locked photo folder and it shows the photos in the folder and it's somebody's dog so i don't know what you guys are talking about it's just it's a black uh, yeah. labradoodle in the in this uh, video example so Hey, Tyler, this is Ellis. this yeah. supposed to be like vault that microsoft has for onedrive that the like vault it's just a passworded photo folder photo folder it's just a password not even a, okay <laughs> yeah I have. I just have the folder that says, "Make sure your wife doesn't see these pictures." Yeah, <laughs> that'll work every time. Where you put the credit card? Like... Chris, or what? Is that or is that another? Is that another place? You just need an, another burner phone. He's got multiple burner phones. <laughs> <laughs> He's got one for clubhouse, one for his photos, and then. <laughs> Who sent this one in just now? Uh, Vinay just sent one in. What from Amazon, Vinay? Yeah, so Amazon's uh, going very aggressive on uh, OTT platforms with Amazon Prime in India by combining it with uh, Disney and because uh, they're competing with Disney, Hotstar, um, and Netflix. But Netflix is pretty far behind, so Amazon's throwing in a lot of money into. Uh, 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 it's prime OTT here in India. Trying to uh, increase the market share. It says the headline says Amazon assembles video streaming apps to fight with Netflix and Disney in India, launching prime video channels in India, allowing its customers to subscribe to eight streaming services, including Discovery Plus and other Indian content. Uh, and so the next one here, let's back into my tabs is that oh the huawei uh cfo meng reaches a deal with the justice department we covered that at the start someone named cal patel sends in one that okado uh welcomes robot meal maker 
at the Hatfield HQ canteen. The move is a fight is the is the first development of a tech company having a robot uh, kind of chef in their campus kitchen. Pretty cool. You can see it. It's a robotic arm, like all the robotic arms. They all look very similar. And uh, boy, these robotic arms are going to get very cheap and very smart very quickly and replace a whole lot of jobs in the process. But uh, ABB, who's the real global gorilla in this space, out of Stockholm is gonna is in, is in a real nice prime position. They just need to make one that's a more prosumer version. I mean, because they they really are are the global you know leader in, in in heavy industry in the use of robotic arms. They do make smaller ones. They've even demonstrated them at my events where they have an arm that pl- uh, shoots a basketball into a basketball hoop and never misses, which is pretty amazing. And another one that you can play Connect Four with, and it never loses, and all all kinds of really cool uses of uh, robotic arms. Anyway, and next one is from Joe Williams, who listens in the audience from AP News. The headline reads: WhatsApp and social posts helped lead Haitian migrants to Texas. The final leg of the journey from Chile to the United States, Haitian migrants uh, detailed instructions were sent to each other through WhatsApp and social posts. Okay. So what's what's the implication here? Uh, AP News, that uh, we... we I, I understand we're on a brigade to demonize big tech here, but th- I think this is going a little too far. <laughs> like, I think they would have come up with uh, other options back in the day, in the, in the era before smartphones. I'm not so sure that there were not migrant waves before smartphones. I'm pretty sure they figured out ways before WhatsApp of of how to be refugees. I'm pretty sure there were, I, yeah. But this before, is before I told news. What do you mean? Uh, the Syrian uh, um, immigration um, flood into Turkey and and Europe. Mm-hmm. Actually, uh, people were communicating and telling them how. Um, they could escape and go into Europe, so it's been used before. Yes, so what we, fair point. So my point is, is in writing this article, corporate pre, corporate media is trying to demonize their main op- opponent, which is big tech, right? And unfairly, because your the implication here is that these Haitians would not have gotten to Texas without WhatsApp. Well, they used WhatsApp to get there. They were sharing the the route along the way with WhatsApp. This is all what you know. We got WhatsApp is in some way an accomplice into this whole scenario. Which in reality, migrants have been migrating since you know human history began. So I don't know, oh, Tyler. Though, yeah. like in fairness, in fairness, right? Like a lot of these technologies companies, you know, they know as their tech is moving across countries. And they know that some of these people are actually, you know, committing crimes, right? Because they can ping on the WhatsApp device. And so, the, the, you know, the WhatsApp program. So, the, so like, you know, in the case of, like, if you Google, like, um, if you Google uh, um, uh, tunnels, Mexican border, like, fancy new tunnels, something like that, you'll find what I'm talking about. But, like, we identified a number of tunnels that were operating in the US during the Trump presidency, you know, so much for build the wall, right? Um, But what they were doing is 
you know, the, the, the major tech companies in Silicon Valley, they did not want to participate in helping to identify, you know, all this that was going on. And so we had to use like the actual, you know, uh, telco monopolies, many of which have, you know, U.S. government connections uh, to actually identify these these tunnel routes, which became easier to spot over time. So I do wonder, like, to what extent WhatsApp and to what extent a lot of these technologies to what extent, like, should they be playing more ball with the U.S. government to actually crack down on, on this uh, kind of migration that we're seeing? Or how long will it be before we read the headline? Uh, some government intentionally. No, governments are now going to be aware to watch out for this in the future, in future migrations. Right. Turkey, very notably, is kind of sensitive to this issue because it's kind of this gateway between uh the the east and the west right yeah i mean the turkish the, Tur the turkish delegation is here in uh in dc right now and this question of migration is something that they're taking very yeah, seriously well they, uh, which because they're yeah. stuck right in the middle of two the two <laughs> the, the east and the west i mean istanbul even markets itself precisely that istanbul markets itself as where east meets west so Turkey sits right in the middle as a gateway between the East and the West. So they are kind of the the bottleneck of global migration. So might they, might Turkey in the future actually re, uh, in pro, proactively, preemptively strategize to weaponize misinformation on these platforms to do a Tower of Babel campaign to befuddle the migrants and lead them astray? Well, I think what, what the Turks are doing, my understanding is they're building these walls. They're using a lot more drones. I mean, but, but take Turkey out of it. It could be anybody. It could be the U.S. next time somebody tries to come to the southern border. Right? We get people from Honduras coming up to the southern border, and we know they're on their way. And, oh, what app are they using? Obviously, it's 2021. Obviously, they're using an app. Oh, it turns out they're using, you know, whatever. Okay, great. C contact them. Uh, here, here we, we have our own message. We want to a misinformation campaign of how we want to... Uh, befuddle their efforts and, and even convince them to retreat and go back. Yeah, and I think that's a good idea. I also think the idea of targeting the telcos as well as the money transmitters. Uh, so like, you know, Carlos Slim is the richest guy in Mexico and he makes a lot of his money through remitt remittances, um, as do a lot of Latin American countries, right? Where they, a remittance is basically the money that your population in the, in the you know, country people have migrated to send the money back from so like you know in the case of the case of like el salvador i think it's like a third or third to a fourth of their budget comes from remittances of el salvador and salvador and sending money back um and so this is obviously a huge incentive to you know to human traffic people if you are you know carlos slim or if you're one of those players um and i think that that's the that's sort of like the, the real, how are we going to use technology to clamp down on that sort of question? Because really this is about, this is a money question, right? It's, it's people try to get here. And whereas during the, the Trump years, there were all kinds of bribes paid to basically, you know, stop the migrants or stop the human trafficking networks from basically bringing people to the border. Those bribes are not really in effect now that the Biden is president. And so there are going to be all sorts of other questions. My, my, you know, family members were just deployed to Nicaragua, to some of the, the other parts of Latin America to sort of deal with this question. But, um, but you know, we're seeing because of technology, we're seeing uh, that it's getting cheaper and cheaper to move people anywhere. And, you know, in the case of 
you know, we just saw the other day in Chad, for instance, where they're bringing in a new government. We've seen some some efforts to uh, to deal with all the human smuggling that's gone on from sort of West Africa into Europe, up through Libya. And so you're going to start seeing a lot more you know, tightening of communication, tightening of money, tightening of networks, uh, targeting of those networks by the uh, for, foreign powers or by, you know, by basically the Western powers. OK, Todd McLeese, take it away. Earth to Todd. You're up, Todd. I don't think he's here. He's here. Uh, um, he's here, Todd, but maybe you have I can't hear his audio. And come in again. Ground control to make it come he, he's on, Oh, he's going out and back in. Yeah. We need, we need the song. We need ground control. I know. I don't. I don't. I don't want the content take okay, down strike back. again. Try again, Todd. <laughs> oh, can you hear me now? Yes. Yes. All right. Sorry about that. Um, this so... is Major Tom to ground control. He's back. Go ahead. <laughs> Welcome back. Thank you very much. So this is uh, has not been announced yet, but um, I'm very confident about this. The so there's a um, Foxconn is a significant landholder in the state of Wisconsin, and that's been a much maligned project. They received initially uh, close to four billion dollars in incentives from the state and local tax authorities, and um, in April, they struck a new deal that said that instead of investing $10 billion, they would invest $672 million. And the tax incentive went from around $4 billion to $80 million. But the problem was is that um, so much investment had been made in infrastructure. Well over a billion dollars had been invested in roads and improvements and so forth. Um, the happy news is that Intel has purchased all of that land and are they're building a large chip factory uh, adjacent to Lake Michigan and that's on that same land and uh, will create 3,000 jobs here in the near term. I expect it'll be announced uh, in October at some point. Very cool. Thank you for that. And we'll look out for that headline, but you heard Genius. it here first. How did, how did you manage to hear this before it's even there's any links about it? Uh <laughs> uh, some some folks in government and education and at Foxconn. But Todd, the question they they is... They don't want it to be in uh, in Arizona because there's no water there, right? That's the yeah. idea. Yeah, adjacent to the lakes is a big deal, right? Yeah. No, no, How... I, I, want, I want to make one point about Intel. They, they, they have the money to do this, but do they have the technology? Technology to do what? Technology to, 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 to do the chip, I mean, wafer fab. Yeah, there's there's more than one type of chip. Yeah. There's okay, a lot. Right now, they are moving towards no. wafer foundry. They they are they are trying to help to be fabless. I mean, I think to help those fabless design house to build to, to manufacture right, like what TSMC can do. But they don't need technology. Maybe Jonathan can comment. Oh, your question is, can they compete with TSMC? That's a different question. Yeah. So, so Cheryl, I mean, they, it's it's a good point. Their their um, their process um, isn't as sophisticated as TSMC. I mean, TSMC is bringing the the three nanometer nodes are online now. Um, so they're at least sort of two to three years ahead of uh, anybody else. Um, but I mean, you know, look, if Intel, um, if Intel, if the US gets behind their own domestic chip industry, um, then, you know, they'll catch up quite quickly. So I, I see this as being good, actually. I mean, it's certainly going to help not in the short term, but in the medium to long term with 
you know, the supply constraints that we have. I mean, literally, if you are going to buy new chipsets from Qualcomm, Broadcom, whoever it might be, even MediaTek, you know, you're, you're looking as a new customer at uh, over 60 weeks just to get the chips sort of manufactured. And then the lead time in shipping, you know, I mean, if you ship via air, maybe that's a couple of weeks. But if you're shipping via sea, it's like 10 to 12 weeks now from, from Far East Asia. So, I mean, you know, this is, this, this is good news. But you're right. They are a couple yeah, of behind TSMC. And don't discount Pat Gelsinger, who's completely reinventing Intel you know, getting out all the dead wood, bringing in new management, new design leadership. I mean, there's a huge reinvention happening there as well. But Evan, they actually rehire a lot of retired staff. Yeah, there's a lot of dead weight at Intel. There's a lot of uh, transformation that needs to happen. It's a company that was almost uh, on the verge of uh, imploding, you know, so. And why didn't it? Why didn't it implode, Evan? Could it be that it might be a secret national champion of the United States? I don't know. I don't know. Kind of a weird, I, kind of a weird thought. I don't know, Charles. Every chip since the since the fifth gen uh, core i set, you know, the core families had a a certain piece of hardware installed in it. I don't know, Charles. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's why he uses the burner phone. Um, <laughs> the uh, the timeline for standing up the new factory will be condensed because there has been so much earth moved and infrastructure built for an 8K manufacturing facility. Foxconn builds the Google Cloud servers on that property. They'll remain there, but they will. Um, I mean, it, we're talking about four square miles of land that uh, Intel has purchased. So it's, it's a, going to be significant investment. So the next one, Vinay, you just sent in one about Starlink. Yeah, so the latest is Starlink satellite launches. Uh, These low uh, orbit satellites can be used for GPS. They're going to try and uh, uh, they did a test a couple of universities using Starlink signals. And uh, it's as accurate as the existing GPS uh uh, positioning, uh, you know, system, and they're going to try and um, so Starlink now has the capability to offer a GPS alternative. Cool. And then Evan, you just sent in one uh, uh, from about San Francisco. Who's homeless enough for housing in San Francisco? An algorithm decides replacing human decision making with a computerized scoring system is hurting California's most vulnerable residents. And yeah, I guess they came up with this algorithm to help decide which homeless services to deliver, and then they kind of bastardized it just to decide if someone should get services at all. So there's a bit of controversy around. Maybe we should not allow all these foreigners to own property in a place that supposedly develops all of our technology. I don't know, just a thought. Maybe we should clamp down on all the Chinese nationals owning property in San Francisco and the Bay Area. Because I don't know, it's sort of like a national security imperative. Well, uh, somewhat related is the next article. Evan just tweeted in a very gorgeous 3D globe showing um, it's a 3D map of all of the undersea cables connecting the globe. So now you can see all of the. It kind of goes. It kind of shows how vulnerable we are in the event uh, in the event of some conflict. I mean, you, you know, you're going to see countries start tearing up each other's fiber connections. I mean, it's, there's a lot of snooping going on around undersea cabling. It's a gorgeous. You, uh, you, 
model, yeah. You, you are aware that actually a couple of fibers were cut when uh, the evergreen ship uh, got stuck in the in the canal. And it was actually not the, the ship that actually break, broke the fiber. It was the excavator they used that actually dig them straight off during the first hours. And that's why the work there was stopped because they were making a lot of damage to infrastructure trying to save the ship. Oh, wow. Never heard Oopsie. that. And the next one's from Evan, also from CBS News. Insurers ask the unvaccinated to pick up COVID-19 treatment costs. And David sends in one about Bitcoin in Afghanistan, cryptocurrency, the Taliban, and capital flight as Afghans face a nationwide cash shortage, closed borders, a plunged currency, and rapidly rising prices of basic goods. An emergency crypto scene uh, has helped the locals. Uh, hardly a surprise there, I guess. That seems like a, a a perfect storm for switching over to crypto when uh, when the Taliban takes over your country and seals the borders. Uh, so the next one is from Poppy about, or from the New York Times rather, uh, an experiment to stop online abuse falls short in Germany. Despite having one of the world's toughest laws against online hate speech and harassment, Germany has struggled to contain toxic content ahead of its September elections, according to the New York Times. The next one is uh, about Project Amplify, which we covered this week. Bad news for Facebook's good news plan. Recently revealed attempts by Facebook to promote positive news stories about itself have been branded chilling, desperate, and disturbing. We're awesome. Facebook's amazing. As you'll start seeing interesting posts by people you never followed, reminding you just how incredible Facebook is. So um, that's quite wild indeed. And David Craze sends in this one that the world's biggest VCs are now vying for stakes in Nigeria's tech sector. But to maintain that attention, the, wor the work of local investors is more critical than ever. And Rajiv sends in one uh, a retweet from Sam Altman, who's uh, one of the uh, leaders at, uh, well, he was the CEO of uh, Y Combinator. And then he was integral in uh, OpenAI. And he still does a lot of investing and whatnot. And he did a tweet that says, we created a system that can generate reasonable summaries of entire books. And I assume he's talking about OpenAI. So OpenAI has a system that can generate reasonable summaries of entire books. Don't don't use this for your book report, kids. Don't do it. Who, who remembers Cliff Notes? It's Cliff, like the, Notes. The Cliff Notes. The system combines reinforcement learning from human feedback and recursive task decomposition. Check out our demo here at openai.com slash blog slash summarize. I just retweeted Rajiv's retweet of Sam Altman's tweet where he has the link so you can check it out for yourself. And all those book all those book clubs I faked it in, man. Shit. That was a, that that would have came in handy. So I didn't know about notes until I had just graduated college and I felt like I've just been cheated. And now I wonder what the kids are gonna do. I mean I wonder I wonder how likely it is they'll get away with it. Um 
nowadays because who's actually even checking in a lot of these college courses? Well, there's a real golden opportunity for clever middle schoolers for the next couple years to use GPT-3 in school uh, until they, until the the educators catch up to what we just found out about. So have have fun for the next 16 months, kids, until your teachers figure this out. Uh, but if you're if you're a young geek, life just got really nice for the next 16 months. Uh, Ken sends in this one from Yahoo Finance that John Stossel, anyone remember John from, uh, was he on 60 Minutes for for quite a number of years? And now he's gone independent and he was getting very popular on Facebook. I was seeing him a lot. Did anyone else happen to catch his videos? He was making awesome content. And he magically disappeared from Facebook. And now, I, uh, due to this Yahoo Finance story, I think this is somewhat related. Uh, I just tweeted it out. It says, John Stossel sues Facebook, alleging defamation over fact-check label, seeks at least $2 million. Former TV journalist John Stossel is demanding at least $2 million in damages from Facebook in a lawsuit he filed against Facebook alleging Facebook defamed him by appending fact-checking labels to two videos he posted about climate change. In a statement, uh, a Facebook spokesperson said, we believe this case is without merit and we will defend ourselves vigorously against all allegations. According to the lawsuit, in the past year, he posted two short video reports on Facebook in which he interviewed experts in the climate change arena. In one video, titled Government-Fueled Fires, about the 2020 wildfires in California, Facebook and its fact-checking partners falsely attributed to Stossel a claim he never made, and on that basis flagged the content as misleading and missing content so that would-be viewers would be routed to false attribution statement. The complaint says that Stossel's video explored a scientific hypothesis that, specifically, while Climate change undoubtedly contributes to forest fires. It was not the primary cause of the 2020 California fires. Per the suit, Stossel says he never made that claim that forest fires are caused by poor management, not by climate change, which was in fact, which was in Facebook's facts check. On the second video, uh, there was some other problem, and now the lawsuit alleges that Stossel was given no meaningful avenue to contest these unilateral decisions about the truth of his journalism. By the way, he's like a rather well-renowned journalist uh, that many of the Americans on stage grew up with. So it's like he has a, a, a very long... yeah. Guatemala at the University of Francisco Marroquin. And he's a very just gentlemanly, kind person, too. So the idea that he's like an extremist, I think, is probably not going to work. You right. know, if that's the reason banning him. I mean, he's... He's like very polite, mild-mannered, gentlemanly. Yeah. Um, now, it could be he has some sort of secret crazy past that I don't know about, but like it seems unlikely. It's like you, fighting out Mr. Rogers is some, or, or, or I guess Bill Cosby is some sort of bad actor. So maybe I should, should be careful what I, I just, say. I just Googled because I'm sure he has Emmy Awards. Turns out he has 19 Emmy Awards. And, Tyler, just a quick question at my yeah. end, um, and forgive my ignorance. I'm out of the Cal uh, California fires, I believe it was. I, I understand a lot of it had to do with, um, or most of it had to do with climate change, but there was one particular fire that had to do with PG&E, right? Right, that's right. What proportion would we assign to that? If we, or do we have any I don't figures know. as to how much of it was caused by that? 
I don't know. The Thomas fire was directly caused by an Edison line going out, and that was, I don't know the numbers, but that was the biggest wildfire until this year. So what's interesting is, is because he's suing Facebook at a time when people want to punish Facebook, it might be really well-timed on his part. He could likely get a court to try and prove a point to Facebook, especially, you know, it's this kind of, especially if he did it in Texas, my God, where they're really trying to stop uh, Facebook from silencing conservatives. And so... Well, I think I think the problem is that, you know, Facebook has outsourced almost all of its decision-making when it comes to these sorts of things. Like, for a while, I think they're still using the Southern Poverty Law Center, which you know, was a tool of Israeli intelligence. I mean, it used to get a bunch of money uh, from the Pickover Foundation, which was implicated in the Madoff scandal. So that that organization was taken over recently, but I don't think the uh, designations have changed. So essentially what they do is there are all these third party, you know, groups that sometimes have foreign connections, sometimes not, that come in, like say the ADL, for instance, right? And they want to come in and they say to Facebook, hey, you have to let us, you know, determine there's no hate speech or there's no, you know, whatever. And then they use their own designations as a kind of weapon to take people off of this platform. Um, and that's something we've seen time and time again. So then the question becomes, like, how is Facebook going to actually make these kind of decisions? And I don't think they actually will be able to, to be honest, themselves. So I think these decisions are ultimately going to be made for them by the federal government. Charles, are you saying the Southern Poverty Law Center is, is um, was working for Israel? It was before um, it was taken over by uh, the woman who's a friend of Michelle Obama's. If you Google Pickover Foundation or Madoff and the Southern Poverty Law Center, you'll see all of that. Um, I think actually, if I recall, it's now been like two or three years since I read this, Ken. But um, if you go and you Google Southern Poverty Law Center having all this money like in the Cayman Islands, I believe it's in, in the same area uh, of the Cayman Islands in the same uh, as the uh, as the Jeffrey Epstein stuff. So there was a, there was a view of the Intel world that, yeah, it was a Southern Poverty because, Law Center. Because the Southern Poverty Law Center started so many decades ago for, you know, right. it, with for, Morris Dees. Yeah, Morris right. Dees, the initial guy trying to take out the um, my recollection is he was trying to take out the Klan. But as time went on, it, it sort of my, mutated into this other organization. There was well, he got news. a little corrupt, Morris Dees. I think that's why that's they right. forced him out, right? But well, that's, well, that's the ostensible idea. reason. They forced him out, and they forced out um, his lieutenant as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, he was married like five times, and they, they were using basically, there's apparently like an effort being, being done at the Southern Poverty Law Center where they would say, you can pay us money not to be on our hate list. Um, and that was kind of like obviously a form of extortion, as you might imagine. Uh, so, uh, But a lot of companies and corporations did pay that money and that obviously led to the situation where you know we, we saw now um but yeah i think they're under my recollection of this is my my knowledge of this is maybe like three or four years old but yeah if you google like pickover foundation bernie madoff southern poverty law center you'll find stuff on it um and if not i'm going to get back to my computer and you want to hit me up ken and i'll send i'll send you what i've got on my computer okay so next one up is from monica Crypto adoption goes up in tier two and tier three cities in India. The rise is partly attributed to the work from home culture brought about by the pandemic as also to the positive response from the government. That's from the Times of India. And then somebody, a poppy sent in this one from dwell.com of a 
the most beautiful um, work from home office prefab unit, which what are they calling that? It, ha it has a whole bunch of photos, 10 photos. I need to tweet this out for you now. Um, holy cow, is it gorgeous? That, I've seen that one, man. That is gorgeous. I think that's the second time Poppy's sending that one out. Or, yeah. or maybe Kat, and Poppy and Catalina dropped some serious bombshells on the on the Twitter feed. I highly encourage everyone to read some of these. I mean, these are, these are things that, I mean, th these two ladies have some serious bombshells they're dropping on the Twitter feed. I, uh, I truly enjoy them. It does it say the price? Yeah, you. I, I concur with uh, our friend Faraz here. It's Poppy specifically is a force to be reckoned with. There's a lot of people on stage and in the audience who consistently just, uh, you know, what an absolute gift it is to the people who send in all these. And Frost himself consistently drops awesome stuff. So um, thanks to everybody. So anyway, what a gorgeous uh, kind of prefab office that people can order for their home to do their work in. I would love to see a, a bedroom version of this. My God, these would be, these would boom. Anyway, gorgeous. With all the um, with all the ADU laws in California, that's the accessory dwelling unit. A lot of people are, you know, building an accessory uh, work from home office, you know, to get away from the kids or whatever. Mm -hmm. And how a potent mix of frustration and optimism led to the. If anyone knows Tyler, if anyone knows how I can build a music room at the back of my garden that's pre-made i would love that because orca boy needs one <laughs> hmm. so so poppy sends in this one from vox how a potent mix of frustration and optimism led to the great resignation from april to the end of july nearly 16 million americans quit their jobs what does it mean for the jobs recovery high robotics picks up 200 million for its warehouse robots and perhaps those two articles are related. <laughs> and uh, yes, U.S. lost over 60 million jobs. Now robots, tech, and artificial intelligence uh, set the stage to replace. Uh, millions of people have lost their jobs due to the effects of COVID-19 pandemic. And now the machines will take away even more jobs, according to Forbes. And the next one, Alibaba seeks to exit media firm after Beijing's scrutiny, or rather insistence that Alibaba sell its media arm because they don't want Jack Ma having media influence. I wonder why they like, they like to have their own media. They like to control the narratives over there in G land and the three fastest disappearing jobs in the U S. Oh boy. I know what this is a perfect opportunity to play our favorite game Yay. show. Watch out for Messi. She's got sharp elbows. Uh, so what are, the three she fastest rules. disappearing jobs in the U.S. over the next decade. Waitress. Akesha. Akesha. <laughs> Receptionist or secretary. Messi, don't you dare Google. What was your question, Tyler? <laughs> <laughs> and Messi wins Three again. <laughs> I missed it. I was with my friend, so I missed the question. <laughs> yeah, by the way, for those, we do keep score. The score is currently eight for Messi. I think two for Cal and one for everybody else. Anyone else have two? 
What was okay, the profession that will disappear the in the next so, decade? <laughs> what is the profession that will disappear in the next decade? Office, office and administrative support will go down about 3%. Sales and retail will go down about 1.4%. And then production, 0.4%. So office support roles include assistants and secretaries responsible for clerical work, etc. What, why is that? Is that because they got replaced by to, robots? To uh, software as well, I guess. Software, yeah. Chinese. And AI. I would say AI as well. Yes. Uh, there, we, I have an AI assistant right now. It's uh, incredible. It's not as good, obviously, as an actual EA, but very, very abstract ops is a company that's doing great work in this space. Donish, while, while you're on the mic, why don't you share this article about the lab leak? Oh, man. This is a... Let's go uh, there. Let's so, go. <laughs> so the Atlantic just uh, <laughs> uh, so uh, uh, you know this is a very in depth, very good article from well, the, the Atlantic, and the I would Atlantic. really recommend looking. So yeah, let's let's for those so, who don't uh, know, for the non Americans or people who don't know the Atlantic, the Atlantic's about as good as it gets in in long form journalism. So go ahead, with that in mind, go ahead. And one hour ago, they just released this incredible work i want to i want to mention the authors uh daniel engber and adam fetterman because as you read this this is going to get really deep so this is a very very long article we could use OpenAI's summarized tool for this but uh i'm going to start with the the data that they have found that seems to be very credible says two things about the lab leak theory some things we know well which is that there was likely a lab leak that occurred um, but the second part, which I'm, I'm really trying to do much more of a deep dive, Tyler, I haven't had a chance to read the original documents that they reference. They actually give references to the original documents, but what they have found is earlier this week, some guerrilla lab leak snoops, uh, called drastic actually released information about these two people, Dazak and echo health, uh, echo health has been mentioned in these rooms and other places where they actually found studies talking about specifically incorporation uh, uh, and manufacture of uh, of what seems to be similar to COVID. You can hear in my voice, I'm not like feeling good about this right now, uh, but it is talking about gain of function experimentation. They actually have the original documents that they have now leaked. Uh, they are available to the general public. And Tyler, it might be worthwhile going very deep on this article, but I, I, that that is the the big big headline okay. news here is that yeah the re, the real not, well, there's two parts to this there's two parts to this lab leak theory that I always you know that I personally try my best to keep separate, which is one was that was the was COVID actually leaked from a lab, and the other was there any sort of manufacturing was it actually put together in a lab? Those are two very very different questions. And according to some of this early information, which again, the Atlantic is, as Tyler said, best in class, they are very, they feel like this is credible enough to put in the Atlantic, which again, is very unusual unless they're very, very sure. And I'm giving all these disclaimers because I know that this is a very hot button topic, but according to the information that they've seen that they've actually released to the open public, uh, so you can see it for yourself, it looks like both of those are a yes. I read yeah, this last. Can I yeah. can I just say the most concerning piece about um, 
these these latest revelations are the fact that the gain of function um, and the sort of genetic manipulation wasn't just confined to SARS-CoV-2. It was actually also, um, it involved MERS, which has a 35%, 40% mortality rate. So exactly the same experiments that might or might not have given um, rise to COVID-19 they were being done on um, another virus that has a 35% mortality rate. Oh, I and I forgot to, to mention it's... another big part of this. I'm sorry. I just wanted to make sure that this was a huge part of it. The Atlantic also went back and based on these documents, went to DARPA. And I don't know if you saw that yet, uh, Tyler, but um, they they've confirmed that a grant proposal with the same identifying number and co-investigators was actually submitted to DARPA in 2018. Um, and, yeah, Dar- DARPA. Uh, yeah, DARPA refused it. Dar- DARPA, I believe, refused to fund it. it was not in this article. In this article, really? DARPA, uh, DARPA said that they it was submitted to DARPA. They did not confirm uh, that they. In fact, they said that yeah. a spokes. Uh, you know, they said that they actually rejected the grant proposal, but it was. Yeah, it was. It was rejected. DARPA. They said it was too reckless. But actually, the grant. If you read the actual grant itself from DARPA. It asks for exactly this type of um, research, research into um, aerosol delivery of spike proteins. Um, I I think this is building upon the work. I don't know whether it's a Guardian or a Telegraph journalist. And I forget his name. I'm going to try and dig it up now. I'll go. I'll go quiet for a couple of minutes. The the first one who did on this was uh, was Nick Wade the former science columnist for the New York Times who wrote on Medium on this. And I know there's a lot of Brits in the audience, but like on behalf of a, a very grateful American, I mean, the, the work that you guys have been doing is, is you know, phenomenal on the genomics and the genetic surveillance on this. And I think we're going to discover, you know, people have been reading the Intercept stories that have come out. Uh, that's been very, very good. I haven't seen the Atlantic one yet, but I'm definitely going to read this after. But yes, I mean, the evidence is overwhelming that the U.S. Uh, through these intermediaries was in it, you know, was funding with the Chinese, you know, the, the COVID leak. Um, and I think there's a reason, you know, you see in the AUKUS deal that there's discussion of genetics and of, of medical technology sharing between the uh, between the U.S., Australia and the U.K., because simply over the last you know 20 years or so. Uh, CDC and FDA and a lot of our health infrastructure in the U.S. has has in effect been compromised by the Chinese. Um, that's sort of like the high level view of this, and that's pretty fucking terrifying. Just to be blunt about it, and, and, and also you know to to kind of uh, jump onto that, the the one part of this that they did again great reporting on was that um, and the that this leak proposal actually showed uh, that the goal of the researchers was to sift through this large treasure trove of genomic sequence data that they got from black blood and feces and other fluids to find something called, and we've talked about this before, I think, uh, which is furin cleavage sites. And when they, when you put them into the right spots on the spike protein, they allow that spike protein to actually, uh, you know that when when you say, "Hey, it went from bats to humans," that transformation occurs due to these types of changes on the spike protein, and high risk versions of these sites 
once identified, could then be introduced into SARS-CoV-2, uh, which we've known that SARS-CoV-2 actually does have this, and it had increase, uh, increases in its pathogenic uh, power. Uh, you know, we've not seen that with other SARS like uh, coronaviruses, so it's been interesting, but this aspect of it was also confirmed in the grant proposal that they found, uh, which again speaks to, and the fact that we know that the, the, the time that this grant proposal was submitted, uh, DARPA admitted that it was submitted, they did not say that they funded it, but the fact that all of this now links to something we know to be true in the actual virus is, uh, it, it, yeah. so, you know, uh, oh. there's oh. no proof yet I, that I, they would I, manufacture. Yeah. Well, hold on, also, also Wait, Jonathan, 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 there was a, the, hold on, I Jonathan. Have a quick question. Go ahead. Hey, this, I have a quick question. So does it say that it was designed for a biological warfare in mind or was it designed? Because I know there's been researching on because there's this new thing about super viruses and how can we uh, prevent them just in case there is another plague of sorts? Is it was was it with that primary focus in mind to try to come up? With uh, with something no, I, I, or is it or is it for biological warfare in the event? No, I, I think this is just scientists being scientists. You know, they wanted to see whether they could do this, um, and 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 they did. And I, I think it's still debatable whether you know. I mean, it, I mean, it, it's not debatable. It's de if if it's lab made, then it's definitely an an accident. I mean, you know, otherwise you're calling these people evil. Um, exactly. There, That's what I wanted there, to get at. <laughs> are there military sort of um, uses for this type of well, this type of disease? Yes, definitely. And I suppose that's what DARPA is looking at. And, you know, we have Porton down here. I mean, you know, sadly, this is something that we collectively are all involved in because Peter Danzek is English and 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 uh, and obviously the NIH is involved. Um, so uh, as well as the Chinese lab. I mean, it's. It's an appalling accident, and we've jail. been playing God with, with these types of, of illnesses. Peter Denzik will go to jail by the end of this. That, I, I firmly believe that. And I believe that, you know, at the very, at the very best, he was, he was uh, a willful idiot or a, a useful idiot of, of Chinese intelligence. Because but, nothing... but then where do you stand with Fauci, Dr. Fauci? Because oh, I'm, I'm with you 100% on him being compromised as well. And I was actually the first person to write publicly about Fauci being a fool on a whole number of issues. I mean, this man was claiming in 1985 that you could get HIV AIDS from casual contact. That should have been the end of his career right there. I mean, he's, yep. he is thoroughly compromised by, by big pharma. Um, and of course, we're seeing increasingly that the vaccines Pfizer, you know, last at most for six months, which by the way, in 2014, I went to a discussion on mRNA, you know, they didn't call them vaccines then they called them mRNA. I forget exactly, but, um, I went to a discussion there where they said, hey, mRNA vaccines or whatever they were calling them only last for like six months. That's what they were saying. And lo and behold, the the Pfizer, you know, quote, unquote vaccine only lasts for six months. So, yes, I mean, I think Fauci is a real problem. We need a total gutting of our health infrastructure in the United States. And I believe that over, over time we'll become much more integrated with the UK, with the NHS, uh, you know, with the NHS, um, you know, with the British intelligence's work here. Obviously, the Australian deal that just took place with submarines, there are other things as well. We'll be selling them and integrating with them on. So, yes, I think the Anglosphere, you know, needs to, you know, actually start coordinating more Five Eyes style. And um, it's uh, it's really kind of crazy. I mean, I, I I think it's these old people 
who wanted to be like global science. Yay. You know, let's all be, let's all integrate with all these different countries, blah, blah, blah. Um, they didn't really understand that like there are a whole lot of countries that are sort of like, you know, essentially stealing massively from our system. Um, and they should be readily called out. I mean, we should have a conversation about how one of the people who worked uh, on the on the mRNA vaccine, I think the, the woman's last name is Catlin, uh, that she was, in fact, uh, an informant for the Hungarian secret police. Uh, I mean, this has been reported and well known. And yet she's the one who's using the MR, you know, who helped develop the mRNA technology, which, of course, many places are mandating people actually actually take. So, yes, I mean, we are going to have to have a real reckoning on just how shitty our intelligence apparatus here is when it comes to biosurveillance. And if we do not, like, we're going to see a lot more dead people, uh, you know, in the near future, because this will happen again and again and again. I, I want to take a second back. Night, Sorry, I, I just want to make sure that this is clear. Because I want to make one something clear, and the Atlantic makes it very clear, too. This is not proof, one, that this right. lab was, in, that this <laughs> virus was engineered. It's just one step that gets us closer to having more answers. The, the challenge here, and I, I don't want to speak on Fauci or the vaccines right now. I just wanted to go back to this. I was going to say that, uh, you know, that what this tells us is that the fact that it had to be leaked by an anonymous group to the Atlantic and to the, to the world and it wasn't just readily available uh, clearly tells you that there's more information that we don't know. And that's concerning more than anything else. No, there's that's a straight up concerning. war going on right now between FDA exactly. and CDC. Exactly. And exactly. If, and if that's people what people don't want to say it, like I'll say it. And like I've been in the briefings, like I know what's going on. Everybody knows who's who's in Northern Virginia and these in, Intel communities. And like it's gotten to a point where people are saying like, fuck it. Like, I don't even care if I lose my security clearance because it's like worth it's worth losing my career over speaking honestly about what's going on in some of these situations. And so I think that there's there's a real fight going on between these people who they don't want to admit that they were duped by a foreign power into basically funding the thing that's made our lives miserable for the last two years. And if you look at the history of the of the Atlantic and you look at like Laureen Powell Jobs, you know, bought it um, after her husband Steve died and you look at the direction, you know, Apple has been going in of being more and more friendly to USG. And you look at, you know, British, you know, you look at who Nick Wade, formerly science columnist for The New York Times, you know, he, he could only publish this stuff on Medium. You know, he was the first person to write about this. And of course, his father was MI5, you know, which is, of course, an investigative unit of, of British, you know, basically the British kind of quote unquote deep state. So the fact that like the Brits uh, and others were really just like not letting this go, not letting this lie when there are a whole bunch of people in the U.S., who wanted to be like, oh, it's racist to shut down our borders with China. Oh, it's racist to raise these questions about all these Chinese grad students in our labs. I mean, it's really it's really quite shocking. And I think ultimately there's going to be a real reckoning. It's just a question of how fast it happens. And I mean, Fauci's in his I think he's in his 80s now. So maybe he will, may well die before he gets accountability. But Peter Danzig, I mean, the fact that he went to nature and pressured all those people to basically say it's racist to, to uh, uh, you know, to, to basically, you know, make inquiries into the lab leak hypothesis. Um, that is just disgusting. And the fact that nature went along with it uh, and all those no Nobel prize winners, I mean, my goodness, like how corrupt can you get? Um, so yes, it's a real issue. 
and we need to start calling it out more and more and more. And we need to be building better and better technologies to do this kind of thing, because the last thing we want to have happen is have this be like a COVID 9-11 situation where we're all taking our shoes off at the airport rather than actually addressing like what really happened. Um, and I think we, we have an obligation, those of us who are technologically savvy here to work on these kind of questions. And it's uh, it's most pressing, most, most pressing. And, and, and I, just to I kind of go back to something. Peter Kazak. Can I'm I just sorry, say something yeah. on the, um, I read this uh, on, on The Intercept last night. I, I think they broke the story, uh, but, but correct me if I'm wrong. The Intercept has been very good on this, just uh, not, to, not to cut you off too much, Peter, uh, Maurice, um, but, but basically The Intercept is funded by, uh, by one Piero Midiar, and Piero Midiar's family's connections with the Intel world are quite interesting, um, you know, particularly CIA. And so, yes, The Intercept has been very good on this, and there's a reason people are leaking to that publication. But go on, Maurice. The other thing I was going to kind of say is I just wanted to kind of double click on what Charles just said about Peter Danzek. So um, what people don't know, and I, again, I, the goal here is not to question uh, <laughs> the, the, the global authorities. And, and you know, we, this does not mean that we start losing faith in our institutions. Huh, okay. So Peter Danzek actually was part of the two major international investigations into the actual origins of the pandemic. I'm not kidding. That is actually something that they mentioned, and you're right that the Intercept Maurice did break some of this. The difference here, just to kind of remind people, some people might already be uh, remember this, but what what you know, the Lancet, Nature, and uh, the WHO actually looked into the origins, and they put together teams. And Echo Health, Peter Danzig actually was on those teams. And if you now go back and see who those grant proposals were from, it was the same people. And yeah, that is definitely a conflict of interest. And, right. and, you know, people talk about sort of whether it came from a lab or not. I think you have to look at the um, unnatural sort of combination of, of base pairings on the Furin site, which seems to suggest that, hey, it's never been seen like this before in nature as to where it's gone. I mean, you know, look, whether we'll find out whether, if this came from a lab or not, I think actually at the moment it doesn't doesn't really matter. It's here now. We have to deal with it. And more importantly, you know, it's an embarrassment to the US, to the UK, to the Chinese. Um, you, you know, anybody who says this yeah, being released, also, you know, on purpose, it's not if, it's definitely not the case. This if is, I could just finish my point on on the intercept. Um, this I think this is an important point. The, let me read it. The new proposal, which also described the plan to mass vaccinate bats in caves, does not provide conclusive evidence that the virus that caused the pandemic emerged from a lab. And, uh, and the uh, experts remain sharply divided over its origins. But several scientists who work with coronavirus told The Intercept that they felt that the proposal, that the proposal shifted the terrain of the debate. So I think what we need to do, and the reason I didn't pu even put it on, on Twitter is because I wanted to dive, I'm not an expert in this area, but I wanted to dive in and see who all the players were and what was happening. My sense is that they were trying, they, they were trying to use science. I'm, I'm, I'm not even, I'm not going to attribute any cynical or negative uh, things. They were trying to use science to solve a problem this was posted publicly. They were all a bunch of interrelationships. And somehow, the uh, it, well, not somehow, but the information, because they 
it's it's a worldwide sense system of, of scientific sharing that the this was picked up in Wuhan and they they tried to do it and it escaped uh, and and uh, and then we we got the result um, but it, we should be careful not to start attributing or or making final decisions because we just really don't know but it does I myself was very skeptical of the lab leak theory originally. I am no longer, obviously, and most of us have shifted. This shifts it much more. And it also connects to the issue that we were discussing before in terms of China. If, in fact, this can be proven, and you know, now we don't have to depend on going necessarily into China and, and having them open up their labs, but if this can be proved almost in a forensic way, that, that the leak happened as a result of an accident, not even malicious, just take away malicious for a second now. It, what we've been discussing before in terms of China-US relationships, everything else just becomes really, really, really much hotter and dangerous in my opinion. Well, I think we have an obligation to use uh, the tools at our disposal. I mean, the, the Chinese continue to have access to our stock markets. They continue to have access to our property markets. And we have an obligation to use that access as a leverage point or as a lever to get into these labs to find out what the hell is going on. Um, do, you, do you really think that that's sort of good, good use of time? I mean, just to answer a point raised by the, 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 the previous uh, talker, that first of all, uh, both grant proposals from um, uh, Eco Health Alliance talk about sort of research into chimeric um, viruses. So SARS-CoV-2 chimeric viruses and also MERS chimeric vi viruses. Now, SARS-CoV, you can sort of say, well, you, you know, it's a little bit dangerous. Mortality rate is obviously higher than flu. MERS is like 35%. If that had got out of a lab, um, if this came from a lab, then <laughs> it would be a completely different story. Can I make a couple of points? I just want to get one or two words if I might, thank you, if I could. Um, I think, uh, first of all, the, this debate, um, whether it came from a lab or it came from a uh, uh, fresh, uh, whatever they call it, a fresh fruit uh, market in Wuhan, um, either way, I, I think there's blame at China. So I don't know why everybody gets into this argument whether China should get blamed or not. Because they, even if it came from one of these uh, markets, I mean, th they knew that other stuff came from the markets, and they d didn't do anything to close those uh, those uh, um, wildlife markets down anyway. And the other thing is, I mean, I, even if it was a lab leak, this is their own stupidity. I mean, it's not like, by the way, they they let it leak for a lab to get to the rest of the world. It's it's like it obviously impacted them too. I think there's a there's a real interesting question about. Wuhan, which has more people than New York City, that it's, a, it's bigger than any American city. Why would you have a lab? Because there are lab leaks and things. Why would you be doing dangerous research in a lab in a city close to, like, you know, one of your biggest cities? It's like the ninth largest, you know, city in in, in China. So it's their own. Even if that's true, I, I wouldn't necessarily have something like nefarious about it that they tried to do to the rest of the world, other than it's their own stupidity because it was no, too no, dangerous. No, what? I would just have to say, Ken, like if you look at the research on the genetic underpinnings of people who get COVID-19, um, I mean, the, the evidence is quite strong 
that it actually doesn't affect Chinese the same rate as it does other people. I mean, there's a there's a if you just Google this uh, for those who are at home, it's a, you know, it's a map. It's a geographical distribution of the Neanderthal core haplogroup that confers risk for severe COVID-19. And it, it's you know, the pie chart shows the minor allele frequency um, at, at, at RS three, five, zero, four, four, five, six, two. And that 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 basically shows that the people who are most susceptible to dying of COVID-19 from genetics, like we're not talking about people with pre-existing conditions or who have other sort of issues, diabetes and the like. Um, we're talking about people who just genetically are susceptible to getting it and dying of it. Um, you can look at and, and see the map and it's all the Indian subcontinent, more or less, and it's uh, Papua New Guinea. Now, th- these are these are the sort of ancestral populations there. Now, those are, you know, in the case of Papua New Guinea, there's a lot of resources there that China wants. And in the case of India, right, uh, obviously, they're a major geopolitical uh, rival uh, of, of China. And so one has to wonder, uh, were they working on this, um, on this, you know, on this virus technology next to their major population center? Because they knew full well that um, that in some sense, the virus wasn't going to hurt hurt their Chinese people as as badly. And now we could also look at like the example of the UK, uh, where the population of British Indians who've died of COVID is actually, I think, like threefold higher than it is for British, uh, you know, sort of ethnic Britons or natural Britons. So, um, you know, yes, we, we can raise a question here of was this a bioweapons lab, which and were the, the things that they were working on not hostile to Chinese? And, you know, when we saw in the early days of the COVID-19 matter, you know, the Chinese were pushing for lockdown everywhere in the world and are increasingly pushing for lockdown. And you saw some of the videos that were released from China of people sort of spazzing out on the ground. Obviously, that hasn't happened in other countries, nor has it happened with the Chinese diaspora elsewhere in the world. So it raises this question of like how much of that was faked. Um, And then, of course, you have China lying repeatedly at every step along the way. So while I agree with you as to whether or not it was a lab leak or whether or not it was, uh, you know, an act, you know, whether it was, you know, the wet markets, the behavior of China over the last basically, you know, really two, three years, increasingly nationalistic, increasingly jingoistic, increasingly on the war footing, increasingly unwilling to participate or collaborate with other countries. This is no good. Like this is really, really. I, I don't bad. disagree with any of that, other than that I would tell you that even if even if I accepted all your premises, right? Even if I accept the fact that they were coming up with some virus that, that would not inf- impact uh, Chinese ethnics as much, b- because of the the risk involved in any of this stuff, doing it in a, in a, in a in a lab in a city of over nine million people, in my view, is 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 simply irresponsible to their own country. Okay. You know, that, never mind what they're doing. Right. The right. But it is, of course, yeah. it is, of course, a dictatorship, right? I mean, I understand. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Right, right, know, it's but, a, you know, yeah. Okay. Uh, but, but, can you post but, that but, somewhere, but, though? Because I have no the, idea. The, the, other, the other thing I wanted to say, Charles, the, the flu vaccine it, it loses its efficacy, not because over like six months, not because of, there's always a new uh, flu, and that's why we changed the flu vaccine. But even in, the, in a given flu season, it loses its efficacy. You know, um, you know, before, you know, over time, the fact that a a vaccines, you know, loses its efficacy doesn't mean it's not really a vaccine. You know, we all got certain childhood vaccines, you know, that probably if, you know, if there was all of a sudden a 
a measles outbreak or some other outbreak right now, you know, even though we've all been vaccinated, you know, that may not hold because it doesn't last forever. Not, so, not, quite, not quite. I mean, I would just say just on a technical matter, the, the mRNA, I guess we're calling them vaccines now. Part of the reason we call them vaccines is so that they go under this regulatory regime that we have at the FDA. Uh, so there's a lot of political fighting as to whether or not the mRNA, you know, you know, thing is a vaccine. Now, a vaccine comes from vodka, you know, right, comes from the smallpox questions, you know, which comes from the cow, right, where you inject a small part of the virus into somebody so as to stimulate, you know, the immune system's response. That's not precisely what the mRNA thing does. It's and more so like get, a therapy Charles, than a Charles, I will, therapy, I will respectfully yeah, disagree with exactly that. Right. But now we're, getting, we're getting off of the headlines here. Anyway, I'd like to look up what Charles said to like the study that you said. Hey, this is all real fast before we get into speculation. I think Dr. Danish said it earlier along with Tyler. You know, we're just reporting what was inside the, the Atlantic and we should leave it at that before we start inserting our own speculation and everything in it, because this is a room with almost 400 people in it. And, you know, I don't want yeah, tech news to I would become say part what, of tabloid news. Yeah, I would say just know? generally when I speak about things, I don't speculate. And if people no, want No, 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 that's fine. That's yeah, fine. I wouldn't we just, say that. We have to be careful. Yeah. Okay, so next headline is China's digital yuan app has now been used 139 million people. From Poppy, and then China seeks gold medal for digital yuan rollout ahead of Winter Olympics. Clever, cheeky pun there. Uh, indeed, that's their kind of, you know, uh, deadline that they want to get everything ready for the Olympics. And the Great Resignation is likely to continue as what percentage of Americans anticipate looking for a new job? I mean. So, uh, Americans anticipate changing jobs in the next year, according to a survey. What percentage? Thirty-five percent. What percentage? Forty-five. Anticipate changing jobs in the next 50, year. Forty-one percent. Thirty. Forty. Forty. Forty-two. Fifty. Fifty-one. One dollar. Hey, Vanilla, cheap. Fifty-two. Uh, fifty-five percent. Twelve. <laughs> Messi, what's the right answer, Messi? <laughs> Messi, is she there? She giggling? She doesn't want to embarrass everybody. Her. It we sounds like L. L. Did you say fifty-five? Yeah, like fifty-five. L ones. L wins with fifty-five. Well done. Okay, great. Good job. Thank you. Most actual number. Fifty-five. <laughs> Self-proclaimed Elon Musk fanboy builds a buys a whole lot of Tesla stock. How much Tesla stock did he actually buy? <laughs> Four twenty sixty nine, Tyler. <laughs> That's a great guess. Ten thousand shares in dollars in U.S. dollars. A self-proclaimed Elon Musk fanboy has managed to accumulate a Tesla position worth X. $23 million. Ah. Uh, $1 million. Yeah. $1 billion. $4.6 Shit. Ooh, excuse me. <laughs> I was close with a billion. Holy crap. Yeah, he right. just Why? wants to get to four point two oh six nine billion, and he's gonna send. He's gonna tweet it to Elon and cash out. 
Speaking of Tesla, the next one says Tesla breaks ground on a new mega factory to produce mega pack batteries. They announce it with and they show a photo of the groundbreaking ceremony with the, the gold shovels and the whole shebang. So I just tweeted that one out at uh, Lathrop, California. It will be used to produce mega packs. Tesla's biggest batteries for stationary energy storage, meaning for cities, basically. They're getting into the municipal energy storage systems as they kind of pioneered down there in Australia. And it, I guess they're happy with the result. And now they're going to get into power storage for cities. Makes sense because you can store the power and use it when you most effectively need it. It, it makes the grids far more effective. Lathrop is like less than an hour due east of San Mateo. Like that's, I think, 45 minutes to an hour. Like that's really close to the Bay Area. Yep. It's an interesting um, place to build. Okay, next one up is from Poppy, the, about, from The Economist, that tomorrow's soldiers will have uh, their reality augmented. Relevant data will appear in the view of the battlefield Tomorrow's soldiers will have augmented reality. Hold that thought for another upcoming headline. Ah, here's the next head. Here's the headline. Uh, and the headline from the Washington Post reads, actually, their headline. I killed Taliban fighters from an air-conditioned room. I became a Marine to test myself in combat. I ended up waging a remote abstract war. So if that sounds like your type of article, I just tweeted that to the Tech News Twitter account. Or maybe this is more your speed. A snot bot drone swoops over blowholes uh, to track whale health. The snot bot uses drones and deep learning to tell us about the health of whales while they exhale. So they drop down a drone. They track the whale. They match the speed. They wait for it to breach above, above water and blow out its air. And then the snot bot analyzes the mucus-filled air of the whale to test the health of the whale. I bet you didn't think of that use case for a drone. Be I actually did. Now I'm crossing it off. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, well, back to the drawing board. The <laughs> BB sends in this one that Bitcoin ETF could arrive as soon as October. A senior commodity strategist at Bloomberg Intelligence says that will put upward pressure on Bitcoin quite notably. Uh, Shopify has reportedly beaten Amazon in notable metric called online traffic. Shopify is said to have reached 1.16 billion average monthly unique visitors during the three months ending in June compared to 1.1 billion for Amazon. Oh, hello. Oh, hello. You hear that sound? That's the sound of Tyler buying another island. That's the sound of Tyler's massive position in Shopify. <laughs> That's the sound <laughs> of very, uh, yeah. A, a, That's the sound of my bank account with shop of my Shopify earnings. The Heyman sends in this one from CNBC that UK publishes plan to become AI superpower and rival the US and China. The so-called National Artificial Intelligence Strategy is designed to boost the use of AI among the nation's businesses. 
And Anita sends in this one that MIT develops a toolkit to let anyone design their own wearable devices. It will allow users to build their own devices to suit them exactly as they need. Tweeted that out. BB sends in this one from The Guardian that an anti-abortion bill modeled after Texas ban introduced in Florida. The bill gives citizens the right to sue anyone who help who helps someone who seeks an abortion. And Kinsha sends in this one, not to be confused with another name. Kinsha sends in this one uh, that a new bug in Microsoft Windows could let hackers easily install a rootkit and take over your machine. In Microsoft Windows? What? What is going on? Big news. How can that even be? And and that's your daily update. <laughs> Windows is a piece of Swiss cheese, y'all. That shit's full of holes. Renjin sends in this and, one. And that's why I'm talking of course, about Microsoft Dune. The question, of course, is, was Microsoft always, or Windows products, always filled with holes? And was that by design? And why was Jeffrey Epstein hanging out with Bill Gates all those years and the Maxwell family? What's that all about? <laughs> It was just a mistake. Honest mistake, Bill said the other day. And why was and why, of course, was Bill Gates so friendly with the Chinese Communist Party all those years? What's that all about? Hmm. I don't know. Charles, there's a tech news drinking game you're unaware of. Every time you say Jeffrey Epstein, people are like getting really drunk. I thought it was every time he says I don't I don't know or check it out. I don't know. Oh no comments. No comments. I mean one has to wonder why that guy always looks like Mr. Rogers and is such a sociopath. One has to wonder. <laughs> you know? I don't know. For, for, from a computer security perspective, I can say that Microsoft Windows has been a joke all the way since DOS and forward. There are actually more security holes for Windows 2000 uh, and onwards than for all operating systems. In total, it's more for one single release of Microsoft Windows, the Windows Server 2000. There are more security holes in that one and then all the other operating systems together. <laughs> you are done. Now we know why they didn't call it Microsoft Door. Oh. Well, well his, name his, is Gates. his name is Gates. You have to wonder, what's that all about? And why is it Jeff Bezos? Hefe Boss? I don't know, man. I don't know. Steve Jobs? You have to wonder about these names. All right, that's my spiritual riff for the day. <laughs> wow. Oh, my God. We're getting deep. Less secure. It's, uh, I mean, operating systems are far more complex. They, you know, have a lot more physical interfaces. 10, 15 years ago, you didn't have Bluetooth. You didn't have Wi-Fi. You didn't have all of these, these sort of technologies. So it's getting more difficult. And moving forward... There's no operating system on the planet application that will basically be able to secure itself from fuzzing attacks. And and with the advent of artificial intelligence, when that's deployed and it's automatically penetrating systems dynamically, forget it. I will tell you, I know somebody who used to go and place uh, spies at other tech companies outside the United States. And their job was to basically go and pay them to put holes in software uh, products uh, that people use in non-American, you know, basically outside the United States. 
So that that was a thing that, that took place. And so one wonders if the U.S. is doing it, who is doing it to the U.S., right? Like, there's an interesting well, question there. Didn't, didn't the, I don't know whether it was the NSA or NSC, didn't they pay developers um, that worked on FreeBSD? And FreeBSD was basically the backbone for Juniper, Cisco operating systems. And, you know, the, the, the VPN technology in there had already been weakened. I mean, you know, purposely weakened. So, I mean, every government, if they have a chance, they'll do this. You know, I mean, this is just SIG, SIG intelligence, you know. It's, it's kids stuff, as they say. Yeah, everybody does it. Um, but it is interesting because one wonders that, you know, when one hears the marketing from, say, Microsoft or Apple or whatever uh, about the safety of their products, one wonders how they could possibly know that with all the engineers that they have. And, and you know, one also wonders, too, if, if one creates a, a, a shop that's known for being easily penetrated because one CEO is compromised, one wonders how these things, you know, will shake out. And, of course, one could look at WhatsApp. Pegasus hack, for instance, as sort of consistent with this. One could look at the uh, uh, Promise software at, you know, scandal uh, uh, back in the day. And so there have been many examples of this over time, uh, basically these sort of uh, backdoors being installed in major tech platforms. Uh, and pretty much every major power does it. Um, and it's pretty, uh, it's pretty elaborate and pretty extensive. Okay, next headline here. Uh, from Rengent that Germany now lets people save their driver's licenses on their iPhones. If you live in Germany, you can have your driver's license on the iPhone with the governmental app ID Wallet. And SoftBank launches, Lakeisha sends in this one from Japan Times that SoftBank launches a new fund for Latin America's upcoming tech boom. How big is SoftBank's fund? Crouching tiger, hidden dragon, riding camel. Three billion. I want to go strongly on record saying that SoftBank is a total fraud. And any one of you who are invested in companies touching them, you should get out as fast as you can. You're welcome. Thank you. That's the end of my TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> end of your twerking. Ding, 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 ding. And this one from RCC that the U.S. arrests. This is from Financial Times, actually, from someone in the audience with the Twitter account, RCC. U.S. arrests finance chief of Russian natural gas group Novatech. Indicted on tax charges connected to $93 million in offshore accounts. Okay, and then Evan sends in this one that Facebook's new CTO, who's brand new, although he's been at Facebook for a very long time, but he's taking over the CTO role because the current CTO is resigning. That's kind of an interesting headline in itself, one of the big headlines this week. But the person who's going to become the new CTO or stepping up in to fill the CTO spot uh, is now being going through the classic uh, cancel culture uh, hazing period of looking back of all of their former comments to see if they've said anything now that they're in the spotlight. And the Daily Mail finds that this person said it was okay to plan terror attacks on Facebook. <laughs> Basically, he said people are being cyber bullied to suicide or be killed in terrorist attacks organized on the site was a price worth paying. 
for connecting people as Facebook's main mission that basically you're going you, to you're gonna have to break a few eggs to make an omelet kind of point that he was making there. Evan sends in this one that some some scientists have figured out how to decode birds singing. Scientists read birds' brain signals to predict what they'll sing next in a breakthrough that could help develop vocal processes for humans who have lost the ability to speak. More good birds and squirrels or whatever. And the so uh, Katarina sends in this one that scientists create an artificial mitochondria that can make energy from damaged cell material, the burst of energy saved in injured cells, providing them with a boost of power to fight back against dangerous molecules that otherwise lead to cell death. Oh, big... shit. This is a big deal. That's very cool. <laughs> yeah. This is a big deal because, so what I found out from one of my college friends is a mitochondria is literally just what's called a proton pump. So, like, they're going to make batteries out of this stuff. Mm -hmm. So we're building the matrix now, eh? Okay. This Saturday just got weirder. Okay, next up is uh, Evan. You have this one that the FBI, the NSA, and the CIA use ad blockers due to fear of targeted ads. A document has revealed that most U.S. intelligence agencies use ad blockers due to fear of targeted ads. And uh, what else do we got here? Dr. Fran sends in one that the new Mac OS, Mac operating system called Monterey, hints at a new display upgrade for the new MacBook Pros. Apple may be about to push MacBook Pro pixel density to 250 pixels per inch. And those should be coming out next month in October. And it might be with a, uh, a mini LED display. That would be fantastic. Cannot wait. The next one, Johan, you send in one uh, the, uh, how uh, Mark Benioff, the, the founder, CEO of Salesforce, says Facebook is what's wrong with America. Yeah, but I'm not at I'm not at my computer right now. But I found that uh, quite hilarious. But it has a quite a sharp edge. Yeah. You can perhaps. Yep, and the next one is from. It has to be destroyed. It has to be destroyed. We have to throw the ring into the volcano. Has to be done. You know, we there, need a the... fellowship. A fellowship to go against the Facebook. And who is the, fellow, the fellowship of the tech news? I'm in. Is is Mark the the eye of Sauron in that metaphor? Um, of course, of course, he sees all. The, I think Mark is Smaug. He's he's but he's he's actually getting people. Um, I think he's putting money into uh, phone banks and things. I mean, he's he's actively stepping beyond just the the the, the press releases and things like that. So he. He's, he is starting to step up a little bit more. What else do we got? Our scientists use AI to identify new drug combination for for children. Scientists have used AI enhanced tools to successfully propose new com new combinations of drugs uh, for for kids. And 
do, 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 do. Lukest sends in this one that, oh, this is a, what a fantastic Tech News Jeopardy. Uh, oh, wrong, wrong clip. Somebody has revealed themselves as Ethereum NFT whale with a $17 million collection of NFTs. What notable person has just revealed themselves to be an NFT collector? Snoop Dogg. Tyler Grout. Snoop Dogg. Amy, that's not oh, fair. You, Amy, you have an unfair advantage. I should have... No, I, I just heard that news like five days ago, Tyler. All right. I may got it. It's Snoop Dogg. She Come got on, the point. Messi's got a Snoop Dogg used to live in my, my town. Point. Snoop Dogg used to live in my town, and his dog bit my friend. And I always found that really funny, so I couldn't stop laughing about it. Um, and it, and I sort of lost the friendship over it. That Snoop what Dogg. Kind of dog was it? Are you sure it wasn't him? What kind of dog was it? It was like I think it was like a like a like a pincer or something like that. I don't know. Oh I didn't inquire. Like... On, I didn't inquire on it because he was like running up by Snoop Dogg's house. I went to school in Claremont, and That's so cool. he, was, he was running up by Snoop Dogg's house, and like the dog got loose and like bit him. And I was like, "Oh, Snoop Dogg's dog bit you!" But Snoop Dogg like tried to give him money to have it all go away. And I just remember thinking, like, "Huh, that's interesting. I, I'm gonna file that away as just like some kind of weird cocktail thing to tell people." So I guess I've I've saved it all this time, and now I give it to you, Clubhouse. Dog bit dog world. Okay, next one up is from Evan. That a sh a new device. Uh, that clips onto a surfboard works as a shark repellent. Uses ele electric pulse to deter the ocean predators. Cuts the tax by two thirds. Australia, it's perfect. How did they test that? In a shark tank. A B testing by surfers. That would be a there great. There we go. What a what a fantastic what a fantastic Tyler, pitch to take on Shark Tank. Yeah. Tyler, you trying to make a joke there? Shark Tank? Yes, I was trying. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler, has the, has the happy hour already started? How many hours is the room? Uh, good question. We are at the... Flawless. We just passed the four-hour mark. Tagline. Tagline. Come for the tech, stay for the comedy. <laughs> uh, so Aaron sends in this one that... Uh, a story from Rolling Stone, and the Rolling Stone headline says, every time someone streams Blau's next song, fans get paid. The DJ and crypto enthusiast is gearing up to launch Royal, an NFT marketplace for music fans who literally want to invest in artists. So nice to see Rolling Stone covering uh, his startup Royal that's launching. And everyone knows the answer to this, so we can't do it for Tech News Jeopardy. But a surprising number of Democrats and Republicans... Uh, Voters want the federal government to crack down on big tech. The answer is 80%. And what's interesting is everyone's realizing that this is one of those very rare uh, bipartisan issues in America. It's very hard to find anything that both sides of the aisle agree on, but it seems... Ah, uh, but we all hate them for different reasons. So can we all <laughs> can we all put aside our specific reasons and unite in our shared enmity of these products? Or will we... Tore, tear the coalition asunder by not hating them all in the very same specific way. We shall see. We shall see. So the next one is from Ken that tech and this uh, from the Wall Street Journal 
and it says Google's plans to buy the St. John's terminal for two billion underscores, a real estate trend that has been underway for years. The tech industry's takeover of Manhattan office space. I think when I actually read it, Tyler, you may not even be able to read it because I think that when you actually open it up, if you have a subscription, it's just going to like take you through like different photographs of different places of buildings that um, major tech companies have bought in New York. I'm not sure if there's a lot of verbiage in the article, but you know, you'll let me know. I this, this is my recollection. I just I just tweeted it out before I read it, and when I looked at it, I said it's more of a pictorial. Okay. And then Faraz sends in one from Bloomberg. The headline says, is this Facebook's big tobacco moment where there, people are starting to make comparisons of uh, Facebook to big tobacco? Walgreens starts offering boosters to Pfizer vaccine recipients. And the New Yorker has a piece that Dr. Franz shares called On the Internet, We're Always Famous. What happens when the experience of celebrity becomes universal? Forms of discourse actually shape our conceptual architecture. The internet made the meme culture and made us dumbbar and devices or dump. Yeah. So Jawbone Ghost rises to sue Google, Apple over ear earbuds. And someone's making CRISPR tomatoes in Japan, making tomatoes with genetic engineering in Japan using CRISPR. Michael Burry who was the star of The Big Short, the, the fantastic movie that everyone must watch, uh, with Christian Bale playing Michael Burry. Brilliantly played, by the way. What a fantastic movie. Anyway, Michael Burry plays the role, uh, or Christian Bale plays the role of Michael Burry, who's an investor who bets against all of the big banks during the housing bubble in 2007, 2008, and wins. And so he, you know... Um, bet big that there was a big housing bubble and won. And so he's got a a real amazing uh, kind of investment ability. And now he's back in the news with this headline from Bloomberg that Michael Burry says he received a subpoena from the SEC over GameStop because he actually kind of inspired the Wall Street bet. For those who don't know, and maybe I know more than this article says, I don't know. But Wall Street Bets um, basically likes to invest in things that are being shorted. And it was Michael Burry was investing in GameStop for that reason before the Wall Street Bets Reddit community did. And that gave them the confidence and the courage to bet along with him. I mean, he didn't really do anything wrong, but he certainly benefited by, (laughs) by, I mean, they kind of, helped him short squeeze, you know, all of the people who were shorting GameStop. So uh, it does make a lot of sense that they would want to get some of his comments. And yeah. UK airports briefly snarled by border force software outage, according to Bloomberg. $2 million Air Force contract will push a Buffalo-based startup forward tweeted that one out france becomes europe's third biggest fintech hub but trails far behind uh fintechs in france have raised about 2.17 billion dollars this year alone and it's only september but the country still trails the uk by a significant margin overall uh, a japanese how are how are are they compared to to sweden 
I don't know. We, I haven't seen the the totals so far for this year. Normally, we get that in early January, like what the totals are for the year. But last year, London is quite a ways ahead on a total basis, not per capita basis, as Sweden likes to measure things. But uh, normally, last year, for example, London was around 12, 12 billion. France might have been around seven or eight. And Sweden was around three. And all of those num numbers will likely, although Sweden's catching up disproportionately, and all those numbers could yeah, like, the, the, yeah, yeah. The, that's why I asked you because you're really this. This is what the the thing you excel at. Yeah, yeah. This is what you do for a living. Yeah. So I haven't got a recent tally. Um, so we'll see. I am to me, India is the really amazing breakout one for for 2021, and it's like unbelievable, uh, un uh, un uncharacteristic of any moment like. And Tyler, you should write an article uh, on that because I think your thesis turned out to be true. Right. So, yeah, I did. I was saying India's. This is like a, the the golden moment for India, and it will be for the next few years still. And, and I can declare here that I used your name uh, at the UK India Healthcare Conference and praised what India is doing and based on what you would what I learned in this room. So, guys, if you're listening in. You, this is the class to be in. Oh, thanks. So in, in there's an article that Dr. Fran just sent in that a uh, Japanese VR headset is meant to be used in bed. So it's a, a one-of-a-kind device, includes a variety of unique features designed to immerse you while laying down in bed. Use in bed? What's and, the material? Uh, yeah, I just tweeted it so you can see it from Dr. Fran. And Donish, you just sent in one. Uh, do you want to talk about that, about Michael Burry? Oh, no? I was just sending that to you on DM. Okay. I was just saying that uh, if you look at their the portfolio, Scion Asset Management, mm -hmm. that's his, his portfolio fund, yeah. has doubled. It's doubled in the last six months. Uh, the guy knows what he's doing. Yeah, Michael Burry's no joke, yeah. The thing, and what's so interesting is he's so contrary and he has such a unique style and he's so contrarian to the market um as evidenced by the movie no, no. Yeah. he has no intelligence ties whatsoever <laughs> <laughs> the inside switzerland's giant water battery a new pumped storage and turbine plant in switzerland could give a significant boost to the development of renewable energies in europe and indeed switzerland's got the lakes god knows that so um, on this, John Madison brought up something in a talk. Uh, I don't know which room, but he was saying if we don't pump water uphill, we save a ton of energy. So I kind of thought the opposite. Why don't we use solar to collect water out of the air, put it on a mountain, and harvest the hydro? So I'm hoping somebody's listening and we'll do this. Okay. And then Frog sends in a video of a, of a blind lady with a cane. But this cane uh, is, an, is developed by a French company, uses sensors to spot an obstacle in the path, and then gives the information they need to go around it via audio in their ears. So they wear AirPods, and it's, it's like a smart cane that can give them additional 
information it like has a camera maybe it has a camera you know it's kind of a wild concept so it just tweeted that one out it, it only costs actually, two... actually the, the, yeah. it was on uh, actually when they had the google glass the first time the, the the tiny one with the camera it was a swedish company that actually developed uh, an assistant for uh, seeing disabled people uh, to warn them for obstacles by voice, voice. so uh, you have a pole right in front of you you're leaving the pavement it's a building up front uh, there is a, it's an object in your way take a step to the left uh, giving audio instructions and it, it even had a, a route planner so you could ask it to show me the way to the dentist for example and it, but but they never uh, leave, did leave the ground and the glass was cancelled and uh, everything else hit the fans simultaneously with this Swedish startup. But they actually, they had a working demo. I, I was walking around with it just for fun. But, so this is also coming. We will see that with the, perhaps the, the Facebook glasses, since they have at least some part of the, the system that you will need for this one. You want done? Evan finds a study that uh, Tinder users take less than one second to swipe right. And BitClout creator didn't raise 200 for... Ah, this is interesting. Cheryl found this one. And the headline says, no, BitClout's creator didn't raise 200 million for a new blockchain. Uh... It's the same old shit, is the article. And I basically said this in this room, did I not? When the article, the headlines were came out like three, four days ago, saying that BitCloud's creator just raised $200 million for a new de decentralized social network called DSO. And I said, nah, actually, not really. Like, the insiders kind of know that that money was already kind of in there, da, 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 da. Now somebody's done a story on it. Well, I, and again, like, who expects anything... A functional and be, you know, like innovative from this guy. He has screwed up so many different things. It's incredible. So, you know, I don't know who would look at like the the social media thing. There are tons of applications that do this. I don't know if like he said it's going to be new blockchain, and I have no idea if that's, you know, there's nothing, no real information about what the hell it is. But it's, uh, you know, once again, he's doing something and it's either super shady or um, or super common or both. Right. So whatever. I'm anybody any like anytime I talk about like the diamond hand stuff or whatever, I get blocked by somebody on Twitter. So go ahead. Have at me, guys. I don't give a crap. <laughs> but, Never but, trust yeah. anyone who calls himself diamond hands. That's my uh, thesis. It's a it's a term uh, in uh, in blockchain that paper hands versus diamond hands. Paper hands let go as soon of like of an asset as soon as you as soon as there's a little bit of a downturn they get scared really quickly. Um, but diamond hands hold on even through downturns, knowing that the future is you know like it's going to go back up. So it's basically try to like uh, what one person I know who is a good person but gets a little bit crazy when it comes to Bitcoin is hold on to your faith, dig deep. Hold on to it. I mean, I don't really understand any of that in terms of investment strategy. Not Nobody says that, hold on to your Apple stock or, you know, IBM's coming back. I, I mean, it just, it's all very silly to me, but, um, but yes, that is, that is what they do. And there's a, there was another, um, another blockchain piece that I will remember in a minute. 
it sounds like a cult, you know? Yes. And the onboarding rule is to, you have to hold the Bitcoins for minimum four years. No, this is, this is, uh, there's not a term really. So this is the difference between the Bitcoin maximalists and the rest of the, you know, singing world. Bitcoin maximalists tend to first individually, they're super nice. Like a lot of them are, are, are cool, smart people, but they're definite. They're the definition of, you know, one person could be smart, but a mob is dumb as hell. That is what happens there. They, their original intent was, was just to keep, um, people coming in with Bitcoin only because there were so many scam coins that at least if you wanted to explore crypto, your safest bet, such as it is, is, is in Bitcoin because it isn't controlled by anyone and because it's, uh, it had a long history. It was easy to determine what the market tracking, you know, like how to track the, the, um, the market conditions and things like that. So it was a good entry point. Um, but it turned into it's the only entry point and you can't go anywhere else. Hodling, interestingly, was created by an early adopter, I think somewhere around 20, uh, 2014. He, you know, mistyped hold. Um, but the strategy is actually pretty brilliant when you think about who is benefiting from it. And I will say I'm a fan of Bitcoin. I'm a huge fan of crypto. I'm all over the place in there. But um, but if you encourage future people to belong to your group, you are required to purchase and hold something all you do is create constant upward pressure in the price with no converse downward pressure because of selling. So what are you doing? You're really increasing the value of those early holders assets. You're making them richer. And I try to tell people this, like the, the there isn't really a good investment strategy that's hold at all costs. It's usually like continually check your assets, you know, rebalance if you need to, or look at the trends, some information and something fundamentally change. If there's a fundamental change, obviously don't stay in it. So, um, I mean, all of that, you know, said, like, I, I mean, there's, like I said, individually love so many of the Bitcoin maximalists, but the rooms are super aggressive and they um, they just want to make sure that you're uh, that I don't know. They don't even consider themselves part of the blockchain community. They consider themselves Bitcoin only. And um, I find that to be uh, dangerous for blockchain as a whole. So but that's just again, the US, I'm, I'm like, is, the U.S. government is coming through the SEC and the Office of Currency Controller. You know, I, I, I want to like just let everybody know. I, I told people the government's moving, my governments are moving against crypto. Saw China ban it. U.S. will ban it soon. Well, so just, uh, enjoy it while you while you have it. No, no, no. China actually does this on a regular basis. And there's actually some really interesting trends that you notice with China. Literally every single year, there's um, been statements. China kicked it out. Uh, China hates it. Um, and then it reverses and says, no, wait, uh, you can't say that blockchain is bad or you can't say that, you know, Bitcoin is the first good application of uh, blockchain. Literally a couple of months ago, they said that that is um, because they don't want people to equate blockchain stuff uh, and things that are crypto with anything bad because it, the, the turnaround happened after they decided to do the E1. But there is an interesting trend between Tron and um, these Chinese statements. So um, my initial thought is just that China is actually purchasing during these downward trends, um, but they don't have any long-term impact. And so much of, of Bitcoin is completely out of China that, to be honest, there's really no reason that any statement that China makes 
will have any impact on Bitcoin, its processing, its future. Like it shouldn't have any impact. It's like, you know, saying like, you know, uh, um, you know, Monaco decides they don't like, you know, crypto. Okay. Like it doesn't matter. It's just, it doesn't really matter what they're doing. There was a period of time where a chunk of it was being um, mined there because of cheap energy, but that period is past. And, you know, no, people are not moving back to China. China just has an incredible interest in, um, in Bitcoin. The Chinese do. They like Bitcoin. They like crypto. Um, and the rest of the world likes it for various different reasons. But um, it's not that it's coming from like it's been known. The Treasury's already said that they're not going to consider people who are miners and, and, um, and devs and stuff like that. They're not going to consider them broker under the Treasury regs. And there's all sorts of stuff. It's not like this dire thing. It's, this happens over and over and over again, it's it's like it's hard to work up serious concern about it at this point. What I worry most about is how the community is approaching um, structuring regulation, which has to happen. We could have a real say in it. And what I get concerned about is that um, there's not enough people who are saying, OK, we can fight amongst ourselves, but we have to be united against the outside world. Um, and if there isn't that sort of um, collective approach, then we have what happened with the infrastructure bill, which is no modifications happen, right? So um, so I worry about that kind of thing. But I, it's not to say that that's, you know, you know, the OCC's already put out statements at the Office of the Comptroller of the Currency there under Treasury, and they handle um, banks, but also the, um, you know, Treasury has said stuff, Fed has said stuff, you know, they have specific areas that they look at. And to be honest, most of it is not wrong. Like, a lot of DeFi should be a security, but people are stuck on Howie is all of securities law. It, it is not. It's like a part of a part. Um, but, you know, there's a whole string of case law about that. And I don't know why. Uh, I don't know who is talking to these people, if they're hiring lawyers, what lawyers they're hiring. I mean, if they're if they've ever been to law school or they know where to find the securities laws. I'm not even sure because some of the advice is clearly erroneous. So uh, anyway. That's my diatribe. I'm sorry. I'm on something today. I'm like on like a rant thing today. I'm sorry about that. Yeah, but uh, on this note, can I say something, um, uh, Tyler, if that's okay? Uh, so this coming Monday session, uh, after the main room, uh, I have invited Alexandra and Jennifer to do this room called NFT Basics and Legal Implications. Basically, to give those newbies the real well, real artists, real musicians and uh, content creators who really want to seriously and curiously want to try this space to understand it properly, to start on the right foot. Uh, uh, so if you're interested, uh, please join the room on Monday. Okay. Oh, and also Heyman has uh, <laughs> kindly offered to record the room so that, uh, well, try not to miss it because you can ask some questions during thing. But I will try to structure it so that it will be different from the other hype rooms. Uh, Cheryl, what day is that and what club is it under? Monday, uh, Monday, you can uh, look at the Tech News Club. Uh, it is already scheduled inside. But I'll be putting the structure inside, uh, add the structure in as well. But you can take a look inside already. It's already, it's already there. Okay. Uh, on the and I do, I do an NFT room um, on Thursdays at uh, 1 p.m. Pacific. But it tends to be like we focus on a particular topic, like platforms, pricing, stuff like that. I do a DeFi room, a news room, and a pricing, and, a, and an NFT room. 
Uh, and that one is more a mix of different levels, like people have already done a drop or in the process of it or want to come up with, like are, are trying to figure out what kind, how to structure their, um, their current uh, drops, what to do with their particular um, art style or music style or how, you know, what would be a, a good project or whatever. They're very fun rooms. They're not really as focused on the beginner stuff as this room that Cheryl and I are doing. So that's going to be understanding from the beginning, um, you know, even uh, what is blockchain and how does it work? Because uh, I think that there's a lot of misinformation about that. It's not magical. It doesn't take the place of the internet. It's part of the internet. It's like, it's like a part of another, it's another technology that will access um, and hold information. It holds it differently. So there's a few things it does, it, uh, it does uh, well, but it does those really well. Um, and an internet isn't not it, like centralized internet is not good at, and not as good at that. So, so it'll go down to basics. Um, and, uh, because Cheryl had mentioned that that would probably be a good idea for, for people who want to get involved, but have zero grounding in it. So that's kind of what we're approaching it from, I think. Right, Cheryl? Tyler. Yeah. Uh, I've just tweeted out a Canadian study, which is they've withdrawn, but the damage is done. It's about... Uh, mRNA vaccine causing cardiomyositis and it's it's out by about 25 fold it, it, so that it's not as dangerous as it, they were trying to make out but it's been spreading apparently there's a article I've just put it out for on tech news around the world okay. TNTW I'll keep an eye out for it uh, uh, the next uh, there was a, a related article to the whole China crypto conversation, FTX, which is one of the hottest crypto exchanges, uh, was based in Hong Kong. And now they've moved their whole operations to be based in the Bahamas. Crypto derivatives exchange, FTX officially moved its HQ from Hong Kong and now is in the Bahamas. As they have to be, because they're worried that uh, the crackdown in China will apply to Hong Kong as well, which very likely will. So they're kind of very smart for, to do that. And Evan sends in this one from Protocol that the, the hottest new perk in working in a tech company is a week off for burnout recovery. Tech companies like uh, Bumble and Google and HubSpot are giving their workers more time to address burnout. And Will it reduce complaints about working, though? That's the question. The energy prices are surging 250%. It could lead to a global collapse. Energy prices in Europe have considerably risen after the pandemic with green transition still underway. Could it lead to a global economic collapse is the question. And Any of our UK friends, any update on the gas shortages and lines? Is that still? I heard. Yeah, yeah. it's pretty bad. <laughs> Uh, my wife had to wait for a couple of hours to get petrol this afternoon. Uh, but it's, oh my God. And, and, and you know, those sh big shopping centers that have car petrol stations, they're all shut down. But I'm sure it's because people are behaving uh, with that mentality to go and hoard stuff. Uh, I haven't bothered to fill it. My Ask car. Have they gotten American yet where they're filling up um, plastic bags full of gasoline or no? <laughs> Texas style. 
No, for real, they're doing that and shoving them in their trunk. Can you imagine? Like, if there's a car accident, that's like, incredible. So, people are so stupid. Petrol balloons. They had, they had to put up advisories during the, in Florida saying, like, please don't use, like, plastic bags to fill them up with gasoline. It's not safe. So, uh, another... The answer is electric what? cars, right? Tesla. One of the um, one of the things I read about this um, gas shortage uh, in the UK, there are not enough truck drivers. Uh, is there? Is that? That's, a, that's like, an understatement. Did they stop? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think so. You guys should be creating uh, truck driver-free lorries that can. So that's where the this is the market need. Market need is to have because we're not going to get lorry drivers and people are can earn something like 70 to 100,000 pounds as lorry drivers, apparently. So, so yeah, if you've got a license for heavy yeah, goods vehicle, um, go for it. a month ago. Well, um, yeah. relating to the supply chain logistics thing, let's be uh, clear here in the U.S., over the last 20-odd some years, there have been so many regulations that have pushed out a lot of or challenged a lot of the independent drivers. And then you had major corporations that used to have their own drivers that had their proper CDLs that they opted to spin a lot of that stuff off. And a lot of that group has aged out. So we have created the issue ourselves because a number where people used to can make a lot of money, it dwindled and now there's a demand for it and it takes a while for those things to come back. So, yes, I guess technology matters, but two, the ups and downs of regulation and the impact on wages on the entrepreneur has catastrophic implications down the line. Yeah, they have these really, in the U.S., they have these really weird regulations where, um, so truckers primarily drive alone and they have to, they have a maximum number of, um, of hours that they can drive per day, um, which is like 12 or 14 hours, something like that. And then they can't drive and they can't be paid for hours that they, that they, um, have otherwise that they drive, but they have to get to a destination by a date certain. And apparently there are bonuses if you get there earlier. So if the bonus exceeds, you know, the, the payment that is, you know, the overtime that isn't paid, right? Like that lost payment, then clearly they're going to exceed the number of hours. I don't know why they don't just require truck drivers to work in pairs. That way they can work more hours. They'll stay awake because there's company. It's safer. And, and both of them could get paid while driving essentially close to 24 hours. So I don't really know why they do that, but there's like at least four companies that have come up with automated um, uh, semis right now. So I know that Freightliner- Because there's, there's, a, there's, there's a driver thing. shortage. That's why they, could, they, they don't have enough people to do pairs. Yeah, well, no, before that- It's a visa, before... it's a visa issue in the UK though, right? I think you're uh, but, Yeah, it's Brexit is having an impact, but also- so the UK is not they... allowing foreign uh, drivers to come. No, no, it's not that we're not allowing, they're not coming. It's not that we're not allowing. They're not coming. It's a visa crisis. Yeah, it's a visa crisis. Uh, it's not so much visa crisis. It's more of a people because of what happened in COVID and then Brexit. Those who went and they had problem getting home at Christmas and said the people don't want to come because while there is uh, all this quarantine. That's why on 4th of October, anyone can come to the UK and you don't need to have your PCR test. So, you know, we're going back to relative normality as it were but the problem main problem is 
there aren't enough drivers. And the other thing is that they have to stop and sleep at certain point, which is right, because if they're tired, then they'll have accidents. So that's why you see lorries queued up on the motorway uh, on this, uh, you know, hard shoulder sometimes or in the bylay. The, th the, th the thing is here that I, I myself, I drive a lorry or rather a large truck as a hobby. Uh, I have a gravel truck that I pull about 1,000 tons each year to help my friends. So I, I know extensively amounts of this, what it's called driving and resting times. The thing is in the whole Europe and most part of the United States, not all states in the United States have the same regulations. You can, when you begin your, begin your shift, you can drive for four and a half hour, then you must take a 45 minute break. And the thing is, this is by digital surveillance. And they, the, the, if you get stopped in, in uh, at a weight scale or another uh, customs stop that are available all over Europe, uh, and they plug your, your uh, driver data into their central system, and then see that you even have dried four, four hours and 31 minutes, you get a penalty. And the maximum hours you can drive a week is 42 hours. And you can only drive for nine hours a day in Europe. Uh, and if you go beyond 42 hours uh, one week, you must go below 40 the week after. And this with having uh, dual drivers, is that they have prohibited this as well since you can't be you can't register as asleep when somebody else is moving the truck you can't sleep in the sleeper of the truck and have that as calculating as rest you are then at work still so yeah the idea with dual headed drivers yeah we have been over that but they have regulated it to hell the thing is here, the shortage you're mentioning here is not only that people doesn't want to come to UK. We have the same problem in Sweden. We have the all over Europe. Uh, we have a, quite a lot of Eastern European people that comes to the Nordics, for example, because this is where I see them and drives trucks. And the reason they do that, at, we can't get our youngs to actually get the driver's license. They don't want, they rather go without the work than taking a driving license, even paid by the state. They won't take the driver's license and the accreditation you need. They don't want that kind of work. It's they, they, the, 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 the vogue generation, which I joke about, uh, they don't want to work with, with honest work. I do this as a hobby, but that's me. And I was dropped as a little, you undone. Uh, this is Robert. Real quick, back on this thing, real quick, to also to understand from a guy who had warehouses and trucks all over the place and dealt with them from plants. Beyond the beyond the worker having to deal with, um, or the driver having to deal with their time driving, there is time where they have to sit, uh, either when they're picking up a load or dropping off a load, and also as you're having worker issues. I'm not going to go into this immigration thing. That's up to you guys, but if, if you're not getting enough people at the places where they have to pick up and drop off, they are burning time also while they're in those places. So they're not always mobile. So there's a lot of things up and down the line and uh, it is an area of opportunity. Maybe the wages and the opportunity will spark a younger group or a new group of people to go after those opportunities. 
but um, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Thank Robert, you. Isn't that the, the reason the for creating? It's not the issue for creating driverless vehicles even more than. No, that's not going to happen but, in the near future. But the thing is, guys, you guys are missing one point, though, right? It's the cheap labor, just like in farming in the U.S., that has been driving your uh, trucking industry, right? And the reason why this is all happening is because of the visa restrictions that have prevented cheaper East European workers from driving the trucks. And unfortunately, as Johan said, the, the native population does not want to hot, do Ken. those jobs because they're low-paying. Yeah, but they so, weren't, were, they at one time were not low-paying jobs. Exactly. All I'm saying exactly. Exactly. Yes. Yeah, exactly. It's not, the, it's not the regulations, everything else. It's companies basically lower paid, so they actually relied on foreign labor to do this. And after Brexit, this is what happened. So again, it's the government stuff, and autonomous stuff won't come for at least a couple of years more. So at this stage, uh, let, you guys need a solution. That's visas. And uh, Heyman, you're right, because I'd read an article recently, just in the last two days, I think, for fruit picking. Oh, this has been going tweeted, on for years. T- yeah, I know, but tweeting us. They're now paying £60,000 uh, for someone to come and pick their fruits. Look, it's Adam Smith it's in a mirror. so I think it's great. I, I think it, if the market adjusts so that people can truly make a living without the government getting involved, and it truly the market helps decide, uh, design wages that people can live at, perfect. Alexandra, you mentioned tandem dri- uh, dual drivers. Those of us who had rush orders, I was more than willing to pay for dual drivers and cabs. It is a money thing. Um, so, But there's a lot of people who try and go on the cheap. That's Robert. I'm out. Thank you. And, and last, uh, last thought-provoking thing. We have a surgeon with us on the stage. Uh, Dr. Danish, can you explain to me any kind of restrictions on you getting tired or how many hours you need to be working? <laughs> there are currently exactly. no Surgeons work 36-hour shifts often. Jesus. There you go. Paramedics can work a one one 24-hour shift in a row. You've, you've got, no wonder you got pharmacies right there on the premises. And, and you want to make sure they don't that's make right. any mistakes and because it counts against their record as a thing. If they're operating on something that's a life-important life thing, like, why don't we give them more sleep? Um, the medical I, thing is ridiculous, though. I mean, that's a lot of. I mean, the um, the internship year where you know you're like three days on and one day off or whatever. I mean, I know it's so that you can learn to work tired, but is it part of it just because the people in charge had to do oh, it just too? To clarify, we don't do that anymore. So now, no, that's anymore. Good. yeah. So so across, uh, you know, what's really exciting for everybody is uh, that the trainees. Uh, the residents, they don't actually have to work uh, the crazy hours. So what ends up happening is that the attendings end up working crazy hours, uh, which attendings are people that have finished residency or are actually on staff. And they have an 80-hour work week for residents, but there are no restrictions for the actual physicians who are attendings. And it's a a real issue. I think they're going to try to address it at some point, but, you know, uh, not right now. So right now, a lot of Depending on the type of uh, neurosurgeons, probably have the worst uh, neurosurgeons and cardiac surgeons probably have the worst call. But uh, the, the the challenge really is uh, going back to the truckers and the doctors. It's funny how similar uh, the challenges are. Uh, but you know, w- one challenge is just how do you even regulate that when uh, w- when there's a shortage. 
but you is that similar though? Because we are tightly regulated. We have licensing and all those requirements, right? So we are not easily replaceable like a driver can be because they are at menial levels, right? So they can be easily replaced by anyone who's willing to move and do the job, right? Well, I mean, let's, 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 have so, special, special licenses to be a trucker. Anybody just yes, can't but, just go drive a trucker. Drive oh, a truck. I know, I know. But it's, I'm just saying that it's just in terms of ex, like, like, you know, we can't, I mean, honestly, like during this pandemic, we noticed that the people like doing these stuff is what has been helping us do ours, right? And unfortunately, we're sort of like not recognizing the fact that these truckers, these people who work front lines, I mean, the other front lines, right, are the ones who keep us uh, like doing this, like, and uh, be able to stay at home and do all this stuff. And we can't be like really nickel and diming them and ensure, like, you know, that's what I'm saying. Technology is not going to replace them soon. Even though we have autonomous trucks coming, right? We won't replace them soon. So I'm just wondering, like, I think the point is that we have to be conscious of the fact that they need to be also helped. And we need to advocate for that too. Sorry, just... Can we just, can we just, like, be frank here? It's, it's a function of the, of the lack of respect of the multiple stakeholders required for companies to, to derive their profits. You know, 30, 40 years ago, the HP way, you know, had been talked about this where the, uh, you know, the, the customer was a stakeholder, the shareholder was a stakeholder, but the employees were stakeholders, people in the community in which they worked were stakeholders. So with a, an assault on unions for the past few decades, you have certain job classifications, certain job roles in society that are, they've, been, um, they've been on the slide. Okay, and, and we can hold off on how unions, how, how poorly managed they can be often, okay, because they are poorly managed, but there are probably ways to kind of clean that up a bit. But I, I just, I, I'm just kind of rolling my eyes talking about doctors and comparing them to truck drivers. It's well, like, there's there's, there's, it's, I'm not finished. Just a second, please. I, I, appreciate, I appreciate it. So, I mean, can we just, you know, technology, it's going to take a long time for the, for the drivers to actually get replaced and there's a whole it, it's, it's going to happen in certain situations um but it's, it's going to take a while but but this is not that's not it's this this is not apples and apples once you start to compare it to doctors whatsoever so i just you know i i the, the uh just remember uh the, the middle class is what built the american dream from the 20th century full stop and the pendulum has been and the forces behind it going the other way have been in effect for a few decades now so just let's think about the world we want to build and um and the you know not just the families that need to be fed and all that but it is, it is a systemic problem for for this type of quite frankly exploitation so anyways i'm david i sorry tyler you you know my thoughts about the, on this topic i'm done speaking i have some breaking news from the fda if you're interested go ahead Okay, well, this is also crossover with uh, AI as well. Um, basically, uh, the FDA has approved its first digital pathology uh, system for prostate cancer detection. And the name of the, uh, the device is called Page Prostate. And um, basically, uh, it was a de novo um, marketing approval, which means that the device uh, can be marketed um, under the FDA regulations, but this is still 
kind of a landmark, really. Um, and what they've shown uh, with this device is uh, during the clinical trials, uh, they had uh, 500 uh, they had 16 pathologists uh, examine 527 slide images of digitized prostate biopsies that were scanned. And um, among those slides, uh, 356 were benign and 171 were cancerous. And um, each of these pathologists uh, assessed the slides uh, twice, once using page prostate assistance and one without. And what they determined was that the accuracy of, of uh, prostate cancer detection went up um, by seven percentage points from 89.5% uh, to 96.8. So there you go. Cami, could it, could it uh, do it by itself without the pathologist? Oh, um, well, the way they're positioning this is as an assistive uh, tool for pathologists, but you don't have to be a prostate um, pathologist to uh, detect um, the prostate cancer, if that makes sense. You can be um, a generalist pathologist, if that's a term. Yeah, but um, you could also be a, 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 a doctor, GP sort of person who has had some less, you know, like they have people who do obstetrics as primary care. They're not obstetricians. Uh, and so you could have you could introduce that into a curriculum of a medical school or a postgraduate training where you get a certificate. And then with this assistance, you could reduce, basically that's another job gone for pathologists. Well, I think the pathologist jobs are absolutely safe with this particular product because how um, they're couching it or positioning it is as an assistive tool for pathologists, not necessarily prostate pathologist. Um, however, they are not saying this is um, an assistive tool for anyone, if that makes sense, Professor Asif. As, a, melan yeah, as a melanoma survivor who went to Stanford and got my care at Stanford, and turns out Stanford, with, with lots of the brains over there, they came up with some great ways to kind of get some diagnostics with, with AI. I just wanted everybody to understand that, you know, the whole notion that doctors will be kind of in the driver's seat for diagnosing melanoma, that should be on the plate as well. And so as, as humans, seeing the rise of AI and its deployment, I think that we just need to, again, just because there's big degrees of difference between the lobby power of the, of the medical profession, you know, vis-a-vis -vis, uh, the, trucking, the trucking institute, I just, I just want to say that we can, it just... Just take a big breath every time, hopefully, when you, we, we get these kinds of comparisons. And as we see the ethics of AI, it's completely, it, it, this, it needs to be at the center of the table here. So, sorry, I, I, this, that's my last comment. Sorry. So one thing I was going to mention about this, Cami, this is the Memorial Sloan Kettering group that I think, is that the, is this the same group? Because I, I remember hearing about it yesterday on MedCity, but... The, the, oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, and I also cool. talked about it in, um, on, in the Future Brain Club as well, awesome. I believe. Um, let me see here. Let me pull up who was behind this. Pretty sure it was this. Memorial Sloan Kettering, but I was going to say that, you know, the, 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 uh, Asif, the, the big thing here is, as you know, pathologists use many different tools. I think the goal of this one was to take a general H&E general &E slide and use that to be able to predict whether you need to get additional testing. So that's what they were trying to do in this one.
I'm pretty sure that is their approach uh, in a more detailed fashion. So, uh, you know, we usually, whenever, I'm not a pathologist, but, you know, when, when pathologists usually look at these, they usually use very standard approaches of evaluating the slides. And then once you use those, the goal is to figure out what additional tests do you need to run. This one, to Cami's point, it allows a normal pathologist to then figure out what to do next, which is the most important issue right now with prostate cancer being so uh, poorly diagnosed. I think and that's here's exactly what's exciting. right. Oh, go ahead, Anne-Marie. Oh, no, Cami, I was just going to say, for most of the, the, the AI, um, we call them like pre-diagnostic, right? There's so like a screening level tool. And that's what we're doing in ultrasound as well, and many other imaging modalities outside of ultrasound. But like in our case, we're not trying to replace uh, pediatric echocardiographers or pediatric uh, sonographers. We're just trying to make sure that those on the front lines of care and in emergent care settings have a tool that will give them enough information, like a clinical decision tree, enough information to refer appropriately and in a timely fashion to the one that's sitting in front of a $300,000 piece of equipment and can do the real work. So it's really not uh, replace it, it's, it's adjective, it's, it's helping um, add an earlier pathway to treatment. Yes, I, I totally agree with you, but what I'm saying is this is the, the way forward and that what I'm suggesting that we need to make sure the medical students get trained into these things. So the, so we need more generalists with access to this kind of thing so that we will need more doctors but generalist type and i just want to also um, give a little uh, quick backdrop on why this is pretty exciting um, because prostate cancer is one of the most common cancer in american men second only to skin cancer and about one, one out of eight males in the U.S. will be diagnosed with prostate cancer during uh, his lifetime, according to the American Cancer Society. So, um, and it's preventable. It's uh, one of the most preventable cancers. So having, um, I guess, a second pair of eyes, <laughs> if you will, on um, biopsy images to help detect cancer, that's exciting. Okay, <clears throat> back to the headlines. Uh, this one from Evan, how the mafia is pivoting to cybercrime from Vice, which no doubt, yep, it is about the Spanish and Italian police explain how organized crime is going online and they busted a bunch of uh, cyber criminals, which turned out to be the mafia because the mafia is getting it digitizing just like everybody else is. And uh, the next one is from Netta that a nose spray filled with love hormone oxytocin may help fight obesity. The latest research by scientists at Imperial College of London suggests the hormone can curb appetite. I <laughs> might also be wildly... It's a very interesting concept, yeah. Tyler. Just yeah. think about, the, like, if we just need more love, and then we would eat less, I guess. Yeah. And then Evan sends in uh, an interesting one. That Noah's Ark hunters claim they've found the boat in the Turkish mountains. Using... I predict a tourist site in 12 we did years. It. We did it, everybody. We did it. We found Deep Noah's time. Ark, everybody. What the? It only took, what? What's the calculation? That's fantastic. A isn't, giant. Isn't Istanbul like it's like, like there's a lot, a lot of tourism over there and stuff? It'll be great. Can you imagine the tourism? Yeah, Chris is thinking. 
Yeah, I mean, Chris is thinking the American way. We need to figure out how to make money off of it. We need to basically figure out how to monetize this for maximum content and make sure essentially we can have, you know, the number of visitors per year and have, like, you know, the the authentic, you know. I think we also found the Loch Ness Monster today. Do you see that article separately? Yeah. It's a good day for for, for money hunting for new theme park concepts. Hold on. You know what's crazy? We have a phone channel full of trolls. (laughs) It's very. Now, you know what's weird about this? is as somebody who ha- went to a private Christian school uh, for my until yeah, from up until eighth grade, which is around 13. Um, the location where it's found is actually quite interesting on the edge of the Black Sea. And what's interesting about that is for people who study the, the biblical flood, as I did for a period of time, that it's believed by some um, that the the f- flood was actually not because the the Black Sea isn't that far from Israel, for example, where the you know where the Torah you know accounts the story in Genesis. And that basically, the if you look at the Strait of Bofors, which can you know right goes right through Istanbul. And then creates the Black Sea, and the Black Sea is actually quite a very large, you know, uh, lake for <laughs> or sea. And, lake. But it, yeah, but it comes Body of water. It comes through a very small canal of water that makes it. And the idea is that maybe that the Black Sea formed very rapidly, right? And that there that used to be a civilization underneath the Black Sea, right? And so a flooding of that size that quickly would be interpreted by people of that region as a global flood. I mean, to them, it is the whole world. So it was sort of a big part of the known world at that time. And and then this boat is found on the edge of the Black Sea, like literally on the coast of the Black Sea today. So biblical researchers studying a boat-shaped formation in Turkey say that the new data increases the likelihood that the formation originally dismissed as a geological anomaly, is a man-made structure that appears to match the biblical description. But the the location, to me, on the edge of the Black Sea makes it tradition, uh, also a little more interesting. These the results, ancient is prophecies there any, have been revealed. Essentially, the end times are upon us. <laughs> is there any evidence that the the flood really actually happened? Because I guess... It's in the Torah, it's in the Quran, it's in the Bible, but is it in science? Yeah, but the Bible and Torah are the same in this case. They're both uh, Old Testament, right. yeah. Abrahamic. There's a lot of cultures that have like some ancient flooding, like like right. stories with things, and so right. there's probably there's probably something that happens. Just we have no idea what. If right. It was, like, but a the, the city that flooded, or if it was like you know, the Black a bunch sea. of stuff. The, yeah, it probably wasn't some canopy of critters surrounding the planet, unless like some random f- understanding of physics radically changed. But it, it's it, probably something happened. This is when you wish there was a pious version of Charles. It's like you know, in John nineteen nineteen, it says <laughs> just saying non eugenics variant. You should be aware that there have been calculations done regarding that the flood that they speak about was a large tsunami after a volcano exploded in Italy uh, in ancient ancient times. And now we're talking about 6,000 years before before Christ 
that they've there's actually, all sorts of stuff. Yeah, yeah, it, 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 and uh, I, I did read this. Uh, I did go down down that rabbit hole a couple of years ago. I know. Uh, yeah, but so they 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 were, of course, there were a couple of ruins they found on, but this couldn't have been land. Uh, this must have been constructed underwater. But it actually finds out that the tsunami that hit those Greek islands from that volcano that detonated in, in, in uh, of, of, it might be uh, on the heel of, of the uh, uh, Italian peninsula. Uh, there it was a volcano that detonated and that tsunami might have drenched all the way up to the Nile. Uh, but this is just theories. So, so it's, yeah. It's only tangentially related, but there's a movie called Kingdom of Heaven, which is kind of Orlando Bloom. It was a, it's a weird movie with things, but it was, it was really beautiful. Um, but they had a they had a really interesting little throwaway scene. Well, not throwaway, but it was, it was a side scene where he's like uh, throwing rocks at a bush going it was just basically a bunch of things to you know some random like gas thing and like a flint thing and then the guy sees a burning bush or whatever and it's i don't know it did it, it some interesting ideas playing with the idea of like faith and history and like this weird kind of like interpretation thing but i don't know it's a little off topic but it was an interesting movie kingdom of heaven so in in this uh bible or noah's ark basically they're making the point that they've now used technology to scan this interesting um mount tenderick which has a very peculiar geography to it and it looks like something big is buried under it so they now have used modern technology to scan the thing and it turns out that there's reason to believe there's something the size of what would match the 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 dimensions of noah's ark under this mountain is this another a revolution one? in in archaeology happening with this uh, this radio scanning technology? They're finding all kinds of like Mayan ruins and all, all kinds of interesting things hidden under the earth. Thanks. It, it, real quick, is where is this one? This is an underwater, like they do hydrophones or something. No, it's a mountain. Oh, it's a it's a mountain okay. on the edge of the Black Sea, which makes it doubly interesting because if the water was above, uh, kind of where it is on the edge of the Black Sea, like makes sense that the ark would land on top of a kind of mountainish top anyway but the the idea that it uh using this new kind of uh geo scanning and un when they scanned it it reveals that there's something under there that isn't normal so they're now i guess going to have to go through and try and unearth this thing it's wild okay so the next one is from jeff g U.S. Air Force official says China might strike from space. Air Force Secretary warns that China has potential to actually put weapons in space. The CubeSats will descend upon the Earth and will have small little meteors of essentially exactly three feet across in our front lawns. And from CNN, uh, it says that Len for those who do, does, do people not, I assume people outside of California don't know what La Nina is. It's the countermeasure to El Nino which is, are these two weather systems that we get every few years in California. And the headline says that the La Nina, is a, which comes every few years, is about to take the southwest drought from bad to worse. Did I tell you? Did I tell you it was going to get worse? Did I tell you these droughts aren't going to end? Did I tell you it was going to get worse, as bad as they are now? And there was a headline I skipped. Still question, if we ever fix climate change, should we still have these headlines? Of like, you know, this weather event yes. is happening and now it's getting worse. <laughs> Those, the, though summer rainfall brought some of the relief to Southwest, the unrelenting drought 
there is about to get worse with La Nina on the horizon. I told you, I told you, I told you. Evan has this one from Ars Technica that a new USB-C type 2.1 standard offers up to 240 watts of power delivery, which means you can now use USB-C uh, for all, uh, you know, laptops, desktops, everything. We can now use USB. But would it be banned under new European regulations? No, they're going to enforce. They're forcing it. <laughs> well, for this for this for this edition, but they're going to freeze in a certain version number. And then there's a a hundred and twenty three thousand mile per hour nuclear rocket could reach Mars in only a month. That would be fantastic. Magic. Nuclear rockets, here it comes. It's a way of basically the uh, the the basically salvaging the all the engineers at Houston. There's a lot of internal politics at NASA for who who gets to work at what. Twitter begins testing topics for Twitter spaces. It is currently English only and Android only with only 10 to choose from, but you can now put your Twitter space in a topic. And speaking of uh, droughts, Washington Post says drying crops, spiking energy bills, showers only, showers once a week. In South America, the climate future has arrived. From the frigid peaks of Patagonia to the tropical wetlands of Brazil, worsening droughts this year are slamming farmers, shutting down ski slopes, and upending life in general. And then Delta Airlines calls for carriers, like America Airlines, United, and everybody, to share names of unruly passengers. I love it. I love it. Delta says it has submitted the names of more than 600 banned passengers to the FAA. Let's do it. Let's build that database. Let's name and shame jackasses on air, airplanes. Count me in. Hotels should do the same. Uh, Turkey uses How about Uber drivers. Why not just people that get caught in the wrong, wrong, uh, you know, wrong, wrong incident when they walk in front of a green camera somewhere? We could just do this for everyone. The uh, we talked about this. Turkey uses facial recognition. And I said, we even, I even said on the facial recognition thing, like it's likely to be. You know, how, you know, how, like that they have, um, that they have like the the red light cameras and the newer, more advanced ones that like have like uh, being able to like detect the license plate of people speeding by, and then they'll, they'll they'll like sell these out as like contracts to different private companies to do a thing. You could do theoretically the same version for doing activity detection if people are being rude in public. If you can actually identify like you know public things, you could have an automated like AI just kind of build them automatically for it. Or if we if we embraced. Uh, facial recognition and then if it spots somebody being a jackass and it says uh you know hey jeff stop being a jackass and it you know it just reminds you that you know you're um you know you're being surveilled turkey uses facial recognition to spy on millions secretly investigates unsuspecting citizens is the headline so i'm just tweeting that one out from evan and then this one's from Lucast or Lucast supermarket food distributor goes bust amid the driver's chaos in the UK. The company had a number of major contracts with supermarkets and employed around 1,000 workers in warehousing and driving. And now it's gone bust. And Elon Musk and Grimes are semi-separated. SpaceX founder said that their work had seen them spending significant amounts of time apart. And Grimes says they're, they still love each other, but, and they're still uh, in contact and uh, whatnot. But I think Elon's quite busy these days. That didn't last. I am shocked. Shocked, I say. That is a 
I, I don't know what to say. Speechless. We shall all mourn. And what will baby AX13 blah blah whatever? France trials virtual reality empathy machine on domestic violence offenders. Oh, this this, this could be a hot debate. Uh, this could go really dark. <laughs> France is launching an experiment that uses VR to stop men convicted of domestic violence from reoffending. And what are they showing these men in this VR experience? I would <laughs> like to know. Curious minds. So, so they're gonna have like the VR therapy for every crime that you have with things. Is just like you're gonna have your personal simulated world that you basically trap people in until they basically come up better. I wonder if it shows them what their new life in prison might be like with their new cellmate Tyrone. That could be a very interesting therapy. This is Tyrone. He's six five <laughs> and two seventy five, and he's gonna straighten you out on domestic violence. <laughs> oh my goodness. That could go in so many different directions. Um, the next one's from Dr. Fran, and it's from Wired. This 3D-printed chicken breast was cooked with frickin' lasers, is the headline. Engineers at Columbia University developed a system that can simultaneously produce and heat food with precision. Lab-grown, laser-cooked chicken. The people that tested this out, I think, are the real heroes here. Robin, who was the random all... dorm mate rooms people that basically got conscripted for the crazy chicken experiment? Maybe... This is all Star Trek stuff, like the you know the processor where they walk over and they put like beep beep beep, and then out comes like whatever food, and it's different food for different people, and they seriously, how, seriously, how did you get into tech news without knowing that it's called a replicator? Do we don't do have any? This is like a two I know. I know. Will they be producing triggers? I snuck in and blew my cover. Um, the next one's from Alexandra. Uh, that when the FBI seizes your messages from big tech, you may not know about it for years. Microsoft, Google, Facebook, and other tech firms are pressing lawmakers to enact new rules to stop prosecutors from secretly snooping on private citizens. Essentially, they have gag orders uh, that can be sent with the subpoenas. Usually they subpoena the stuff and they do need to notify you that they've, you know, the big tech notifies you that they're being subpoenaed about your data to warn you. And then sometimes they can't, sometimes they're gagged from doing that. And that gag can last for a few years. And this also does not cover the, uh, the, the, uh, uh the, the the bulk collection ones where essentially the way that people thought that it was is like you know one by one but the thing is inc increasingly it's literally just like i'd like everyone in the state of idaho or i'd like everyone within, within like a 100 mile radius of this new york city or this uh or i'd like every single person that searched in the world for x y or z and so when you have these broad queries you can end up sweeping you know hundreds of thousands or millions of people at a time so it, it gets a little fuzzy real quick <laughs> Okay, next one is from Dr. Fran. Robin Hood hits campuses uh, where credit card companies fear to tread. And this is from the New York Times. And it's because when the credit card companies went to college campuses uh, a generation ago, Congress got uh, very in involved <laughs> trying to get students in more debt. And so what will happen uh, with from the F, you know, the FTC or the SEC, if Robinhood starts recruiting students and promoting marketing on college campuses, well, they're already in a lifelong debt anyways. My old pile on. 
Axie Infinity has sold $2 billion worth of Ethereum NFTs. Crypto, and we had Axie Infinity's, uh, one of one of their senior folks here in one of the earliest episodes of Tech News Around the World. That was a, when they hit $1 billion. That was fantastic. And uh, man, that thing is booming. Virtual real estate, essentially. Uh, and then Evan sends in this one from uh, about Los Angeles. And it's a really these helicopter shots and maps about the backlog of super tankers at the ports of Los, Long Beach and Los Angeles. And it's going to cause a whole lot of headaches for Christmas. Huge backlog. If you check, um, if you check on marinetraffic.com, uh, I've got a PTR here. Let me bring it up. Yeah, here it is right here. If you check on marinetraffic.com, you can actually see live uh, live things of anywhere in the world. But the, the traffic is quite impressive. They have between uh, 60 and 100 uh, at any time, like just shipping container ships just sitting there. And you can, if you can actually look at the, uh, the, the, like the prior week of moving, they aren't moving. They're literally just sitting there waiting their turn of getting into the port. It's pretty, pretty bad. Uh, Evan just sends this one in. A daily pill to treat COVID could be just months away. At least three promising antivirals that could prevent symptoms and limit transmission to COVID are in clinical trials. And, and let me see here. Hold on here. Hold on here. Donish sends this one in that a Canadian study that found an absurdly high uh, myocarditis rate of 1 in 1,000 among people getting mRNA vaccines was completely wrong because study authors reported that 32,000 doses had been given, where in fact 800,000 had. They were only off by 25x. And last but not least, we did it again, everybody. We did. We got to the end of the tweets. Here it is, Alexandra, uh, with the last one about a hamster does better than uh, a hamster is a crypto trading hamster is outperforming the S&P 500. Does he have a name? I love this story. A fucking hamster. I Who's love got the hamster story. dance song ready? I mean, all, okay. all of the well, people who are like, I can outperform the market. I have a system. A fucking hamster is doing better than you. <laughs> <laughs> Does the hamster have an adorable name and maybe like Mount like... Cox, Mount Cox, which is the which is the first uh, market uh, um, like exchange that existed um, for crypto. Mount Gox is actually Gox. Uh, for Ma Magic the Gathering. <laughs> That's what Mount Gox is for. Uh, but anyway, so was... Tyler, I DM one another kid one as well. Um, Otter being Otter O T T E R being caught uh, getting intimate in front of spy camera. Yes. Oh my god. It's a YouTube. Yeah, you can tweet it out for them to see. It's quite cute. Okay. So we're now we're not anyone got a cat video they want to share? <laughs> okay. Oh, dog. Has I, I'm all for like otters, because otters are the thing. They yeah, like kelp otters. and they wrapped the little baby I'll otters in kelp and they got them in Singapore. They're adorable. You know, you know what they did? They they, they bite all all the body of in the garden and leave the head there. Okay. Okay, everybody, we did another week. We get tomorrow off. We did it. Yes, health news around the world tomorrow. Looking forward to it. Thank you, everybody. Have a wonderful weekend. It has been lost as usual. 